Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey everyone, Robert Evans here. Uh, It's the end of the year. A couple of big heavy hitter holidays coming in a row, and uh, we have them off both with the company and as a team. So since there's not a new Bastards episode this week, uh, and also since Henry Kissinger just died, we figured this would be a nice time to rerun the original six Henry Kissinger episodes. These are uh, great, I think, are a useful introduction if you or perhaps your friends and family don't know why um, a lot of people are happy that Henry's no longer in the world. Uh, I want to thank, again, uh, the Dollop guys, Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds, uh, for being wonderful guests for this. Uh, I checked in with them before we did this just to see if they had anything to plug. Uh, Dave Anthony uh, has an album out that you can find. It's a hothead by Dave Anthony. You can go to daveanthony.bandcamp.com. I probably don't need to spell Dave Anthony for you, right? That's a simple enough one. And then we've got Gareth Reynolds, uh, who is going to be touring, quote, all over the place in February and March of 2024. Uh, They have too many links to promote as one, but if you go to garethreynolds.com, that's G-A-R-E-T-H-R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S.com, you can find their schedule for live shows. Gareth is wonderful. Check those out, too. Anyway, uh, nothing else to say. Here are the episodes. Man! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, how how we all? This is behind the dollop bastards. This is dollop, right. dollop this the is bastards. The, this is those ba- those dollop bastards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know. What do you guys think? Out of all of the characters y'all have covered, who do you think Kissinger gets along with best? Oh my Dave's god! Better. Than I, mean, I, I mean, that's a tough one. That judge in Texas level- with the bear. <laughs> I mean, the judge attacks with the bear, he definitely gets along with. There are, there's definitely guys like, uh, you know, the guys who did the filibustering, uh, Walker yeah. and those guys who just love to just take over other countries. Yeah. Kill know. many people. I, there's not, we've never experienced this level of casualty. No. Um, yeah, we haven't. This, this is quite a few. Is, it, it, this is, I mean, 
you know, like there are evil. It's it's the spray of your evil that is so remarkable about this. The ability to have your finger on this button with this level of darkness is, uh, I don't yeah. know, it's, it's a little, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's, you know, we, again, I, I mean, we've covered evil motherfuckers, but I don't think they've been able to scattershot in the way that, you know, Kissinger's, I, I mean, it's a rare talent at a rare time on a rare team. <laughs> I I would put uh, Jan uh, Peter Zoon Cohen, who was the um, East, the Dutch colony guy, the East India uh Dutch colony yeah, guy. Right. Uh, he did a lot of fucking killing. Yeah. And he definitely had the same sort of attitude. Very casual about yeah, there's been just a lot killing of, people. Yeah, the the killing because we're white Americans. Yeah. Um or just white people just you know, for for land has been it's a theme. <sighs> Andrew <laughs> Jackson I would put up there with yeah, this. Jackson. He's 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 at that level of like monstrous national leader who believes in a fucked up thing like in terms of his death well andrew jackson in his in his white supremacy hitler and his hitler stuff you know mao and some of the weird things he believed about crop rotation or like whatnot um he's at that level of like death toll but he doesn't believe in anything like he's yeah, not trying right. to do a thing. He's not like right. he's right. not like attempting some not new a version of society. There's I, not. I, a guess do- yeah. the, I guess that's the weirdest part of him because this, yeah. this this sort of death count usually comes out of ideology. Yes, that's exactly what I was trying to get at. Yeah. Imagine if his childhood affected him. What he would. Do. Yeah, <laughs> well, that might have an impact, right? <laughs> Imagine if that had actually impacted um, him in any way. Yeah, and it it yeah that's the that's the. It's so fucked up that like it's fucking crazy. Again, we we keep getting back to like Walter from the Big Lebowski logic, but like at least those other war criminals had an ethos. (laughs) Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, Henry Kissinger, baby. You could negotiate or talk down, or at least there would be like an angle. At least like, oh, you are a you are a person. Like not to morally compare him negatively to Hitler, because I, I, for the record, folks, Hitler's worse, you know, for, yeah. than basically, yeah. And it, yeah. But it, it, there's at least you can grasp onto a level of understanding with Hitler, because it's like, well, I believe it's, in things, and I even believe in things that, like, I think it would be okay to like use violence in order to 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 because of those things that I believe. I think there are th- situations that justify violence, and yeah. those are based on things that I believe about morality and. Hitler had things that he believed about morality that he felt justified violence. And so you can grapple at least with what must have been going on in the man's head when he did some of the terrible things he did. I cannot get into the head of a man who is willing to do this to keep a gig. Right. Yeah. It's for a gig. Yeah. It's for a gig that he didn't even need. He didn't even need this job. No, he's, he's almost as bad as Dr. Phil. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes, that's a little bit hyperbolic, Dave. (laughs) I don't think, I don't think that's hyperbole. Uh, Dr. Philian levels of evil. (laughs) uh, It's also just the, the dumb, the idea that 60 minutes, like was like, take the keys, Hank, have the keys, Hank. There Mm -hmm. you go. Yeah. You know, here you normal, go, buddy. Yeah, just the Run continual it. normalization. It's like now, yeah, 
when it comes to the folks who will defend Henry Kissinger or even call him a great statesman, and those folks do exist. I have read Dave. some of their books. Um, <laughs> when you get to those people, there are generally a couple of achievements that they will trumpet. It's like, well, you have to give him, you know, these things, right? Oh, God. Um, God. Um, and they sound impressive on paper. Um, in 1973, he and North Vietnam's Lee Duc Tho uh, won the Nobel Peace Prize for their work in the negotiations that became the Paris Peace Accords, right? Winning a Nobel Prize for stopping the Vietnam War. Impressive sounding on paper mm -hmm. if you don't think about the fact that he extended the Vietnam War. <laughs> right. Like, it helped to, you know? Right. Um, was a part of that. Um, he did yeah. negotiate the first Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty and Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty with the Soviet Union. Those are good things. Yeah, but... Yeah, but, but he... he <laughs> Yes. The whole thing is he loved. He, it would be he like, was like nukes are great. It's mm -hmm. like congratulating Sully Sullenberger if he threw the geese into the. <laughs> the <laughs> if he had been breeding geese in that yeah. exact and air he, field and for he decades, geese and he, and he was making bang noises to scare him into the plane when he landed it on the Hudson. Yeah, and they were like, "Wow, what an amazing achievement!" Yeah, um, and yeah, it's one of those things like. Yeah, he he got and part of like the arms reductions that he secured with the Soviet Union are less impressive than they sound. I was just talking in the last episode about that documentary command and control. And one of the points it makes is that like these Atlas II missiles, which nearly killed half of the people on the East Coast through radioactive fallout, were obsolete and not effective and recognized as not being useful. But they were kept in the arsenal, not because we needed them, but because we were going to have a treaty with the Soviets soon. And we wanted to have something we could give up that wouldn't actually cost us oh anything. Oh, my God. Like that. Like, it's that kind yeah. of shit. Like, that's all of the so, fucking. Uh, yeah. He fucking got rid of spent fuel rods. Isaac. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. And the yeah. garbage. Yeah, and he does this. He helps renegotiate reductions in nuclear arms after pushing the missile gap myth for the JFK right. administration, right? right? Um, he did help pass an international convention against biological weapons, which is cool if you don't think too much about the defoliants that he ordered spread out across Southeast Asia. Yeah. Um, Jesus Christ. We need to stop people like Henry Kissinger. <laughs> we have to stop. I must be stopped. We must stop me. Um, this is the only way to appease me. He had a role in the Helsinki Final Act, Article 10, which committed nations on both sides of the Cold War to, quote, respect human rights and fundamental freedoms, including the freedom of <laughs> thought, conscience, Again. religion, or belief, for all without distinction of to race. Yeah. He, uh huh. He's literally the guy who's in a room and he's like, we should kill everyone. And then he walks mm -hmm. out and comes back in another door and goes, killing is bad. Yeah. The killing must yeah. stop. It's like when, o when OJ Someone was like, must deal with me. OJ was like, well, I'm going to find the real killer. Yes. Yes. We got to find this guy. He's yeah. still out there. Henry Kissinger doesn't go to DC anymore. Cause he might run into the man who ordered the carpet bombing of Lao. Right, yeah. <laughs> that would be awkward. We are all trying to find the guy who did this. Uh, we're not going to leave till we find out which son of a bitch is behind this. <laughs> now, there is, however, one huge titanic achievement that even the most hardened critics have to give Kissinger. He restored diplomatic relations between the United States and China. Now, this is a huge deal, no matter how you slice it. For a brief primer, China had them a big old civil war between the communists who won and the nationalists who we backed, who we were called like, you know, Democrats, Republicans, whatever, like called democratic forces. They had, you know, them a dictator, as it always is. Um, he was a dude named Chiang Kai-shek. 
Um, and yeah, Mao wins in 1949. Chiang Kai-shek and his forces take all the gold they can carry and they flee to Taiwan. And for the next 30 years, the United States refuses to acknowledge the legitimacy of the Chinese state and deal with it directly. In one of the most unhinged decisions in the history of U.S. foreign policy, decades of presidents pretend Taiwan is the real China. Oh, like no. Taiwan has a permanent seat on the, the, the U.N. Security Council. That is China's seat. But Taiwan is, you can look on a map, Itty bitty. It's a little bit smaller. <laughs> it's a little it's bit, smaller. It is somewhat smaller than actual China. That's uh, <laughs> it's like what we're so, doing. It's like what we're doing with Venezuela. No, yeah, that guy's yeah, president. yeah. It's like yeah, rec- like that guy's the president. Like, no, oh, it's not. Right. Like yeah, right. yeah. Right. Guido. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's one of those things. Like you don't have to be a fan of Mao to recognize this as stupid. Like Mao is in head of a government that is this basically a whole continent, and you're just pretending he's not, and that's nuts. Um, the emperor has no land. Yeah. It's craziness. Um, it's stupid. Uh, yeah. And in fairness, again, because we're about to talk about like Kissinger had nothing to do with this, right? Kissinger is not why we refuse to recognize the existence of the Chinese government. This is a dumb thing that when he comes into power, he and Nixon are both very astutely recognized as a dumb thing and they don't want this to continue. And it is, it is hard to overstate how dangerous this state of affairs is. Um, for one reason, after Stalin dies in 1953, relations between the USSR and Mao's China steadily decline. In 1964, the year China conducts their first successful nuclear tests, diplomatic relations break down between both communist nations. So now you have three massive empires, all of whom are armed with nukes, oh none God. of whom are directly talking to each other. Oh, God. <laughs> like, this is a bad situation. Um, and Kissinger does recognize how dangerous the status quo is. Now, in 1969, China and the Soviet Union have a series of border skirmishes. Their soldiers are shooting at each other. Moscow threatens to start dropping nukes. And for a time, the Chinese government conducts its affairs from underground bunkers. So, again... Very reasonable that Nixon and Kissinger are like, well, we should probably have some way to fucking call these people on the goddamn yeah. phone, right? Yeah. Like, this let's seems just, bad. <laughs> let, let's just get a phone. Let's get a fucking phone. You would think it would be that simple, Dave, but we're yeah. going to talk for about an hour and 10 minutes about how it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time 1971 comes around, Nixon and Kissinger were also both looking for a major diplomatic coup that could distract from the fact that they hadn't quite managed to end that whole Vietnam War thing and had, in fact, made it all very much worse worse. There's also some rational self-interest in here. You know, whatever else you can say about them, I don't think either of these men want to die and they recognize like, well, this could cause a nuclear war that ends all life on Earth, including us. We should probably deal with this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They finally realize that life is action has purpose once it's there. Yeah. It's also one of those, this is getting a little off topic, but like people talk about, you, you will see at least on the right, people say like, well, you know, if the nationalists had won the Chinese Civil War, a lot less people would have died. And it's like, well, the specific things Mao did that killed a lot of people wouldn't have been done. But if Chiang Kai-shek is in charge of China and like while China is communist, they almost get in a nuclear fight with the USSR. Do you think like right wing Chiang Kai-shek led China is less likely to have a nuclear fight with the Soviet (laughs) Union? What would the hard nosed version be? (laughs) Yeah. What what is it like if they're not on the same ideological side? (laughs) Yeah. People don't talk a lot about the fact that the USSR and communist China nearly, nearly nuked each other just (laughs) like the US and the USSR. (laughs) And Um, also, and also Mao killed landlords. So are those people? Well, fair. Mm. Yeah. Some of them are, were landlords. (laughs) It's not the landlords we're complaining about. It's the, you know, the people who didn't have grain. 
But that's a story for a completely different set of days. At this point in time, you've got two countries that should, three countries that should all be talking on the basis that they all individually have the ability to end all life on Earth. And um, they're not. And and Kissinger is like, you know what? I can get in here. You know, yeah. I can make this work. I can make this work. Um, and also, it'll help us win an election. Um, so it just so happens that 1971 is also a time in which China is willing to sit down with the United States. Uh, Mao wants U.S. help negotiating with the Soviets, which is very strange and like the the does not make a whole lot of yeah. I can't yeah. talk to these guys. I, I, can't, I can't talk to these. You know, guys. I need someone who else can't talk to these guys. Nixon, yeah, <laughs> you love communists. Get in yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's just uh, the the you've got like the way the the Cold War is portrayed from the thousand yard view to people like watching the propaganda of whatever state. And then you've got like Mao being like, hey, Nixon, I need your help to deal with these Soviets. I need a and, rational partner. And Nixon, Nixon being like, you're drunk. <laughs> you, know, you know who's going to get me went cinch me Richard Milhouse Nixon the election in 72? Mao Zedong. <laughs> That's so crazy. It is. It is weird. Politics in this it's, it's time. Almost it's like, weird. It's almost Timing. like there's only there's only three people in the world. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um. So this is uh you know and Nixon yeah once Nixon's very much down to talk with China but it is not that simple because since the diplomatic situation has been dumb for so very long there aren't like U.S. diplomats in China that we can like send a message through right like you literally don't have those ties. So the U.S. does have ways of communicating with the Chinese government. They're through back channels, though, because you can't admit publicly that you're doing it because Taiwan is your ally and Taiwan doesn't want to acknowledge that the Chinese government is legitimate government. Very dumb. One of the back channels is through the leader of communist Romania, Nicolae Ceausescu. Oh, boy. And the other. Great guy. Oh, Nikolai, Nikolai is not guy. the bad guy of this story. <laughs> I mean, let's say that. When, when Ceausescu is your hero, things are not, not good. You, not your hero, but let's call him a benign force in this specific instance. <laughs> when he's your straight man. Yeah. The other is through the military dictator of Pakistan, General Agha Mohammed Yahya Khan. Now, we should probably talk a little bit of history here. In 1947, the British gave up ruling over the Indian subcontinent, finally. As a rule, whenever colonial powers leave their former possessions, they attempted to set up states based on their pre-existing alliances and racial biases. This is why we have, for example, the entire modern map of the Middle East. Uh, in this case of the Indian subcontinent, what had once been a colony was split into India and Pakistan. India is obviously Hindu majority and Pakistan is a Muslim majority nation. Now, if you know your English colonialists, you know they're not very good at maps. So the Brits divvying up the subcontinent decide that Pakistan should include two huge chunks of land separated by more than a thousand miles of India. West Pakistan is the Pakistan we know and love today, right? Classic Pakistan. Right. It's like the, yeah. East Pakistan is like the new Coke of Pakistan, except for now it's Bangladesh, right? Um <laughs> but at the time, Bangladesh is East Pakistan, and there's just like a whole fuckload of India in between the two, which is, is there's like a line that Pakistani people will say at the time that like East and West Pakistan are only united by uh, religion, um, the English language and Pakistan Airlines. Uh, and by far, Pakistan <laughs> Airlines is the strongest of the three. Um, 
Cool of yeah. England once again. I mean, just really... <laughs> Great plan, guys. Yeah, really. Like, <laughs> yeah. What do you say we put a blindfold on and then yeah. try to pin the tail on this donkey? <laughs> and the, the fact that, Indian parti- that England partitions India at all is a humanitarian yeah. crisis on an incomprehensible scale. As many as two million people died, oh. uh, often as the result of horrific racial or religious violence. And Henry Kissinger's hearing that like, hold on, I'm getting hard. I can do better. <laughs> <laughs> That's nothing, baby. I can beat those rookie numbers. <laughs> week um where, where do i send congratulations cards <laughs> <laughs> 10 to 20 million are displaced but even though east and west pakistan are supposed to be united by faith there's like massive ethnic divides right like they're not the fact that they're all ostensibly muslim does not mean anything because like they're completely different parts of the world with completely different chunks of history right and at least right. america learns this lesson <laughs> yes thankfully we we get this right you know yes. by the time we get into pakistan we're done with the stupid stuff we're faking we a vaccine drive in order to steal people's blood <laughs> that's right as it Thanks should be the, the good CIA. guys yeah, yeah the good guys are back <laughs> i know how to fix this yeah yeah um so yeah uh, here's the smithsonian magazine kind of laying out the relationship between east and west pakistan by the time kissinger and nixon take office with most of the ruling elite having immigrated westward from India, West Pakistan was chosen as the nation's political center. Between 1947 and 1970, East Pakistan had only 25% of the country's industrial investments and 30% of its imports, despite producing 59% of the country's exports. West Pakistani elites saw their eastern countrymen as culturally and ethnically inferior. In an attempt to make Urdu the national language, less than 10% of the population of East Pakistan had a working knowledge of Urdu, was seen as further proof that East Pakistan's interests would be ignored by the government. Making matters worse, the powerful powerful Bola cyclone hit East Bangladesh in November of 1970, killing 300,000 people. Despite having more resources at their disposal, West Pakistan offered a sluggish response to the disaster. As French journalist Paul Dreyfus said of the situation, Over the years, West Pakistan behaved like a poorly raised, egotistical guest, devouring the best dishes and leaving nothing but scraps and leftovers for East Pakistan. Mm. Well, that's not cool. It's not great. It's not great. And Pakistan's military is what's in charge, right? It's a military dictatorship. They run everything. And they are hyper-focused on India, who is their primary geopolitical rival. In 1965, Pakistan attempts to invade Kashmir, sparking a vicious conflict. And I'm not giving you the whole detail of the conflict between India and Pakistan. Please don't take this as me throwing all of the blame on one side or the other. This is just like the barest Cliff's notes because we have a lot to cover in this episode. <laughs> um, and the U.S., it's worth noting, had been selling arms to both countries in 1965. What? Yeah, I know. Very I disappointing. Know. America? Both? Yeah. Strange. Mm-hmm. Come on. So, Gosh, our history is so different. LBJ's administration <laughs> was forced by public outcry as a result of this to issue an arms embargo on both nations. Pakistan saw the embargo as unfairly harming them, and as a result, there was bad blood among the high command towards the Democratic Johnson administration. By the time Kissinger and Nixon are in the White House, the president of Pakistan is, again, this guy Yahya Khan. Uh, We'll just call him Yahya because it's fun to say. Yeah, it's very fun to say. Um, He took power in March of 1969 by forcing out another general and instituting martial law. Kissinger once, once wrote of him, Yaya is tough, direct, and with a good sense of humor. He talks in a very clipped way, is a splendid product of Sandhurst, and affects a sort of social naivete, but is probably much more complicated than this. <laughs> now, Sandhurst is like the British Royal Military Academy. It's like, uh, broadly speaking, British West Point. 
Um, Yaya affected an English air. He carried like a swagger stick. He dresses like he's a British officer. He acts like he's a British officer, right? Um, He is also a raging alcoholic. One Pakistani politician noted, he starts with cognac for breakfast and continues drinking throughout the day, night often finding him in a sodden state. (laughs) So (laughs) he's always on spring break. Uh, He's just, yeah. (laughs) Just a drunk dude who always carries a stick for hitting horses. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it's very I'm good. I'm going to con whack him. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, Churchill drank a fuck ton too, right? Yeah, I mean, Churchill? yes, absolutely. So there he is did. just something about I JFK just... was on meth for a decent chunk of his early presidency. Oh, wow. So great. <laughs> It's where we're po- like when we point out that a guy like Yaya is drunk, it is not to contrast him with Western leaders. Who yeah, are why don't also you just point out the ones who aren't up. drunk? I think I think um, um, what's his name? Uh, the guy who came after Nixon, but not right after uh, Carter. Probably pretty sober in the White House. Yeah, but his yeah, brother was, was making. His brother but Billy's was just, making Billy, beer. Billy was like, "I'll tell you what, I'll drink for Jim and no problem." <laughs> oh, Billy. Billy Carter should have been the president. Then we would have gotten some shit done. <laughs> Honestly. Oh, yeah, what, we would have. Wouldn't have been good. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that different trajectory. Let's see what how bad could <laughs> it, it be, honestly. Fuck it. Fuck it. Let's dance. Mm-hmm. In 1970, Yaya decides to hold an election, which is meant to be more for show than anything else, right? It's this thing you do, because he's Pakistan is definitely... India is a neutral country. They're not on the side of the Soviet Union or the U.S. and the stupid Cold War thing. They're very intelligently like, well, what, what does it benefit us to pick one side? Or like, fuck mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, but they also, because India's got much more of a socialist, especially early on, is much more of a socialist government. There's a lot of distrust from them in the United States, and Pakistan really leans on that to be buddy-buddy with the United States more. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the ways, as part of like his attempts to get closer and closer to the U.S. because he wants arms like everybody who gets buddy buddy with the U.S. Yeah. Um, Yaya decides to hold an election because we love seeing people have elections. We don't yep. really care how they go, but we like seeing them, you know? Yeah, right. Um, yep. It's sport. It's sport. Yeah. So he's allowed, he's, he has this election and his plan is to like basically rig it so that, you know, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't take any power away from the military. But Yaya's not good at anything. This is an important thing to know. He's really bad at everything he does. Do you and think that th- breakfast cognac had anything to do with this problem? <laughs> it, might, it might have had an Okay, just, just a question. <laughs> so this election gets out of his hands immediately. East Pakistan is much larger than West Pakistan. And while West Pakistan's votes are split between parties, like there's a bunch of different conflicting political parties, nearly everyone in East Pakistan gets in line behind the same party the Awami League. Um, Their big thing is they want autonomy from West Pakistan, you know, and they're very angry at like the fact that they're getting fucked over by the West. So the, the West, which is doing the fucking over, has a bunch of minor shit they're quabbling over. The East is just united behind let's stop getting fucked over. And as a result, they get a shitload of people elected in this massive block. Um, and they come to it's enough that they will completely dominate electoral like the um, the parliament of Pakistan because wow. of like how well this election goes for them. Yaya does not like this. And rather than allowing the newly elected assembly to sit, he cancels their first meeting and declares martial law. Nice. R- yeah. Riots <laughs> follow. The leader of the Awami League, a guy named Sheikh Mujbur Rahman, I apologize for what is surely a mispronunciation, declared a civil disobedience movement. Uh, it was into this volatile situation that Henry Kissinger stepped in the spring of 1971. Oh, God. 
Now, he and Nixon had pretty good relations with West Pakistan's government, which is at this point, you know, just yaya. They were loath to trust India since it was non-aligned. Nixon also was very racist and hated the fact that India's democracy was popular among Americans, while the country maintained close ties with the USSR. He once told yaya, quote, there is a psychosis in this country about India. Now, a big part of Nixon's hatred of India is that it's led by a woman, Indira Gandhi. Um, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. We'll be talking more about that in a second. Yaya, on the other hand, is one of the few people on planet Earth that Richard Nixon comes to consider as a friend. One of Nixon's, one of Kissinger's. They're both drunk assholes. <laughs> they don't remember the friendship, but God, was it important to the two. Um one of Kissinger's aides later said of the situation, they liked him. He was a soldier. He had style. He was kind of a jaunty guy. Uh, this this aide, Hodgkinson, admits that Yaya was not very smart, but says that for Nixon and Kissinger, he was a man's man. He wasn't some woman running a country. Right. <laughs> it, sounds, yes. it sounds like they're talking about, this is how people talked about Yeltsin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, he's a man's man as he sees the Secret Service is tracking him down drunk in the middle of D.C. Yeah, that right. was Yeltsin, right? Yeah. He like escaped. Yeah, yeah well, Yeltsin, who like was passed out on the plane. I forget he was supposed to meet, and he Honestly. was like passed out on the plane, and they were like Boris, Boris. And he's like, oh, fuck you. So, no, no notes, Boris. Look, None. If look, if 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 we had kept every world leader after that point to the standards of drunkenness that Yeltsin set, uh, we wouldn't be having this war right now. I'll tell you that yeah, much. No. Yeah. We might have had other wars. Well, yeah, I, yeah, Nick, Nixon would wake up in ones. the middle of the night, too, and he'd be like, drop the nuke, you know, and mm-hmm. they'd be like, ah, uh, uh, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Like the next day, he'd be like, I don't remember what I said. They're like, thank God. Yeah, we, we need to institute a mandatory drink minimum for all elected leaders in this yes, country. That, like George W. Bush, sobriety did not help. If you can't force term limits, you can force liver cancer. You yes. Know? Like, right. we, can, yes. we can brute force our way into yeah. getting him out of office after <laughs> yeah. a year or two. <laughs> hey, you know who else can force liver cancer? Oh, well, we are sponsored by Stolichnaya Vodka, um, <laughs> which is now illegal in several states for reasons oh, that I are saw your tweet <laughs> difficult to explain. Robert, about the, <laughs> so it's remarkable. It's like, yeah. it's just... How are we so dumb? How it's, it's, are we so dumb? Uh, it's amazing that in this like deeply... Uh, ugly and complicated situation where large numbers of people are suffering. Americans recognize that the right thing to do is destroy bottles of vodka not made in any of the countries involved in the conflict. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're taking Finnish vodka and just throwing it into the streets. (laughs) That'll teach you, (laughs) Ruski! Oh, great country. Here's some other ads. Ah, we're back. Man. Man. That was a good set of ads. So this is not a Nixon miniseries, but in order to talk about the friendship, the deep and abiding love that the two men had, there is an incredible paragraph from the book The Blood Telegram by Gary Bass that I'm going to read now. Despite all his global FaceTime, Nixon was a solitary, awkward, reclusive man. Kissinger, who could not bring himself to say that he was fond of the president, once famously asked, can you imagine what this man would have been had somebody loved him? Oh my God. That's coming from Kissinger. That's coming from Kissinger. That's the saddest thing I can imagine. Henry Kissinger being like, nobody really loved. If if only someone had loved this man. Have you ever met anyone who had the blacker heart? (laughs) Can you imagine? 
Nixon's only true friend was Bebe Rebozo, a Florida banker. He said, it doesn't come natural to me to be a buddy-buddy boy. Even H.R. Haldeman, the White House chief of staff, worried that the boss was too much in his own head and once tried to find the president a friend, tracking down an what? oil man whom Nixon had reportedly liked in what? his Los Angeles days what and installing him in a bogus White House job. I, okay, by what? the way, listen, what? listen, 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 the movie needs to be written. <laughs> it's like driving miss daisy but with a body count yeah it's i love you yeah it's i love you man with war crimes yeah okay so so i'm james franco is so, someone in this movie so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna work in the white house but i can't act like i'm there to meet him even though that's right. my whole thing is that's right so yeah so i'm just gonna so so what i so i have to like try to get in just in drink with him. Just drink with him and eat pineapple and whatever he wants yeah. to do. Just do it. He's gonna want. He's gonna want to put weird things in pineapple. He's gonna get really drunk and cry on your shoulder. He's gonna bomb several Southeast Asian. Who nations, are you guys you know? talking about? Sorry, I didn't mean to just barge <laughs> oh, nothing, in here. Nothing, Dick. Nothing, buddy. Oh, okay. Uh, who, who's this fella? Oh, 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 oh I like the look uh, of your face. Oh, call my me Nixon. name. My name is Bobby, and I. Uh, Hello, Bobby. Sorry, my uh, my pineapple and uh, your what and. My, I, for lunch, I have pineapple and cottage cheese every day, and it's it's uh, it just got out of the microwave. The best meal is the, absolutely the best lunch. Oh, you like that too? That's all I eat. Well, yeah. In between, just, in between, just guzzling vodka. That's generally what I have. I, am I on candid camera or something? Are you guys fucking around? What are you talking about? I mean, I just my heart is that I, I feel them. Um, I need to lay down. I'm sorry. Oh God, you're great. I, you're my favorite president, and I just want to so say good. thank you for killing so many people. And if you're H.R. Haldeman, right? How do you recognize that you are trying to make playdates for a man it's, bombing illegally multiple it, nations it, 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 and just, not go democracy and all politics is a sham? I must go down in flames to take everyone out around me because that is the only justice that can be achieved is like violence Nixon against belongs these in the bubble that the good witch and the wizard of Oz lives in. Yeah. Like he's on that level of it's like at some point you have to wake up and be like, OK, look, these guys are bombing the shit out of countries. And my goal is to find the president a buddy. Yeah, yeah I have to get yeah. him a friend. I'm looking. I'm trying to get him a friend. <laughs> he might do something crazy if he yeah, doesn't have anyone to He might to become unhinged. We're a little worried. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. What a crazy! I just—it's great. It's just—it's just like you it's have a president great. who doesn't have a friend. Like or that's what really. Yeah. Even president who doesn't have a friend. And that's a big part of why, when it comes to deciding who should be the U.S. intermediary to talk with Mao, Yaya wins out over Ceausescu. Oh um, my god! Because Nixon likes Yaya. Nixon. You know, that's that's a that's a big part of it. Not. The whole reason, but that's a big part of it. Now, and again, I, let's just yeah. let's remind everybody: Ceausescu was great, so I can't believe yeah. that. Flawless, over. flawless man. Also, by the way, great death. If we are going to talk about <laughs> pretty death, good, punishing pretty good, death, a pretty lot, good punishing death. A lot more. I, I, I'll, I'll go so far as to say most of the people we name in these episodes could have handled a Ceausescu. Yeah, know? absolutely. <laughs> that wouldn't yeah. have been a bad way for him yep. to go out. Yeah. Um. 
So when it comes to time to decide, yeah, so anyway, they, they go with Yahya. Now, by 1971, again, spring of 71 is when all of this political stuff with East Pakistan is coming to a head. These protests are happening. You know, things are on the brink there of kind of like a civil conflict. Kissinger has been the center of U.S. policy for three years at this point, right? U.S. foreign policy. And folks in D.C. by 71 are amazed at the degree to which he has centralized power. His junior Southeast Asia aide, Sam Hoskinson, recalled, the power was there. He was gathering it up. You felt like you were at the political center of the universe. He and the president, that was where the decisions were made. <laughs> what a Sounds like a democracy to me, baby. <laughs> and you know what instead of getting away from that let's just replicate it forever yeah let's just do versions of this forever but with people who are well not uh, yeah let's just do versions of this forever i'm not even going to try to quantify it yeah at age 48 kissinger was new enough to power that he was noted at the time as being extremely jealous of anyone who might be seen as a rival he focused obsessively on pleasing nixon henry himself had no particular biases against india or indian politicians at least not compared to nixon but when he saw how racist his boss was he knuckled down and found his inner bigot he was successful (laughs) enough that nixon said of him henry is my least pathological pro-india a lover around here. God. Good work, Henry. Fuck. You did it, buddy. Uh, you won. You won the worst thing. In late 1970, Kissinger and Yaya began to make plans for a brokered secret meeting between the United States and China. As a thank you for his help, in October of 1970, Yaya got to visit the White House in person, where Nixon agreed to sell weapons to his country again. Now, this is illegal because there's an arms embargo, which does not get lifted. Well, but they decide mm. we'll just do it. It'll be a limited violation of the I arms embargo. I believe that there was a loophole for BFFs. Yeah, um, yeah BFF. He got drunk with me. Um, <laughs> drank more than Kanye. <laughs> uh, quote from the Blood Telegram. Yaya got a reward for his efforts in late 19, in late uh, October 1970, when he met Nixon in the Oval Office at the White House. In their last meeting before the crisis erupted, Nixon began to sell weapons to Yaya again, in what was officially billed as a one-time exception to the U.S. arms embargo imposed on both India and Pakistan in 1965. It was the kind of exception that demolishes the rule. That embargo had already been eroding under, Nick, under Johnson, but now Yaya secured a moderately big haul, a harbinger of much larger ones likely to come. The promised weapons included six F-104 fighter planes, seven B-57 bombers, and 300 armored personnel carriers. You want to guess what's going to be done with the weapons we send him? Nothing? Yep, that's right. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Episode's done. All right. (laughs) We all had fun. Uh, In March of 1971, Mujibur, who is the... He's like the the guy, the East Pakistani political leader, right? Who runs this party that wins the elections. Right. He meets with Yahya in Dhaka, which is the capital of East Pakistan, in an attempt to reach an agreement over the elections Yahya had just decided to ignore. At first, it, <laughs> it felt like an that- agreement was already got <laughs> yeah, electorally. Isn't that what okay. the vote is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so at first Yaya's like, Hey, we settled things. Uh, great. And then the very next day he has Mujibur arrested and sends 60,000 soldiers into East Pakistan. Um, no, actually I say sends in, these guys had been slowly infiltrating the country for weeks by air. Cause you have to like fly them in, right? They can't just like drive anywhere cause there's right. India in between right. the two. Right. They embarked on an operation called searchlight. And I'm going to quote now from an article in the New Yorker. 
Firing squads spread out across East Pakistan, sometimes assisted by local collaborators from Islamist groups that had been humiliated in the elections. In the countryside, where the armed resistance was strongest, the Pakistani military burned and strafed villages, killing thousands and turning many more into refugees. Hindus, who composed more than 10% of the population, were targeted, their unmuslimness ascertained by a quick inspection underneath their clothing. Tens of thousands of women were raped in a campaign of terror. Bengalis also murdered and raped Urdu-speaking Muslims, whom they suspected of being fifth columnists for West Pakistan. Archer Blood, the U.S. Consul General in Dhaka, among others, reported the slaughter of professors and students at Dhaka University, an attempt to silence the intellectual class who had eloquently articulated Bengali grievances. So, Archer Blood, is in, and the Blood Telegram really goes into detail about this guy, one of the very few cases of a powerful State Department, or of a State Department official with some power who's like a genuinely good person. Uh, Blood works all over for the State He's Department as a diplomat. He's got such an evil name. He does have the worst, like, and right? He's like he a good sounds guy. like he should be doing Archer Kissinger blood. things. Yeah. yeah. Sounds um, like he should shoot fire arrows. He has opportunities to be in, like, what are considered more prestigious postings, including Greece. But he doesn't want to be in Greece because it's a CIA-backed dictatorship at this point. And ben, uh, Bengal, you know, what becomes Bangladesh, is like... He feels like I can do something there, right? It's this place that has a lot of like legitimate problems, but also there's this like burgeoning democratic movement and people are like taking and he, he's renowned in the area for like being inc incredibly social with Bengalis, you know, like his mm -hmm. kids make friends with local children who live around. They invite them into their home and have slumber parties like he's right. just like a like a nice person. Right. Um, and you're so, not going to rise. to yeah, Who wants that guy? Blood sends a telegram to Nixon and Kissinger. Um, you know, Dave, when we tweeted about this, you asked, will there be blood? And I, I said there was going to be a blood telegram. Yeah. This is what that is. Um, in the blood telegram, Archer Blood attacks the Nixon administration for their deafening silence towards the violence in Bangladesh and moral bankruptcy in the face of what he termed a genocide. And this gets signed by every diplomatic Ooh. official who's in who's in Dhaka. Oh. Um this enrages Nixon, uh, and Kissinger soothed his boss by saying, that consul in Dhaka doesn't have the strongest nerves. Basically like, oh, he's just he's just getting scared by a little massacre of all of the students and professors at a Good university. Lord, this guy, huh? Don't worry, Dick. I, can, I cannot believe his last name is Blood. <laughs> Let me rub I mean, your broken spine. Really would work better for my last name, you know? Why my last name is about kissing and he has yeah. blood. He's so the kissing guy. He's kissing. I'm bloody. The use um, Kissinger added, and this is him now talking about what Yahya is doing in East Pakistan, quote, the use of power against seeming odds pays off. Uh, he's very impressed by the fact that, that that Yahya gains control of East Pakistan with just a few thousand soldiers, you know? Yeah. Um, he's really impressed. So there's a bunch of people get angry. You know, um, one of the big people who's most vociferous in the U.S. government against what's happening in East Pakistan is Ted Kennedy. Um, oh. He is like a really like like takes this on as like a, a banner crusade. Um, so, you know, uh, once again, people get very angry at the administration for what's going on. Uh, Nixon tells Kissinger, quote, the people who bitch about Vietnam bitch about it because we intervened in what they say is a civil war. Now, some of the same bastards want us to intervene here. Both civil wars is being like, see how inconsistent they are. Yeah. <laughs> You know, oh, pick, pick which pick. What do you want, like, Henry? <laughs> do you think selling arms to one side in a civil war might be intervening? Yeah, like, is that is it possible? They that want us to put our thumb on the scale. We're not going to yeah. do that. We have integrity. We're not going to do that. Oh, Yaya needs how many more missiles? Absolutely. Oh, so we'll give us some missiles. Absolutely. <laughs> 
So Kissinger writes up a policy paper in which he urges the U.S. to, quote, make a serious effort to help Yahya end the war he'd started. And again, this isn't even really a civil war. East Pakistan isn't like mobilizing a vast army to fight for their independence. They like right. voted and then right, Yaya yeah. sent They're... soldiers to kill them all. Yep. <laughs> yeah, civil that war. Kind of... It does. Like, there start to be guerrillas and like the Indian government starts sending weapons into like the uh, guerrilla fighters in East Pakistan. But like the massacres start first. <laughs> well, and again, I mean, like to what you're saying there, he held an election. I mean, this would be like if David Cameron just yeah. like, had tanks the day after Brexit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, that that's would not have, a bad idea. That's not. I would. A bad I would idea. have. I mean, marginal, marginally better, I guess. <laughs> Britain somehow colonizes the EU. Oh my God! Britain finally colonizes itself. <laughs> I say that you work for us, but well, we already bloody work for you. No, you don't. Now you do. No, we already did. We're British. You work for the British now. Oh yeah. And because of their Sandhurst educations, Gareth, your same fake accent can work for Yaya. Oh, you know? lovely! <laughs> Tis I! Yeah, yeah! No. So, um, Bit of cognac on the mind, I think. Nixon responds to Kissinger's policy paper uh, with a handwritten note that he adds <laughs> to the paper saying, Don't squeeze Yaya at this time. Do you want to <laughs> Which kill is good Yaya? advice under normal circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> In May, uh, in May, India. Pass this uh, to Richard. And this is, you know, India. There's a degree of at legitimate concern among Indian people for like the humanitarian crisis. There's also politically, sure. there's tons of refugees, right? And so there's also this like very blunt political, like, well, we can't let this be happening because refugees are a political problem for us, right? There's states, you know, nations don't make decisions ever because it's the right thing or the wrong thing to do. But India is broadly speaking on the right side of this one. I think mm -hmm. that's fair to say. <laughs> um, so because they're watching what's happening, India starts massing troops on the border of East Pakistan in order to potentially intervene. Um, but they don't do anything yet. Um, Nixon tells Kissinger to cut off economic aid to India uh, if they intervene in this genocide. And Kissinger responds, quote, the last thing we can afford to do now is to have the Pakistani government overthrown, given the other things that we are doing. This is a clear <laughs> reference to their their plans to meet with China, right? He's very directly uh, saying the reason we can't let anything happen to Yahya's government, even though they're carrying out a genocide, is because we need him to get to China. Uh, um, uh, now, Kissinger follows this up with a sop to Nixon's racism, calling Indians, quote, the most aggressive goddamn people around there. <laughs> Nick Jesus Christ. Uh, again, I mean, it's obviously now, like the projection is obviously insane. Nixon responds by telling Kissinger that what India needs is a mass famine. Kissinger oh, does not. God. Jesus Christ. Kissinger does not disagree. And he follows up by saying India has no right to invade another country. Quote, uh, no matter what Pakistan uh, does uh, in its uh, territory. Okie dokie. I'm going to take a five. You guys can keep going. I'm going to take a five. You guys keep going though. That's fine. I'm going to go outside and put my head through a wall. Real concerned about national sovereignty. Can you imagine someone doing something like that? Yeah, we can discuss, given the history of the United States as a whole, who gets to fairly complain about violations of national sovereignty, but definitely not Henry Kissinger. Yeah, like, yeah. certainly Ever. not Ever. this guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's like the fucking dudes it, from the Bush administration yelling at like th what Russia's doing in Ukraine. Not that yeah. it's been Russian actions in Ukraine, no, it but is. it's like, it, no, it's, not you, not you, not you, yeah. There's a lot of people we don't want to hear from, yeah. but you're absolutely on the, not on you. The fucking list, Bill Crystal. <laughs> yeah. um, 
So Kissinger assures his boss, besides, the killing has stopped. So it's fine. It, it had not, uh, as a heads up. It had up. not. It, oh, has, it yeah. has not, yeah. Okay. In April of 1971, which is, by the way, the, the you know, Archer Blood, the, mm-hmm. the State Department official who does everything possible to get the U.S. to act, uh, Kissinger and Nixon fire him. Get him yeah. immediately oh, well, out of yeah. there. Gotta get that guy out of there, right? Yeah. This guy's out of his mind. I agree. Him. He's terrible. Yeah. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Now, in April of 1971, the same month as the blood telegram, Nixon receives his official invitation from the Chinese from the Chinese government. And it's, again, it's a secret invitation, right? You know, everything's... Because right. they don't know that it's going to, like, work. You can't just have Nixon go to China first. You have to send someone ahead of time right. to handle early negotiations the wheels. and whatnot. Like, it's a, it's a whole process. Pre- right. Yeah, it's a pre-China. Um, yeah, it's a pre-China. You gotta, yeah, you gotta lube up your China before yeah, you get that right. dick. Yeah, before you get that dick in there, actually. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so Here I come. Nixon gleeful tells Kissinger to go. Kissinger is the lube in this situation. Tell, ah. Tells Kissinger to go in secretly Ugh. and handle these early negotiations. He claims that this visit to China they're planning will be quote a great watershed in history, perhaps clearly the greatest since World War II. And that's what Nixon says. Kissinger, being a kiss ass, responds by saying, "No, no, it'll be the greatest since the Civil uh, I, War." I, I mean, my God, <laughs> the idea that you're following that up with no, no, better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Better than World War Two. Yeah. <laughs> so July came, and Kissinger set off for Southeast Asia on what was billed as a diplomatic tour of the region, but obviously is in reality a secret diplomatic mission, codenamed. Oh boy. Oh no. Operation Marco Polo. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> <laughs> for fuck's sake! <laughs> I mean, at least just get a better marketing person in the White House. It's like, hey, Nixon, Nixon, listen to me. Marco. Polo. Ah. Fish out of water. (laughs) Marco. (laughs) So Nixon visits India and then he flies to West Pakistan. Um, And shortly after landing, he fakes a stomach bug. Wait, what? (laughs) Oh, my God. He fakes a stomach bug. Oh, I thought you said he had to get his stomach pumped. No, 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 no. So he, he's like, tell everybody I'm shitting. Yeah, yeah tell everyone yeah. I'm pooping my we guts out We need a good excuse. Tell them I'm on the toilet shitting my brains out. So he cancels, Kissinger cancels a couple of days of planned meetings. And then while he's supposed to be sick, he boards in secret a special plane oh, and flies from Islamabad to Beijing. Okay. Now I'm going to quote from a write-up in the Daily Star, which was an Indian newspaper that summarizes what happens next. During Kissinger's China visit, both sides discussed a variety of issues. Kissinger found Zhao Enlai, who had studied in France and Germany from 1920 to 1923, to be a very articulate person who could converse even in German, Kissinger's mother tongue, with ease. Both leaders agreed on recognizing communist China as the only China and allotting a permanent seat in the UN Security Council to Beijing instead of Taiwan. The situation in the Indian subcontinent was discussed in detail, on which they had similar views, with both expressing their unwavering support to Pakistan. Zhao briefed Kissinger about the Indo-Chinese border skirmishes and and blamed India for provocations. Both leaders had complete convergence of views on Yahya's stand on the Bangladesh issue. Kissinger flew back to Paris and reached Washington on July 13th. So. Okay. Good. I mean, again, like, yes, they should be talking. Yes, this is fine. Yes, if you're going to have a security council, Beijing should probably sit on it rather than fucking Taiwan. Um, Also, it's just a shame that it needs to come from mainly alcoholics. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like that in order to make the right decisions, Mm -hmm. it needs to come on the back of genocides and blackouts. Yeah. And like, I feel like 
probably if the Nixon administration had had just like announced publicly through like the global media, we're we were wrong. The United States and our policy towards t- Taiwan, and we want to recognize China and establish relationships with them and put them on the U. If they just like said that in like a news thing, probably China would have been like, oh, okay, and it, this all could have yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. But but that also would have looked weak by the standards of like politics, right? It would have looked like begging. And so they're not going to do that. They're going to do this instead because it, it looks well, also strong. Yeah. for the ba- the base who, you know, just wanted Vietnamese and, and mm-hmm. Cambodian people to be fucking massacred yeah. so they'd feel better. Like, yeah, it's the base we're talking about. The right? base so, wanted blood and they fired him. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So when he got back to D.C. and sat down with his boss, Kissinger excitedly relayed the story of the cloak and dagger exercise. That's what he, He's very excited that he got to do with James Bond. Oh, um, cool. He tells Kissinger, or Kissinger tells Nixon, quote, Yaya hasn't had such fun since the last Hindu massacre. Oh, oh my, my God. fucking God. <laughs> what in the dude. fuck? There needs, you need to just like bring in another, I mean, blood would have been a good person, but there just needs to be a regular person like, hey, I'm sorry, we can't talk like that. <laughs> yeah. You guys keep oh. like, getting really comfy with this language. It's, it's really not okay. Yeah, nobody says a goddamn. There has to be like some motherfucker cleaning up Nixon's like puke in the corner while yeah. there's and just the like, janitor oh, who the just fuck? like quietly shakes his head every time. <laughs> yeah, to camera. Yeah, is, yeah. They've got is, a gym in there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just, so the, the bartender, uh, the mm-hmm. knowing bartender. I just imagine that coming out of your mouth. Yeah, you're. You can't. It's not a joke when you say that while there's a genocide going on. Yeah, he hasn't had that right. much like, fun since the yeah. genocide. So that says a lot about that's us. That's just I guess. you celebrating a guy killing people. You realize how cool you got to be. To, I mean, look, uh, I don't have a friend, but if I did. <laughs> So, um, on July 15th, 1971, Richard Nixon addressed the United States and told everyone that Henry Kissinger had just conducted a secret mission, which had concluded with an agreement for Nixon to travel to Beijing and negotiate. By this point, hundreds of thousands of Bangladeshi civilians were dead, and more than a million had been made refugees. India was edging closer and closer to war over the whole matter, and it was the considered opinion of the defense establishment that they would win fairly easily. India had started arming Bengali guerrilla fighters at this point, and during one meeting on the matter, Nixon described Indians as, quote, a slippery, treacherous people who would like nothing better than to use this tragedy to destroy Pakistan. Oh, for fuck. I mean, you can't even talk about it. I mean, it's It's like, you can't. Can't even say shit anymore. Yeah, it's just it's just insane <laughs> it's nonsense. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh. just it's just so crazy how this this you know this is imperialism, colonialist language. It's just never faded. No, no. There's just always guys in power. They've been talking like this since the fucking 1500s. It's, it's never fucking, stopped. It's the, I mean, this guy's not, you couldn't really call him in power, but it's that fucking journalist for whoever talking about like Ukraine and like, this is the first war between civilized oh, yeah. nations. It's like, what the yeah. fuck, dude? Yeah. Like, you know, it's quite different to see people who are white and European do it. That feels quite different. And the way he's carefully, that journalist <gasps> you're talking about, the way he's carefully picking his language and he's like, you're like, yeah. wait, this is your thoughtful yeah. version? this is your delicate statement <laughs> he cut the slurs out you know yeah he was like gotta be careful here i'm gonna say well, some dirty words because nixon and, and they absolutely say some slurs you yeah know? oh yeah. Yeah. yeah um so 
The outcry domestically and internationally reaches a fever pitch at this point, kind of late summer 1971. And in August, the escalating crisis pushes India to sign a formal treaty of friendship with the Soviet Union. Anti-communists, Nixon included, considered this a disaster and as good as an end to India's neutrality. But condemning Yahya or stopping the sale of U.S. weapons to a country committing genocide was not considered an option. Yahya had to be kept in power until the China trip was conclusively locked down. Jesus Christ. I'm going to quote again from the Blood Telegram. After A while after Kissinger returned from Beijing, he said, We cannot turn on Pakistan, and I think it would have disastrous consequences with China, that after they gave us an airport, we massacre them. In this case, for Kissinger, massacre meant putting pressure on a government, not the actual massacres. <laughs> <laughs> they, I mean, they've, lost, they've done so many massacres that massacres aren't massacres anymore. Yeah. <laughs> this is the only thing Henry Kissinger ever described as a massacre, is people being mean to, to, to Nixon's drunk genocide buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nixon, meanwhile, was committing a genocide. I'll have yeah. a genotonic. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. That You know what? Somebody make a Nixon-themed gin cocktail. The genocide. Um, it should be red in color. Pineapple. Mm-hmm. Cherries. A little bit of your own puke from the first sip. So, also in August, George Harrison and Ravi Shankar organized a benefit concert in New York, supporting relief efforts in Bangladesh. Nixon brushed this off to Kissinger, saying, quote, Biafra stirred up a few Catholics, but you know, I think Biafra stirred people up more than Pakistan, because Pakistan, they're just a bunch of goddamn brown Muslims. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> fucking Christ. Ah. Uh, yeah. Wait, we need to bomb the Beatles. Yeah, we recorded? have to nuke the Beatles. We have yeah. to kill the Beatles. Recorded, right? no the only one we this. could keep is Ringo. He seems mm-hmm. like we could maybe shift him. Yeah. We're back. I, again, I mean, it's like you you would expect, and again, I mean, or at least in my head, at some point, you would expect someone to just be like, guys, what the what fuck? The and fuck? at least yeah. and even if yeah. it didn't even if it didn't really change anything. It would at least change the casual language and racism that is just kind of tossed around. Or someone would be like, hey, you shouldn't be recording all this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy, you shouldn't be recording all this, Dick. Hey, I'm going to hit stop on this. That's why we have all this detail. I'm going to hit stop on this. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to stop this real quick. Nobody infiltrated the Nixon administration. Yeah, (laughs) Nixon did. Nixon was like, I think we got a mole and it might be drunk me. (laughs) I think the blackout means recording us. We need to fight a war on night, Nixon. On October 25th, 1971, the People's Republic of China was admitted to the UN as a permanent member of the Security Council. Again, their seat had been occupied for Taiwan by years. Taiwan gets, like, let out very unceremoniously. China gets put in place. Uh, The People's Republic of China's representative celebrates with a vocal attack on, quote, American imperialists and their running dogs. But nobody took this seriously. It was generally referred to as firing by empty cannons. You know, you're China. You got to get you got to you got to throw out your your attack on the U.S. But like, you know, everybody's getting along at this moment. Right. By November yeah. of again, we when we t- we just talked about the guy who built that giant mountain-sized cannon for Saddam. Like not long after this, the CIA is like illegally helping that arms designer subvert international treaties to sell cannons to China because China's you know not on good terms with the USSR. It's all just like brinksmanship 
political fuckery. That doesn't yeah. match up with some of the history in this country. That's strange. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this, this by November of 1971, more than 10 million people had been made refugees by the violence in Bangladesh. Jeffrey Davis, a doctor who was brought into the country by the UN later to perform late-term abortions on rape victims. Again, this is like, so part of what happens is the systemic mass rape by Pakistani soldiers of Bangladeshi women. They The UN brings a doctor in afterwards to like perform these wow. abortions on these rape victims. <sighs> the estimate before this doctor comes in is that between 200 and 400,000 Bengali women had been raped. And oh Jeffrey Davis my. says, oh, it's way more than that. God. Oh my God. It's much more than that. Ugh. The CIA estimates 200,000 civilians are murdered in this period. Given where the U.S. stands on this issue, you might not want to trust the CIA's numbers. Now, the Soviet newspaper Pravda estimates some 3 million dead, which is also likely not entirely accurate, but is probably closer than the CIA's numbers. Credible low estimates of the death toll are over half a million. It is very likely that between 1 and 2 million Bengalis were murdered. 1.5 million is often what you will hear. Um, probably pretty fair. Um, although any kind of exact count is obviously impossible. But this is a genocide on a Titanic scale, you know? In December, West Pakistan declared war on India. Remember, Yaya's not good at things. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> He, I mean, I mean, he's again. Breakfast cognac will do you some crazy yeah. shit. So their man declares war again. Yaya declares war. That's right. We're gonna yeah. attack you, you bloody fools! You messed with the wrong Yaya. Nixon and Kissinger blame this on Indira Gandhi. Oh, but I'll tell you, this is why you can't have a woman in India. She's still Nixon, there just asking to be attacked. Nixon tells Henry that it makes your heart sick to see Pakistan be done so by the Indians. And God, after the, we have the warned good the bitch. The good guy. <laughs> after we've warned the bitch. Uh, after, oh, oh, sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, and after, after we have warned the bitch. I mean, again, it's like you're not in a tavern. This is the fucking White House. Mm-hmm. Should we put that yeah. in, in, a fresh, uh, in an official uh, pr press uh, statement? <laughs> Probably not, Richard. Uh, let's talk about it in the morning. Oh, yeah. let's call her a whore then. Let's uh, just... Yeah. Uh, you're right. Yaya proved to be as bad at war as he was good at being friends with Dick Nixon. The Indian military curb stomps Pakistan. I cannot exaggerate the degree to which these guys get their asses handed to them. Within a week, it is clear that not only is West Pakistan going to lose the war, but Pakistan might not survive as a country as a result <laughs> of how badly they're being beaten. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's not good at anything. Yeah. I want to quote now from a write-up by an Indian mm -hmm. veteran of... Mm. Oh, you're He's right. very good at drinking. He's really That's pretty right. good at drinking. <laughs> what do you mean I started a war with India? That was days ago. I said, I'm sorry. I can know. It's probably my worst blackout. <laughs> So I want to quote now from a write-up by an Indian veteran of the conflict for Indy TV, which is another Indian uh, news periodical. On December 8th, as Pakistani defenses in East Pakistan were falling before the onslaught of the Joint Command of the Indian Army and Bangladeshi Mukti Bahini liberation warriors, Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger were busy plotting ways to change the tide of war or arrest it. Henry Kissinger, in a meeting with Richard Nixon and Attorney General Newton Mitchell, now declassified, said he has got a message for you for, to you from the Shah of Iran, which says he can send ammunition to a beleaguered Pakistan. What the he fuck? is doing it now. <laughs> what is going I mean, honestly. You know who can help us here? The Shah of Iran. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the level of war to stop war. Yeah. So who's another who's another piece of shit we can bring in on this? <laughs> the brilliant diplomat also revealed that Iran will send fighter planes to protect Jordan from Israel, while Jordan will send jets to Pakistan for the this war effort against like, India. What? It's like, what? what? <laughs> Honestly, what <laughs> is like? It's how like an NFL trade works. Yeah. How it's could fucking, you have thought this would work? I mean, it's a it's a drunk game of risk. Yeah. 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 It is. Yeah. He's just wasted playing risk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the U.S. National Security Advisor also expressed fear that India would attack West Pakistan in a major way after winning the war in the east. The Indian plan is now clear. This is Kissinger. They're going to move their forces from East Pakistan to the West. They will then smash the Pakistan land forces and air forces, annex the Pakistan-occupied part of Kashmir, and then call it off, warned Henry Kissinger. When this has happened, the centrifugal forces in West Pakistan would be liberated. Baluchistan and the Northwest Frontier will celebrate. West Pakistan would become a sort of intricate Afghanistan. So, this is Henry's Afghanistan. Afghanistan. That's Henry's concern. So, he insists this is enough of a disaster that the U.S. has to send the Seventh Fleet into the Bay of Bengal in order to scare India. Oh my God. The Seventh is headed by the USS Enterprise and is widely considered to be the most powerful naval force on Earth. This prompts the Russians to send a fleet in as well, and the world gets to live through another period of "Are we going to have a nuclear war?" Oh, Jesus um, Christ. Kissinger, because he's real good at calming people down, encourages China to intervene against India and, in Nixon's words, quote, scare those goddamn Indians to death. China's like, do you, you, maybe we should go back to the Taiwan thing. Maybe, that actually maybe, seemed maybe, to be, that, might be a they, little far. they seem to be pretty good, actually. That <laughs> yeah. was working a little better, I think, for you guys. <laughs> yeah. Welcome on, aboard. aboard. <laughs> now you're in hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the end, Kissinger's plan failed. India does not take his bait, and in late December, Pakistan surrenders to India. East Pakistan becomes its own independent nation, Bangladesh. Yahya is forced out of office and placed under house arrest where he suffers a stroke. Um, so that's I'm good genius. at least. <laughs> I've got an idea for a comeback, boys. It's called the comeback cognac, kid. Oh, you mean I can't leave? That'll be fine. <laughs> so Kissinger claims this whole state of affairs, how this all resolves, is a victory for the Nixon administration. Of course. Fuck I mean, yeah. announced, clearly. <laughs> he announces this by saying, congratulations, Mr. President, you saved West Pakistan. I did. What time? Was it last night? You saved West Pakistan. Amazing. I mean. Who's the hero? Uh, uh, I mean. <laughs> Two months Congratulations. After the, yeah. You right. did it. Congratulations being said. Amazing. Now, two months after the end of the war, Nixon makes his big visit to China. The media eats it up, and suddenly Nixon's re-election campaign has something to hang their hats on beyond claims that peace in Vietnam is going to happen one of these days. We'll get around A detente with the Soviets is announced soon after, right? They do, like, they're good things. Well, obviously, it's good like, sure. that this happens. Good things result from it. Um, during a conversation later that year, Kissinger tells his boss, no one has yet understood what we did in India, Pakistan, and how we saved the China option, which we need for the bloody Russians. Why should we give a damn about Bangladesh? Well, there you go. That says okay. uh, mm -hmm. that says it all, right? Yeah, there it is. Nobody's congratulating us yeah. on how good of a job we did. Yeah, well, I mean, in their opinion and their track record of foreign policy, it's all about egg breaking. Yeah, <laughs> you know, for whatever version of omelet they insist they're serving. 
Yeah, and it's like, yeah, man, I agree. U.S., you know, Mao and fucking uh, uh, Kissinger or Mao and Nixon should have sat down and talked like all of these conversations should yeah. have been happening. Detente with Russia. Good. Feel like you didn't need to back a genocide to make that happen. You know, <laughs> well, like that wasn't a necessary ingredient. It's it's easy to look back on a genocide mm-hmm. and go, was this right or wrong? But when yeah. you're in the middle of a genocide, you're like, yeah. this seems pretty OK. I yeah. mean, I'm getting uh, I'm getting a uh, which genocide. Genocide are you on? How okay. else can I talk to people? Yeah. I'm having cognac with Yaya before yeah. flying to China. And, and keep in Things mind, seem I'm good here. I'm pretty much blackout drunk for all this. <laughs> so <laughs> pretty good for a guy who can't walk in a straight mm-hmm. line. Yeah. <laughs> it's, anyway, that's how Henry Kissinger made peace between the nuclear powers. Well, Jesus fucking Christ. No asterisks that, on that, that one. Is, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is the most chaotic, insane fucking nonsense. It's just crazy. No, I really, it is on a level where, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's been hard to process the whole time, but now it's like, it's normalized and yeah. you're seeing the version when they're sort of, <laughs> they're, the training wheels have been taken off how much they are actually doing and getting away with in way like again i mean just to have an adult in the room um but i mean they fire you fire the adult obviously but yeah it it is on it it is i mean it just is absolutely fucking preposterous that this is not well known about or even if it even if it is well known how the fuck kissinger keeps showing up over and over again. He's all, yeah, he's the, he, with yeah, all he, these people that he, people that, that, that people are sycophants for, for in yeah. our in our politics. No, I can never I can never get over the fact that Hillary Clinton was campaigning with him. Yeah, yeah. and that people were like, it's, "Oh, look who's back, shady." One of the things that's so this doesn't really like mark on like the moral list of things that he did wrong, but I just find it so shameful that like. Again, you have all of these other people, like all of the folks we've talked about, like, yeah, yeah, like Nixon, who do horrible things, in her, but are like also getting to like exercising power and like the big men and like, you know, the the the, the dudes that the like, I don't know, they're, they're not like sycophants, whereas Henry is just sort of like sucking up to everyone around him in order to further war crimes, which again, yeah, it doesn't isn't it doesn't rate discussing on a moral level compared to everything else. It just is like. That's the guy he is. Yeah, like, he's just like a power That's the guy he is. He's yeah. just like, he, he is not, I mean, and also, and I don't mean to keep beating this drum, but they're drunk. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't think Kissinger is, but Nixon for sure No, that's sure what is. I mean. Yeah, and Yaya is, yeah. Yaya is, and Nixon is, and Kissinger is not, and he's still like, ah, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah. You know, it's be like it, it would be like if you're around like like you're in a car ride to Florida with three drunk guys, and they're just like, "Hey, well, what did we drink last night?" And the one guy's mm-hmm. like, "I haven't drank, but let's go to Florida." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. God, it's man, and the blatant racism as far as like who you're willing to sacrifice. I mean, you know, as well, usual with care. this country, where yeah. yeah, you just you really they, do not give a fuck. They really just literally do not care yeah. about anybody who's but not why white. Would they? they just don't fucking care. Why, yeah. why Why would they? I mean, if you're them, there's no referee in this game. So foul as much as you want. But I want to, to fucking, to fucking, you know, grow up with the Nazis right there and watch the Holocaust and then 
Dave, Dave, to be able to Dave, his childhood was not his, his childhood. He didn't was not affected by this childhood. That's true. Sorry, yeah, for, no, no impact on going it. back to that. But that that again, we've we've sort of knocked that domino down. That did not happen. Like it never occurred. It didn't happen. Clearly, <laughs> it yeah. is. You know, that's why, look, that, that's why he's fine with what's happening in Bangladesh. He knows it's not going to affect those kids, the no, ones who the, survive. Those who lived through history are doomed to repeat it. Because it was fine. Yeah, because it was <laughs> fine. It was completely fine. <laughs> it was fine. Why? Because I said so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, anyway. Way, I, just, I just typed in Kissinger's name into Google, and the first thing that comes up is you Pile of vomit. Oh, oh, God, what did he say? Fucking hell. I... I we don't to need to, set, yeah. to settle the Ukraine crisis. Start at the end. I don't even want to know. Oh, that was 2014. What the fuck? Okay, okay. Still nonsense. Like, of course, yes, it would be great to start at the point where there's not a war, but yeah. that's not really helpful, Henry. <laughs> thanks, like, Henry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks, oh, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Whatever. He, what? You know. Yeah. He, he's on the same thing. Yeah. He's he's doing kiss. Like it doesn't matter. Like obviously, when you say like there's point things like the fucking nuclear disarmament, where like you can find moments in history where he's right. It doesn't matter if if he's right, right. or wrong about a specific issue, because you we we see what he actually does, which is whatever it takes to keep himself close to power. Like he doesn't believe anything to the extent that he's ever right or a part of something good, like arms reductions. Yeah. It's because that's the thing that the people it's, who he's sycophants to want to do. And it doesn't matter that he supported the opposite thing for years, like, because he doesn't care. Yeah, because it's a parasite just looking for a host. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, I don't give him credit for anything. Like, well, it's funny. It's funny you say that because all these articles about about what he said about Ukraine in 2014. So people are going back to like, he said, and you're like, yeah, no, that guy's a fucking war criminal. If only he'd thought to start at the end of the war. If only we'd thought of that, Henry. (laughs) Great point, Henry. (laughs) Solid. Thanks, buddy. We're going to start a GoFundMe to get you bones. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. I hope. Lord. If he doesn't die immediately, obviously him dying immediately is my primary hope. But I hope yeah, yeah, if he yeah. doesn't die immediately, he lasts long enough to get sucked into one crypto scam. You know, <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just just one good cryptocurrency scam. Can we get that at least? I, I want him to start his own crypto called Hank Bank. <laughs> <laughs> Hank am, of America. I am now, mm-hmm. now blockchain. I, you, you can buy a piece of my skin. Each NFT represents an individual <laughs> time Richard Nixon vomited into my lap. Late <laughs> I've at <night>. become an <laughs> NFT. Oh, God. Wow. All right. Well. Well, you guys well done again. Plug anything here? I mean, again, it's getting, it's getting harder. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, mm-hmm. All right. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we, uh, we are the dollop, and uh, you can uh, go to dollopodcast.com for tour information. Uh, we will be all over Australia and America this summer. And, um, yeah. and then you can go to my website, which is garethreynolds.com, for stand-up dates uh, domestically and in Australia. And um, go to parasite.com, which is just pictures of Kissinger. Yeah, yeah. Um, go to his parasite. Go to his parasite. I, I have a novel. Just Google AK Press after oh, yeah. the revolution. It's it's for pre-order now. You can still get it signed. Um, every copy, I will spit on Henry Kissinger's grave once when he dies. So you're make me dehydrate you're gonna need myself, an IV. folks. <laughs> Robert's getting woozy. Everybody, hurry! Look, I, look, like 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 all politicians, uh, I won't entirely keep my promises. Some of that spit's gonna be piss. You know, 
Some of it's yeah. gonna be pissed. Here we go. Already breaking. Mm-hmm. Already breaking it. Yep. Stab. Thought I knew you. Oh god. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The Dollop Crossover Special Event, Week 3 of our Henry Kissinger series. And and the the stress is getting to everyone. Uh, David and Gareth fighting viciously uh, um, i'm not i mean i've been quite calm i just i just when i'm attacked <laughs> like henry kissinger i am attempting to maintain a balance of power between you and yeah and, and you, the state of detente you get it mm-hmm. you have the answers <laughs> yes yes our podcasts are now bombing cambodia uh, um <laughs> finally a show that i relate to <laughs> oh boy well this is this is week three can y'all believe we're already in the home stretch of uh of this this series is it week I mean, three yes wow <laughs> episodes five and six together today. for three weeks i know most podcasts don't make all of the guests live together but how we, do they we, do it what do they yeah do? i i think with like like the the internet mm, i'm gonna have to look that up in my dictionary. Yeah. Um, so, well, uh, I've enjoyed our time here. I've really like, I don't, I don't want to leave. So, I mean, but yeah, it's, I mean, I, you know, we should, I got to go back to <laughs> as a family. We could do another couple of episodes on Henry Kissinger, but 
you know, let's just do uh, one a year for the next like five years. <laughs> there we we'll go. Just do, we'll just we'll, be like a reunion show. Yeah. What's Henry Kissinger up to? A revival. Yeah. There's probably more chapters coming. Yeah. Hopefully, just dead soon. Hopefully, dead is yeah. what he'll be yeah, up to. I don't think that. I don't think that ends it. Somehow, yeah. I feel like that's not going to be enough. Yeah, we'll be doing the episode about how Henry Kissinger brings the army of hell back through a portal <laughs> yeah, to yeah. somehow fight on both sides of the yeah. Ukrainian war. And, and the army yeah. of hell's been misled as to the rationale. They're like, you, you said mm. that there was going to be a lot more slavery here. Guys, wait, follow me. Come with me. I'll show you where they hide the WMDs. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Henry Kissinger. I should have <laughs> yeah. studied uh, Kissinger's accent before this. Mm-hmm. Totally blew it. Yeah. You do have an ear for accents. It's all I right. Really do. This will so. be so iconic that it will retroactively become Henry Kissinger's accent. I, kind of like the Nazis are now British. I do. I do one. I do one. Just one <laughs> Kissinger accent. I nail one thing. Hello, Kafka! That's the only really good. <laughs> Perfect. Wow, it's like we're there. It's like we're in the Oval Office. I, I am excited for when, what's his name? The guy who did uh, Vice, uh, that director. What's his fucking name? You oh, know the movie um, I'm talking about, the Cheney yes, movie. Yes, yes, uh, oh, Adam, McKay. Adam, McK- Adam McKay. When Adam McKay does his Kissinger movie in 10 more years, he'll use that accent, David. <laughs> oh. That'll be great. Dave will be on set coaching Christian Bale. You know, you're saying hello, and it's really more hello, hello, hello. Like aloe vera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here at Behind the Bastards, um, and and at the Dollop, uh, which Behind the Bastards is is the Kirkland brand version of, uh, we like to ask questions that historians all too often try to ignore. Namely, how did bad people in history fuck? So, uh, wait, yeah. what's happening? We're talking about him. how Kissinger boned. Um, are, are you excited for this, Dave? No, now I want to go. Can I leave? <laughs> I think he wants Absolutely to go to uh, take care of himself, if you um, understand. You know, this is it is important to both cover the historical crimes of a guy like Kissinger and, and to get some personal color. Uh, and since we've spent four episodes talking about his beliefs and his acts and power, it's only fair that we now turn our fuckroscopes onto his sex life. Mm. Like this that? episode's gonna have bass under it, right? Absolutely. So, I think the best way for me to start this segment is by reading a quote from a September 15th, 1971 article in the San Francisco Chronicle. As a warning, guys, there is a 30% chance this is gonna give one of you a stroke. <laughs> oh, no. You mean, wait, you mean we're going to be stroking it or actual stroke? <laughs> that, that is impossible to say. Okay. Quote, Henry Kissinger, sex symbol of the Nixon administration. Sorry, I'm going to bite a stick. <laughs> Let me bite a stick. I'm just going to bite a stick just to be safe. Let me just get a, I'm just going to get a branch in my mouth. <laughs> Steps out of his office onto a sun-drenched San Clemente terrace with a cup oh. of black coffee and oh. sits in a white deck chair with his legs crossed. Oh, the thank man God. Who has, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the man who has pressured Moscow, drafted State of the World addresses, advised the president to enter Cambodia and paved the road to Red China, appears as something of an anachronism in his baggy, midnight blue cotton trousers, what black is... tie shoes, bright blue unfitted blazer, blue and white striped shirt and striped tie. What? You guys in holding in fuck? so far? <laughs> I mean, oh, what? Fuck. Embedded reporter, L.L. Bean. <laughs> what why fuck? i can't i can't imagine combining the fashion sense with the war crime it's so good 
Because they acknowledge the war crimes yeah, and then go like talk about how he's stressed. Like, it's like Henry could be walking down a catwalk like like you'll see Henry right now in a tight white pantsuit. You can mm-hmm. see it sucked to him. Henry also known for ruining Cambodia and Vietnam. <laughs> Spin so around, continue the quote. <laughs> here comes Mass Murder's sex machine. Mm-hmm. Kissinger, oh no, it's an open robe. <laughs> On the back wall, you can see some victims of the Agent Orange campaign in northern <laughs> Vietnam. And yes, on Henry, seersucker. <laughs> you could notice the outline of his hog in those, <laughs> I don't know, fancy pants brands. Otherwise, I would have finished that, that uh, joke. But I'm going to finish the quote now, because by God, there's more. <sighs> what are you trying to do? Seduce me? Henry will tease as he notices his visitor's hot pants. You know I like these hot pants very much. Then he'll light your cigarette, touching your hand as all Continentals do, offer you a cup of coffee, and discuss trivia as readily as he would a Sino-Soviet entente. The impeccably tidy image is perfect for dealing with Alexei Kostjin or or Zhao Lai, or lecturing at Harvard, but one cannot help wonder if the movie stars mind that the ankle socks of Washington's greatest swinger are falling down, or that his wiry chestnut hair, which flashes golden in the intense white sunlight is too close cropped to run their fingers through or that at least 10 of his 178 pounds protrude over his thin black belt somehow shortening his 5 feet 9 inches but suddenly an electric twinkle will flash through the intense blue of his eyes and one catches an inkling of that movie star magnetism that special quality which causes some people to call him Cuddly Kissinger. No! Uh, how is that the craziest thing that's happened so far? How is that? How did that happen? Oh, oh my man. god, this is worse than war crimes. <laughs> yeah, this is... Oh my god. A bottom below the bottom, folks. Can we what? go back to just murdering hundreds of thousands of Cambodians? <laughs> how did that happen? What in the fuck just went on? Is this a guy or a lady writing this? I think know? it's a lady. Probably I'm, one I'm, of the I'm other. certain it's a lady. Yeah. So uh, she wants um, to fuck him. She wants to, or the dude wants to well, fuck him. Well, who wouldn't? Does, he or, holds your hand when he lights your cigarette. Why I, did we have to talk about Kissinger's chest hair? Why? Why? Why, why indeed? Why indeed, David? Because and can we napalm it? Mm-hmm. That This is what napalm's for, right? <laughs> Speaking there, of palm, a little palm made in that hair of Henry's. This has convinced me there is a place for the B-52 bomber. <laughs> in his pants. Boy, that's what Henry calls little Hank. <laughs> oh, what so, the fuck? bafflingly, almost impossibly, it is not hard to find articles written at this exact sexual tenor. Oh, and unfortunately, wow. I, 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 would, I would love to tell you guys that I'm sure this was like a satire or a joke, but the, uh, people were weirdly serious about this kind of shit. In 1972, and there's no way you're ready for what comes after this part of the sentence. I, 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 in ni- I, what? <laughs> in 1972... The Playboy Club hosted a poll of no. the bunnies and asked them who was, quote, the man I would most do like not to go do out on a date with. Henry Kissinger was number oh, one. Oh, what my the fuck? God. What in the fuck? No, no, no. What, a, what an horrible indictment of, this no. is the worst indictment of America that has ever been. This is the most damning thing you can we say about us right here. on the ground in the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> <Yeah>. What? <laughs> How is that? I can't. It's like we're in the Back to the Future Biff timeline. Well, hold on. The the man who massacres hundreds of thousands knows how to fuck. That's just an old saying. Mm-hmm. That is. That is an old saying. I want to um, fuck you like I fuck the people of Vietnam over. <laughs> 
So once the first few articles about Henry Kissinger's, you know, sex symbol etude dropped, um, you know, Ugh. Kissinger himself started being questioned by reporters about the phenomenon. His standard reply became one of his most fav- famous quotes. Power is the ultimate aphrodisiac. Ugh. I mean, I, like, there are, there is, I mean, people are attracted to, like, yeah. psychos, too. Like, Ted Bundy had, like, a fan club, and, like, you know, like, I mean, Je- like, I've been compared to Jeffrey Dahmer a number of times, looks-wise, yeah. which has always been a pleasure. And um, you're both very handsome young men. And, um, yes, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, and both still in the primes of our youth. Absolutely. But it's still, it's like, it. you feel like there is a separation yeah. with him and what uh, it just seems very like a very strange connection. It's it's baffling. Other than that, like, here's the sad thing. We're going to get to this. It's not just that he's powerful. And the other thing about him that makes him women so attracted to him is like bleak in a surprising way. But but we'll we'll get to that. So famous women loved being spotted on Kissinger's arm. One night he was <sighs> sighted at the Trader Vicks in the Los Angeles Hilton, oh my God. flirting and holding hands with Jill St. John, who played the, the very first Bond girl. Fuck, what? He dated the first James Bond girl. Come on! <laughs> the Hague! He needs to be in The Hague. Yeah, and so Jesus. does Jill St. John, to be honest. <laughs> Jill oh St. John God. fucked that mm-hmm. little fucking murder troll. Well, that is so horrifying. Who Put a goes, pin in that part, but... Who goes from Bond to murder Munchkin? I mean, Bond is... Kind of a murder, like yeah, uh, but he's a good, he's a good he guy. Was, he was, yeah. Come on, Ron, always the good guy. <laughs> so while they were out on this date, uh, Jill St. John and Kissinger were spotted by Ann Miller. Uh, Ann was a, a dancer, she's a famous dancer at the time. She approached Kissinger and quote in a friendly way. These are the words of biographer Walter Isaacson criticized him for having fun in public while our boys in Vietnam are getting their heads shot off. Kissinger responded dourly. Miss Miller, you don't know anything about me. I was miserable in a marriage for most of my life. I never had any fun. Now is my chance to enjoy myself. When this administration goes out, I'm going back to being a professor. But while I'm in the position I'm in, I'm damn well going to make it count. I mean, really avoiding the uh, <laughs> the central accusation. Issue <laughs> I mean, like, you know, at no point does he acknowledge that that is an unfair thing he's doing. He's just like, look, uh, come on, even us, <laughs> you know, psychopaths need to have some fun. Yeah, and it's it's. I mean, it's nice to hear someone like approach him and and say something like that too. Yeah, yeah, and of yeah. course she approached him for not doing right by our. GIs and as opposed to not doing right, right. by millions of Cambodian and Vietnamese and Bangladeshi. It's a morsel. It's a morsel. Laotian, yeah, civilians. But I yes, did, it I is did, a morsel. I did something similar to the lead singer of the Counting Crows. I went up to him and said that his his band was bad and <laughs> they drove me crazy. So Your band's I, a war I, crime. You, you know, Dave, you might have had more of an impact if you'd criticized him for playing his music while our boys in Vietnam are getting their heads shot off. Oh, Matt, yeah, you, would have, you would have had some trouble parsing that out. Sir, are you okay? Uh, yes. Yeah, I'm here playing your jam band while our boys in Vietnam are out there dying in the mud. Face down in the muck. How dare you? I think you have the wrong person. You're the kind of gross. I know what you did. <laughs> Something about a parking lot. <laughs> 
that that you are you are edging up on my favorite conspiracy theory, which is that the Tonkin Gulf incident was engineered by the Counting Crows in order uh. to sell out <laughs> several decades later. Well, we, we know it was. We yeah, know absolutely. That's a fact. That seems proven at this point. So, biographer Walter Isaacson describes Kissinger as having quote the boyish glee of a senior on prom night and and the twinkle of a middle aged rake. He regularly had, quote, striking blonde women come with him into the White House on lunch dates so he could show them off to his colleagues, telling a co-worker on at least one occasion to eat your heart out. So he's very much like bragging to other dudes about the fact that being Henry Kissinger has turned him into a sex symbol. He just had a gun him. and he was like, no, literally, eat your own heart. <laughs> so it was known that Kissinger's notorious temper could be somewhat offset by tossing young women in front of him. When his staffers fucked up and had to give him bad news about a scheduling issue, they'd send the youngest female secretary they had to go and give him the news. The White House press office used Diane Sawyer for this purpose. Oh my god. Oh, <laughs> Eventually no. the two started dating. Oh, oh my god. Fuck. I mean, Jesus oh, Jesus. Jesus Christ. she should not be allowed to still be doing news. I mean, <laughs> I know, I know, right? You 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 need to have your news license revoked. Do you think he just do you think he just comes pure poison? Oh, yeah. it's like yes. sarin gas. Yes. It's just like yeah. a gas slowly yes. releases. Yeah. <laughs> We could uh, harness Henry Kissinger's cum to, to get Europe off of, of Russian crude. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to drop the Kissinger goo on us. <laughs> um, Diane Sawyer later told New York Magazine, quote, The power of Henry working a room is still seismic. All of a sudden, everybody wants to step up their game and say something he'll find interesting or funny. And, you know, I don't Whoa. know how much of this is just like his... He's clearly a charismatic man, right? He clearly has... That's, it feels like how... it's... It's yeah. dinner for schmucks, and he's like the rube. Like it feels he, like it's not just doing like this everyone, as a bit. Yeah, everyone's just doing a bit. Like it's just like it's incongruent with the person that we I see and hear about. That you're like, yeah. oh my god, if you could get in a room with Henry Kissinger, just get right next to you will not leave his side. Yeah, not only, obviously he's sexy. Obviously he's sexy. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to fuck Henry Kissinger? Of Who course, would want to. <laughs> Now, this is all profoundly upsetting, but it gets yes. bleaker. So, if Stop Walter Isaacson, who's, who's probably Kissinger's best biographer, if Walter Isaacson is correct, the reason all these women liked hanging around Henry wasn't just that he was powerful. And no, it was not that he had, you know, incredible dick game, which I'm sorry for saying that in the context of Henry Kissinger. Don't ever Thank you. Say Thank that you. Again. I you appreciate know how many it. We just lost. I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> we, we are, we just plunged in the rankings. I believe uh, that's, a, that's a fireball mm -hmm. event. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, I'm going to quote now from Kissinger, a biography by Walter Isaacson. Kissinger's secret with women was not all that different from his one with men whom he wanted to charm. He flattered them. He listened to them. He nodded a lot and he made eye contact. But unlike the way he was with most men, Kissinger was exceedingly patient with women who wanted to talk. Very few men in the 1970s actually listened to women, according to Betty Lord. Henry talked, with you, talked to you seriously and probed for what you knew or thought. He was someone who could and would make a Jill St. John feel intelligent or a Shirley MacLaine feel politically savvy. Next to Ingmar Bergman, he is the most interesting man I have ever met, said Liv Ullman. He is surrounded by a fascinating aura, a strange field of light, and he catches you in some kind of invisible net. 
Over long dinners at public places, he would listen with sympathy while women talked about themselves, their lives, their hopes, and even sometimes their slightly wacky New Age philosophies. He would call them on the telephone late at night and talk for an hour or more at a time. He was a great friend, especially a telephone friend, always there when you needed him, said Jill St. John. The dirty little secret about Kissinger's relationship with women was that there was no dirty little secret. He liked to go out with them, but not home with them. His fascination with affairs tended to be foreign rather than domestic. Henry's idea of being romantic was to slow down his car when he dropped you off at a date, said Hauer. He may have been, how, in fact, the most celibate lecher in Washington. People say, yes, he doesn't do anything with this with these girls, his friend Peter Peterson once remarked. Wait, what, yeah. this is, what, is what the fuck is happening? So he's a it's, little asexual... I don't know. I mean, he definitely had sex. He had relationships. He had kids. But I think the the being seen with women, the being seen as a sex symbol wasn't. But I don't think he had a particularly high sex drive. I don't think he's going out and like fucking his way through like famous people. I think he likes being seen in public with beautiful women. And I think beautiful women, number one, he's safe. Like he's not going to pressure you for anything. And number two, he'll actually listen to you. Like he's Which good is, company. It's, it's it's an extremely yeah. low bar. So, it's I mean, really there, bleak, right? There is, there, there is like something to that, you know. It's like he's he's doing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that even now with guys, like when I'll yeah. hear like guys talk, you're like, yeah, it's like just be respectful, and it'll yeah. probably get you. Like, I mean, it at least makes you not an asshole. Yeah. I mean, he's he's he's. You know what it is? I think. The, the women in this situation are getting something out of it, right? Being with Henry Kissinger gets you in the news. It raises your profile. He's extremely famous and powerful. Um, and you get taken maybe even more seriously, you know, as as a woman who's a, who's a, who's a journalist who wants to be seen as kind of intellectual. Um, being around Henry Kissinger, he's a very serious public intellectual. It's good for your career. And also, he's just – men in power were so much worse then than they even are now that he – was like the best dude in that world you could hang out with. He's kind of like, it. it's almost like a Batman villain, again, in the sense that like, he's got, he's this evil piece of shit, mm-hmm. but yet he is also able to hold a conversation and not be a prick. And you're like, wow, who could pull yeah. off such opposing forces? <laughs> yeah. He treats women like humans. That's exactly. his magic. He yeah, kills those, literally, that is his magic. He, he and is yet, the, he will look a woman in the eyes. <laughs> yeah, he, he is makes the only. Jill St. John feels smart. The guy is a magician. Yeah, he is the only. He is the only man in power in Washington D.C. who will like sit down with a woman and listen to what she has to say. Right, and as a result, right. he is the primary sex symbol of 1970s <laughs> Washington D.C. So low. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's incredible. It also, again, is it comes down to what we've talked about before with him, which is media normalization and how it is just once you kind of create that bubble, it, mm-hmm. it, it most people just acquiesce, and then you're just yeah. like, you know, you kind of like Diane Sawyer is just like. Oh yeah, well he's people don't throw bricks at him when he's outside, so mm-hmm. he's okay. Now Isaacson's yeah. gives an example of a typical rela- uh, relationship, uh, Kissinger's friendship with Jan Golding, who's a New York socialite he dated from seventy to seventy one. She was twenty two. He's like fifty, um, oh. and Kissinger had been given her oh. name by <laughs> Kissinger Fuck, had been man. given her name by by Kirk Douglas. Oh, oh Jesus oh. Christ! Kirk Douglas is the fucking hookup in this case. Oh my God! <laughs> so. <clears throat> Henry calls her one day without warning and asks if she wants to come out for dinner. When she flew down to D.C. to meet him, she was met at the airport by one of Kissinger's military aides, who drove her to a fancy club where he was dining. 
The two sat down to eat, and midway through dinner, Henry got a phone call and stayed away for 40 minutes. When he came back, he apologized and said that the Secretary of State had needed his advice. But whenever he was present, he paid close attention to her, and he asked her her opinion on issues of the day. She found the overall experience heady. The two dated for half a year without any romance ever developing. Isaacson writes, quote, Only once did they go back to his apartment, and when they arrived, an aide was there fielding telephone calls. By Golding's count, the phone rang 40 times. You couldn't do anything romantic in that place, even if you were dying to, she recalled. Who's dying? Nobody's dying she to. Is, she wants to get fucked by the old weirdo. Oh. Yeah, she's, she's, she's into it. I must uh, warn yeah. you, my cock is horned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she said, I just don't think Henry was interested in sex. When it came time to perform, well, I just think he was too preoccupied for it. He didn't have time for it. Power for him may have been the aphrodisiac, but it was also the climax. Oh, my God. That's oh, what he, God. Oh, he, okay. I know. That's a line right yeah. there. That's what he was I doing was in just... the bathroom for 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, oh. oh, Henry. So on one occasion, Henry was more honest than usual with one of his female friends, Oriana Falacci, who's a, an Italian author and a former World War II partisan. She's actually a pretty fascinating person. Um, he said, quote, when I speak to Lee Duc Tho, who is the, the Vietnamese negotiator for North Vietnam, I know what I have to do with Lee Duc Tho. And when I'm with girls, I know what I must do with girls. Besides, Lee Duc Tho doesn't at all agree to negotiate with me because I represent an example of moral rectitude. This frivolous reputation, it's partially exaggerated, of course. What counts is to what degree women are part of my life, a central preoccupation. Well, they aren't that at all. For me, women are only a diversion, a hobby. Nobody spends too much time with his hobbies. See, for a minute there, you're sort of thinking, okay, well, if he if he's getting something out of female accompaniment, then in a way that is, I mean, it, there's something kind of like, there is something kind of nice about the idea that a guy is just not like trying to yeah. fuck his way through, you know, beautiful women. Like he is just enjoying the company of women. But then the more you kind of peel back, the more it just does seem to be a real, like he's just a, he's just backwards. He's a backwards yeah. person. Every part of him has just been rearranged. He's like a, a, a mannequin body of guts that fell down and was put back improperly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, the surprise Kirk Douglas cameo there may key you in on the fact that Henry was also very popular with the celeb set. During a party thrown for Gloria Steinem by the talk show host Barbara Hauer, Kissinger oh told those assembled, I am a secret swinger. Oh. Now, yes. Uh, yeah, that's but a thing he claimed. I like I, any hole. Maybe that, it's that, a joke. <laughs> yeah, that means he's, like, he, he's saying he likes to fuck, but all the evidence we have is that he doesn't like to yeah, fuck. Yeah, I I, again, I think that's him myth-making. I think that's I just him saying that. Yeah. I like to go around and touch the genitals of fucking people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you go to a swingers party in D.C. and Henry's just there putting a finger on things. Is it okay if I penetrate both of you with the pinky rings? <laughs> I get nothing out of this. It's fine. Don't worry, I'm cumless. <laughs> so Kissinger missed the announcement that he'd been nominated for Secretary of State because he was on a date with Norwegian Oscar nominee Liv Ullman. He took Candace Bergen out on a date when she was a young star. She later said that he gave her, quote, the sense of shared secrets, probably the same set he gave every anti-war actress. Like, he would act like, oh, I'm really against the war. I'm, I'm inside the administration, like, trying to get us yeah. out of these things, you know, it's psycho. this, like... Yeah, he's, he's just, he doesn't, he's, he, yeah, he's a psycho. Psycho. I don't know I mean, what else to yeah. say about no, it. just, I mean, yeah. he's completely, yeah. I mean, everything we've heard is completely contrary yeah, to he's that. He's the so fucking he's, devil, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just <laughs> uh, psychotic. 
But also, you have to credit, like, I don't think Candace Bergen is lying. I can imagine how yeah. you're not privy at that point in time to any of what we have, right? To any of this totally. information we have about how much he was planning this, about what a two-faced liar he was. So maybe you believe, yeah, this man is so intelligent and is so, like, emotionally competent. I can't imagine him being the architect of these war crimes. He must be just, it, it's such a titanic system of evil, and he's fighting alone to bring it down. And like, It must be why Hillary Clinton still hangs around him. He's like, look, I had nothing to do with any of that, Hillary. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll talk about that, Gareth. Okay, oh, go. No. Oh, great. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so I'm going to quote next from Niall Ferguson's Kissinger. Quote, for the press, the story was irresistible. The dowdy Harvard professor reborn in Hollywood as Cary Grant with a German accent. When Marlon Brando pulled out of the New York premiere of The Godfather, its executive producer Robert Evans unhesitatingly called Kissinger, and Kissinger obligingly flew up despite blizzard conditions and a schedule the next day that began with an early morning meeting with the Joint Chiefs of Staff to discuss the mining of Haiphong Harbor and ended with a secret flight to Moscow. A reporter asked, Dr. Kissinger, why are you here tonight at the Godfather <laughs> premiere? Kissinger responded, I was forced. By who? By Bobby, Bobby Evans. Did he make you an offer you couldn't refuse? Yes. As they fought their way through the throng, Evans had Kissinger on one arm and Ali McGraw on the other. What in what the, the fuck is I know, happening? right? Would you have called that when we started this shit? Uh, it's I mean, like, you've, Kissinger is you've lulled us into this being okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because at, at the beginning, absolutely not. But now, I mean, imagine, honestly, like a war criminal on a red mm -hmm. carpet going like, look, I didn't want to. Obviously, I want to stay in South Vietnam. But Bobby called. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're not Bobby. Oh, man. It's incredible. You know wh who else attended the premiere of The Godfather with producer Robert Evans and Ali McGraw? That, I can't wait to hear. The sponsors of this show, all oh, deeply uh. tied in. Well, of course they are, right? Like, they're the kind of people who get invited to hunt children on <laughs> private island reserve off the yeah. coast of Indonesia, you know? It's, I, I've heard it's an archipelago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I refuse Ooh. to believe that Hollywood producer Robert Evans did not hunt children for sport at least once. <laughs> There's just no way. Yeah. Those glasses were just scopes. Yeah. He laughed like a man who has hunted the most dangerous game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyway, here's ads. We're back. Now, in our Cambodia episode, I mentioned, and by the way, we're done with the sex stuff. You made it uh, through. Wow. We did it. We did I ripped it. my sweatpants. My sweatpants oh, half ripped. God. Get, please get back to the killer. <laughs> well, <laughs> don't worry. In Dave. our, in our <laughs> Cambodia episode, I mentioned that the illegal bombing of Cambodia was leaked to the New York Times. And this was a big story, and it prompted Nixon to suspect that Kissinger's liberal staffers um, had uh, been the ones who had done the leaking. Um, and so after this gets leaked, Kissinger and Nixon work together to orchestrate a wiretapping program. While Kissinger initially ran the whole program, he was actually in charge for only like a day. Nixon decided pretty quickly that he didn't trust Kissinger after all, namely because Herbert Hoover expected that Kissinger was the one leaking things. And this is because Kissinger absolutely was leaking things. <laughs> now, he was not leaking the bombing of Cambodia, right? But Kissinger had his favorite journalists that he'd leak things to. Um, some of them were guys he wanted to write a book about him, you know, and so he wanted them to give him positive coverage. Some of them were like leaks in order to hurt other people in the administration because there's just constant, it's Nixon's, we're not getting into this enough, but Nixon's administration is just like an endless series of power struggles. Everyone is fucking yeah. over everybody. 
everybody else, right? Yeah, right. Like that's that's the Nixon administration, right? Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really quite quite a tale. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Kissinger's absolutely leaking some stuff, and that's it. Nixon is pretty aware of who Kissinger is leaking things to. Um, and as Walter Isaacson writes, the real reason why he pulled Henry from overseeing the program was that the two were having one of their periodic feuds. Nixon actually made the call to pull Kissinger uh, from the wiretapping program. Right before he flew to Camp David and like stopped returning Kissinger's phone calls for a week, oh it's this like God. thing they, they it was like it's like fucking nineteen year olds fighting. It's very tell him I'm not here. Yeah, they literally had just little tiffs and they yeah they had little tiffs. You know they got so their send them to voicemail. Put them to voicemail. <laughs> there's there's so much petty bullshit between Kissinger and Nixon, and they're it's very so much like. If you've ever been in a codependent relationship, the Kissinger and Nixon will seem extremely familiar because they'll like yeah. be fighting over some stupid bullshit and then things will get bad and they'll like come together and be like all collapsing at the same time as they're propping each other up. It's very funny. Look, um, I, got to I mean, say, millions die, but <laughs> I'm sorry that I said that to you earlier. Well, I've been waiting for your apology. I can't stay mad at you. That's how I Who feel else will I bomb you. Cambodia with? Look, we have too many people to kill to stay mad at each other for this long, huh? <laughs> so get over here, you piece of shit! Despite Kissinger Nixon periodically being angry with him throughout the duration of the wiretapping program, Henry Kissinger retained the ability to pretty much wiretap American citizens at command. He would submit names to the FBI, who would start a wiretap on that person. When the secret wiretapping program was leaked in 1973, and it blew up into a big congressional inquiry, Nixon took the blame, defending Kissinger by saying it was his responsibility not to control the program, but solely to furnish information to the FBI. So what they claimed is like, Kissinger wasn't ordering wiretaps, he was giving the FBI information on people we thought were suspicious, and they would decide to wiretap. And it's a right. coincidence that all he would do is hand them a name and they would immediately start the wiretap right <laughs> it's like he would give the garment to the bloodhound but he yeah, would exactly. hunt the person but he's not away. hunting the he's child not looking for him on go yeah <laughs> so it, it's also though like this might be the moment that proves dick nixon was actually a better person than henry kissinger because oh my God. Like, Shit. He, because he did like kind of take a hit for his team uh, yeah, <laughs> Not that okay. he wasn't responsible for the wiretapping In the land of no respect, a man with one mm -hmm. ounce has it all. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like a tiny, tiny dollop, if you will, of honor yes, <laughs> from <will>. Henry Kissinger. <laughs> yeah, okay. And we just never see that uh, or from, from Nixon. And we yeah. just never see that from Kissinger. <laughs> um, I, it's kind of like saying that like a cheese grater is better to fuck than the blade of a jigsaw. But, you know. It's something. Boy, that one, that got really I mean, no, Well, no, that now that I think about it, I mean, if someone laid it on the table, <laughs> I mean, gun to you your head, to pick, you'd be like, right? Yeah. Well, uh, let's <laughs> give me that cheese grater. Yeah. Let's grate this cheese. What do we say, gentlemen? I'm going to drop trout. Let's get grating. <laughs> so here's how the secret wiretapping program worked. Kissinger and another Nixon dude, I think it was Haldeman, um, would submit names to the FBI, which the FBI viewed as requests, right? The transcripts of that person's conversations then would all be sent to Kissinger's death desk. So he got direct transcripts of every wiretap personally, and he would decide what to bring to Nixon. He wasn't the only guy. He Because, again, Nixon had multiple, like, people kind of competing through this program, right? Right. He's like um, the head writer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So James Adams, head of the FBI's intelligence division, later told a biography that he did not think there was, quote, more or less wiretapping under Nixon than under previous presidents. What made things unusual then was that the wiretaps Nixon and Kissinger ordered were on NSC staff 
individuals that were part of the White House family, in Isaacson's wow. words, right? Quote, in other words, previous wiretaps had mainly been on suspected spies, potentially subversive union leaders and the like. A regular program of wiretapping one's own aides was, according to Thomas Smith, another top FBI official, unprecedented. So, oh, my God. It, it, it's amazing. <laughs> like, that's what's amazing, right? It's like, yeah. well, no, it's not unusual to ask for this many wiretaps. Yeah. It's just normally on people that you're worried about, like, attacking the yeah. country, not people who you've hired. The FBI is like... <laughs> You know, we're okay with spying on dissidents, but they made us spy on their friends and we feel gross yeah. about this. Did you see Henry Kissinger's wiretapping Nixon? Yeah. She's <laughs> getting very catty. Uh, Kissinger's just asked for a wiretap on himself. Okay. I want to see what I'm up to. I don't David, trust myself. You were joking, but you have accurately predicted where the story goes. No! What the fuck? What? Uh, this is look, such a weird uh, chapter uh, of American politics. I don't history. trust me as far as I can throw myself. Oh God, I am I am such a fucking asshole. Look at what I was saying. Oh my God. So these wiretaps were all considered legal at the time. Although the Supreme Court did later determine that they were illegal, it was kind of like one of these. At the time, they were legal, and because yeah. of how gross they were, the Supreme Court was like, you know what? No. Um, and thankfully, the U.S. never, never wiretapped people that, again. That's um, the that, end of it. That's, that's the right. end of it. Mm -hmm. Famously. That's why Edward Snowden is famous for his reveal that no one was ever wiretapped again. That's why we don't know who Edward Snowden is. <laughs> yes. Famous private citizen living in Ohio, Edward Just Snowden. <laughs> pull a name out of the air. <laughs> Random guy. <laughs> um. So a tremendous amount has been written on the subject of the wiretapping in the Nixon administration. I'm not going to go too into detail on it because as sleazy as it is, wiretapping your friends doesn't quite measure up to war crimes. Like it's gross, but it's also yeah. not that gross in context. It's super you know? weird. Yeah. yeah, it's just like weird. It's a weird thing about them. There is something I should read here that reveals something meaningful about Henry's character. William Sapphire was a New York Times op-ed columnist and a Nixon speech and a Nixon speech writer. He later said that Kissinger was, quote, capable of getting a special thrill out of working most closely with those he spied on the most. So, like, oh Sapphire's attitude is, like, he was doing this mainly because he thought it was, like, kind of hot to, to be wiretapping a guy that he this was working next to. This is how he orgasms. To. Yeah. So Finally. He, it's the power thing. He, it's the power thing, yeah. He knows, he's he loves that he's, like, fucking over someone he's just hanging out with and talking to, and they don't know. He's It's like it, Sliver. It's like a yeah, he gets yeah. like this crazy thrill out of it. Yeah. He, but, he, he knows secrets about them. Like, oh, God, it's so fucking weird. I'm going to wider tap that ass. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets like, yeah, th th that quote from Kissinger powers the ultimate aphrodisiac. It's usually translated to him being like, that's why women are so into me, right? Because power turns people on. But I think it literally means that like he kind of right. gets off on on exercising yeah. power, yeah. right? Like. 100%. That's his thing. Oh, my God. I can even fuck my friends over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is also worth noting that Henry wiretapped himself. Once he took office, he had a secretary. I was kidding! <laughs> I know, I, I know, but it happened! Robert! <laughs> Once he took office, he had a secretary listen in on all of his calls and take oh. memo notes on his conversations. He also had a series of what are called dead key extensions added to phones. These are keys that were secretly added to phones in his office so that his secretaries and aides could like press them to listen in on calls without other people knowing and take what? notes on the calls. Oh, when Nixon... Uh. 
when Nixon would call Kissinger drunk, slurring his words, Kissinger would like wave all of his people and be like, get in here, get in here, get in here. Like, pick up the phone, pick up the phone. It's like and a Ghostbusters. We got one. And then he would make faces making fun of the president while his notes, his like aides listened in. Okay. I mean, let, 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 just, okay. just take I actually, a I'm, I'm, That's I'm the coolest thing side. about I'm it. I'm on his yeah. side now. Take a step back and realize <laughs> that Henry Kissinger is making fun of the wiretap he's called on himself while he's talking to the president who's blackout drunk. It's it's something else. While a war is it happening. Is, like not to minimize how fucked up, you know, the current administration to the previous administration was, but by God, America still has not reached the Nixon peak of craziness. In we've the White gotten House. it in like, like pieces, but little we've never had the full and company. Like, <laughs> like, we've never had like the full team together again. Yeah, you can't. It's it's really hard to compete with Dick Nixon and Henry Kissinger. <laughs> and I mean, I'm like, talking about ahead of his time. Oh my God, his stuff ages great. Oh man. So Kissinger also used the transcripts he made to attack his coworkers and reinforce his loyalty to the president. When his colleagues said something to him that he knew Nixon would hate, or when someone made a comment agreeing with Kissinger on an issue, he would pass those notes from his secret conversations onto the president. So he would hand the president like a transcript of a call he'd had with like a thing underlined that made Kissinger look good. Um, oh my God. That's from just... Kissinger, a biography, quote, William Sapphire, who dubbed the transcripts the Dead Key Scrolls, said he once saw Kissinger altering one to shore up a point he wanted to make to the president. He had been chewing out a reporter from the Christian Science Monitor for writing a story that was unfavorable to Nixon. In doing so, he also tossed in occasional complaints about the perfidy of Secretary Rogers. Since he was planning to send the transcript to the president, Sapphire said, he had taken a draft and edited it adding to the fierce loyalty of his own remarks. So he would, like, mark it up to make him, like, be more of a kiss-ass to kick to Nixon? I mean... fucking incredible! It's I also, know! Nixon's also, like, hammered. It's like, how hard do you have to work to, like, convince mm -hmm. this guy? You know what I mean? Yeah, hand him a Mai Tai. Like, yeah, it's just easy. Like, Here you go, this is from Trader Vic's. Like, you're my best friend. I love you, Henry. I've never had a closer friend than you, Hank. Look look at how much of, a, of your bitch I am. <laughs> look at the existence of these transcripts was revealed by the Washington Post in 1971, but Kissinger insisted they were just for the president's files. In reality, <laughs> he used them for as notes to write to his two books that he published after leaving power. Uh, but oh, he wow. was canny enough to know they had damning information. So when he considered quitting the Nixon administration in 1973, he had them all shipped to a bomb shelter at Nelson Rockefeller's house. I mean, what the listen fuck? to what, what you just said. Just happened? I listen know, to right? what you just said. I know. I mean, Every third sentence you have to write about these guys. You, you know, it feels like thing. magnet fridge poetry. Yeah. Yeah. He illegally hid government files in Nelson Rockefeller's private bomb shelter. It's just like, hey, it feels hey, like. Uh, Rock Rockefeller, may I use your bomb shelter for storage? <laughs> I need to put my biography notes there. Of course. Of course, Henry. That's you you know what I always say, my bomb shelter's yours. These are these are what? Short stories, right? Yes. Sure, yeah. Whatever in, in you need my, to tell yourself. I need I need them safe in case there's a nuclear war. <laughs> So, obviously, this is very illegal. Um, and when Kissinger decided not to quit the administration, he had a military liaison send a plane to pick them up from Rockefeller's house. Jesus. And then he hid them in a bomb shelter under the White House. Oh, After he what left the fuck? <laughs> 
Nobody There's no rules about... for these people. Yeah. Uh. It, they're fucking notes. They're not, they don't need to survive the fucking nuclear holocaust. How great, though, if a bomb is incoming towards the White House and they all go there and it's just stacked with Kissinger papers. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, this, this guy was a real piece of shit. This is awkward. <laughs> I think we're all going he's, to perish. <laughs> yeah, he's just sitting in the corner. I don't think you should read those. <laughs> <laughs> So after he left office, Kissinger donated the papers to the Library of Congress under the restriction that they would not be made available until he had been dead for five years. Oh, well, he's been on. dead for he's been come. dead for five years. <laughs> <laughs> we should be able to read him come now. On. Who makes that deal? It's not a great thing. The Library of Congress. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, five, by the way, most people. Most people do like the after I die. He wants the five year buffer, which sounds a little yeah. unique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he I wants negotiate. time for people to get things out of the country. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to make sure I'm pure bone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Kissinger was also convinced that Nixon's chief of staff, Haldeman, had Nixon wiretapped uh, uh, and Nixon. Sorry. Kissinger was also convinced that Nixon's chief of staff, Haldeman, and Nixon like had wiretapped him, uh, which they absolutely had. So Kissinger was kind of tapping himself. But Nixon had also wiretapped Kissinger. And when he passed Haldeman in the hall, Kissinger would say, quote, what do your taps tell you about me today? Uh, (laughs) It's almost. Remember that? What was it? I don't remember what it was on where Lily Tomlin was the one ringy dingy operator who keeps mm-hmm. plugging oh, in. Yeah. It's, it's almost like that with wiretaps where you're just like yeah. every wire is getting plugged and crossed. Nixon's wiretapping Kissinger, who's wiretapping himself, who's wiretapping Nixon, who's also wiretapping Halderman, who's wiretapping Kissinger, who's also wiretapping Nixon. And that's why we know so much about not just like the crimes they committed, but like what they were saying in the meetings while they committed the crimes. Yeah. yeah. Because unbeknownst to Kissinger and to everyone else, Nixon was also wiretapping himself. Uh, like, he recorded every conversation that he which, had in the Oval Office in again, secret. Is, is the most, that, that to me is like the, one of the most, I mean, it's why we know so much. Because yeah. if you are able to, like, if, if Trump or, I mean, if any of them, I mean, if you had the Bush tapes, mm-hmm. like, they would be fucking oh. incredible. But mm-hmm. it's also that Nixon recorded himself and then was like, okay, take him. And everyone's like, the fuck, are you drunk? And he's like, I am actually. I am extreme. I am so drunk. My secretary of defense has a contingency plan in case I try to nuke everyone. Checkers have been the that drunk. No one has. <laughs> <laughs> so this was a secret until the Watergate scandal was revealed at the end of 1972. Kissinger was warned about this, that like the Watergate story was about to break two months ahead of time. And he was horrified by the implications, namely by the fact by the things we've already gone over at length uh, that he had like he was on tape in these records, agreeing and encouraging with Nixon's bigotry and his copious racial slurs. So like Kissinger is not involved in Watergate. So he's like, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried that everyone's going to know that I was like egging Nixon's bigotry on in order to kiss his ass. Um yeah, uh, am- amazing, amazing for him to be horrified. Like of all the things he's done, like for this to be like, it's it's always like the weirdest thing, but it's like for this to, for him to be like, this could really damage my credibility. <laughs> yeah. It's like people might think poorly of me. Yeah. yeah. 
when he was asked about this later, about like encouraging Nixon's bigotry, Kissinger explained that the things he'd said to Nixon were based on, quote, the needs of the moment rather than to, quote, stand the test of deferred scrutiny, which was a nice way of saying I'm only racist around racists. In one of the most (laughs) impressive feats of mental gymnastics in political history, Kissinger actually argued that his egging Nixon on was meant to protect the American people. Quote, he was so much in need of succor, so totally alone. Our national security depended so much on his functioning. Uh, 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 it's called Yes And, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, was, he was Chicago school. It's yeah. called the Improv Olympic, pal. <laughs> I mean, to, again, to be able to get away with that argument, mm-hmm. uh, it just should That's not be allowed. Yeah. Now, Speaking of Nixon's functioning, uh, it's probably time to talk a little more about Watergate. As previously covered, in 1971, Nixon and his team, including Kissinger, hired a goon squad of ex-FBI and CIA agents called the Plumbers and asked them to investigate the leak of the Pentagon Papers. These guys broke into the office of Daniel Ellsberg. That's the guy who leaked the Pentagon Papers. He was a, a, a Department of Defense employee. They break into the office of his psychiatrist to try and steal records to smear him. In 1972, one of the plumbers, G. Gordon Liddy, was transferred to the committee to re-elect the president. The acronym of this organization organization was literally creep because satire has never happened even once. Like, it's impossible. Nope. (laughs) It's over. It's over. (laughs) Liddy's team executed a wide-ranging plan to illegally spy on the Democratic Party, which ended with them breaking into DNC headquarters in the Watergate building in D.C. and bugging the phones of staffers. They got arrested almost immediately. Like that night they get busted, right? That's like when this all starts. Um, And so that's what like the fact that this like the Watergate scandal and public knowledge starts is like these guys getting arrested doing a break in. Key's a crime reporter named Bob Woodward in on the case. He was not a political journalist. He was like a a crime beat DC reporter. But he hears about this break in and he's like, something's fucking going on here. And he winds up making, you know, contacts with a, a guy who we later eventually like decades later learned was the associate director of the FBI. That's deep throat, you know, right. famously. This guy gives him information and the Washington Post under Woodward and, and Bernstein, right? He has a partner in it, too. Like they're both doing very good journalism here. <clears throat> They start dropping articles at the tail end of 1972, and a trial over the break-in starts in 1973, January, right after Nixon wins re-election. While Woodward and his partner, Carl Bernstein, were running down leads, they got in touch with another FBI guy and asked him, Hey, who kept authorizing all of these wiretaps? That (laughs) FBI guy said, Well... Henry Kissinger. In a lot of cases, it's Kissinger. He's like our main guy calling us. So Woodward calls Henry Kissinger, who plays dumb at first and then tries to blame Haldeman for the wiretapping. Woodward asked, okay, well, is it possible you were the one doing the wiretapping, Henry? And Kissinger says, I don't believe it was true. Woodward asked, uh, what? What? <laughs> yeah. That's it's such a weasel answer. Uh, he, he's four years old. <laughs> Woodward asks, is that a denial? And Kissinger responds, I frankly don't remember. Uh, I, oh I mean, it, it, it's kind of like, it, it's, it is kind of like nice to see the Genesis because the I don't remember thing is just mm-hmm. utilized so much now. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. it's like one of the first, like where you're just like, I think if I just say I forgot, I can get mm-hmm. away with this shit. Yeah. You can imagine a, a young Bill Clinton reading this new story and saying i'm not sure why but i, I think i'm gonna take notes on this i remember uh, ejaculating but i don't remember how that uh, come to be <laughs> 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 
it's also it shows you like how insulated they were in their psychotic little dome mm-hmm. that once they actually take their tactics out in the real world people are like yeah that's a crime and we have you they're like oh yeah. shit uh, <laughs> uh, fuck whoopsie whoopsie fuck the president's drunk so Kissinger admitted after that line of questioning that he might have given the FBI the names of some people who had access to leaked documents and quote it's quite possible they construed this as an authorization <laughs> so once he makes this admission to Woodward Henry starts to get looser and he talks about how he figured he probably should take responsibility for the wiretapping and then he realized almost immediately like oh shit I fucked up and he asks Bob Woodward you aren't quoting me right like he's like this isn't on the record is it that's, so that's Woodward, how it works too right you put it on the record and then you're like that's yeah. off record right Woodward says of course this is on the record like what yeah. the fuck like I, like I never said this was off the record I'm what's wrong with you yeah. <laughs> Kissinger insisted, well, I was only speaking on background. Quote, I've tried to be honest, and now you're going to penalize me. In five years in Washington, I've never been trapped into talking like this. Uh, oh if a journalist God. calls you and asks you questions as the <laughs> Secretary I, wait, of State... You're, you're calling us BFF, right? You're yeah, calling... you just wanted to chat, right? <laughs> I was just going to chew the fat for a while, I thought. How are you? What, what yeah. crimes have you committed, Bob? It, yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It, it's yeah. so dumb. It's, it's so, so dumb. dumb. And it, it shows what fucking tame little pricks the entirety of the White House press corps were, right? Yeah. Because yeah, Kissinger thought he could get away with this. Yeah. And he finally encountered, like, an actual journalist for the once. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> and just, like, 30 seconds with, with Woodward, and he's blown wide open. And he, like, and he, does, he cannot handle it. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. just pissing his pants, it's, crying. You, he's you, like, you know what it is? You've if you've seen those videos of like those fucking um uh those tai chi champions who are like in those videos fighting their students where they're just like flipping everyone around the room yeah. throwing them and then like they fight an actual MMA fighter who just like takes them down in 13 seconds yeah yeah <laughs> it's like it's, how, how Seagal fights where yeah you know, it's yeah it's, it's or Steven Seagal dare I say Putin's judo yeah. It is. This is this is the moment for Kissinger. That's like when when Steven Seagal got choked out by Jean LaBelle and shat his pants. <laughs> uh, all right, all right hey, hey, I'm the star uh, here. Hey, come I didn't on. think this could happen. Come yeah. on now, we play fake. Next, from Kissinger, a biography, quote, Woodward wondered what kind of treatment Kissinger was accustomed to getting from the press. He consulted Murray Martyr, the kindly, soft-edged diplomatic reporter who covered Kissinger for the Post. Well, Martyr admitted, Henry was regularly allowed to put statements on background after he had made them. I, I mean, it really, it does, and and what's so frustrating is that it's like, you know, they, they've all kind of learned from the mistakes of this time in ways mm-hmm. where it is, it's kind of the same shit. I mean, everything mm-hmm. is kind of a fluff piece. You're allowed to be in the White House press mm-hmm. corps if you ask softball questions. Yeah. You know, it like this, this was like a major fuck up. And they all were like, well, we, the, the lesson we've learned here is don't let good reporters around you. Yeah. Don't let journalists <laughs> exist. <Yeah. laughs> it, it's one of those, um, God, there's so much going on here. Uh, it really is. This is like it, we, we are peaking. There are ways in which like there are times when journalism does work that way. Right. When I am like sitting down and talking to like a fucking dissident or or a protester, someone who like might be targeted by the state or by, you know, fucking fascist or whatever and murdered. And they like say something and then later are like, oh, you know, can I take that off the record? I'm worried that's going to like reveal me. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah. I'm not going to like. Yeah, you could get killed. But like, yeah, th- it doesn't. It should never work that way for th- 
cabinet level fucking government officials. Yeah. Right. right. They don't they they can't if you agree ahead of time to make something off the record, yeah, that that happens. That's like a thing that occurs, although I think that's problematic too. But like they don't get to just take something off the record retroactively. That's not how it works. Yeah. But, and and I mean but you they just all Go they ahead. care about is access, so they don't yeah. care about the actual story. They just want to talk yeah. to them again. Yeah, they no, want to it, keep getting access. Yeah. It is. It's like it needs to be a a, gr- a group of people need to say that this is all fucked, but instead they're like, oh, what a great cocktail yeah. party. And Woodward, to his credit, there's critiques to make about Woodward later in his career, but to his credit, yeah. Woodward's like, I don't give a shit about access. I'm yeah. trying to take down a president. Like, I, I could give a fuck who yeah. I miss off here, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> So Nixon eventually took the fall, as we've covered, but the issue was brought up again in 1973 when Kissinger went through his confirmation hearings to become Secretary of State. We don't need to cover the politicking he did to secure that job, but I should note all the fallout over wiretapping and the disaster in Cambodia didn't do shit to reduce Henry's popularity at home. In 1972, he had ranked fourth on the list of most admired Americans. In 1973, he was number one, largely because Harry Truman had died. Which is also pretty bleak. What the fuck? Yeah, baby. We are. I mean, and that's when you're like, we deserve it. Mm. I mean, if you are that incapable of deciphering reality from fiction, to some extent, you want to be taken advantage of. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're the rube who opens the door to the vacuum cleaner salesman. Yeah. We're well, okay. Yeah. Pour some dirt on my floor. I want to see how yeah. this thing sucks. You need my social security number, of well, course. Okay. <laughs> and you promise I get $500,000 in the mail. Okay. <sighs> So one congressman proposed a constitutional amendment to allow foreign born citizens to run for president because of like how uh, much he liked fucking Kissinger. I don't like Henry. This. Uh, Henry received a figure at Madame Tussaud's Wax Museum in London, which quickly Ugh. became the star attraction. Miss Ugh. Universe pageant contestants voted him, quote, the greatest person in the world today. I, is it possible that we just put a heart in the Madame Tussauds figure and melted it and that's what's walking around now? <laughs> Yeah, that's. But this we is, just left it in the sun is, for a week. Like you bring up the media, like this is just so like they just normalize <laughs> monsters. They act like monsters are great people. Yeah, and people don't actually hear the fucking heinous shit that they're doing. No, and they just hear he's a smart guy, but. It's because that's other what matters. Said so. He can like quote smart dead people that they you haven't read, but you know they're smart because their name sounds vaguely familiar, and so you're like, well, yeah. this guy's read all these smart dudes. He must be a good guy because smart yeah. people don't do bad thing. Well, and smart people yeah. don't like go out with reporters, and you know, yeah. you know, just be like, look at Frankenstein at the Playboy Mansion. Gosh, mm-hmm. he's got those bolts on his neck, and the girls love to twirl him. <laughs> So, it is perhaps not surprising, even though the Watergate scandal had built to a fever pitch by 73, that Henry Kissinger was a shoe-in to be appointed as Secretary of State. On the day of his first congressional confirmation hearings, someone in the press asked, Do you prefer to be called Mr. Secretary or Dr. Secretary? He replied, I do not stand on protocol. If you just call me Excellency, it will be okay. Uh, Excuse me? Pardon? And again, as a journalist, the proper response to that is to throw your handheld recorder (laughs) at his face. (laughs) Like, try to take a chair to his nose like they did to Geraldo. Yeah, right, yeah. (laughs) Break his face. Oh, I'm not hung up on titles. You can just bow and call me your majesty. (laughs) 
So Kissinger was extremely nervous going into the confirmation hearings because, again, Nixon is being torn apart for Watergate right now. And he was expecting that he'd be interrogated about all the shady wiretapping he'd done. Sure. But as it turned out, all he had to do was lie and say he'd never recommended wiretapping. Everyone decided that was fine. And he was confirmed oh as Secretary of State 78 votes to 77. Jesus oh. fucking Christ. And here's the thing. Even among the people who voted against him, there was not always strong antipathy. George McGovern voted against confirming him, but he called Kissinger afterwards to privately endorse him. To be like, hey, publicly, I got to pretend I don't like you, but like, we're cool, <laughs> right, bro? <laughs> <laughs> And don't worry, someday I'll be the president, and I'm, yeah. uh, I got my eye on you, Henry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, honestly, that might have happened. Yeah, probably. So when he was sworn in on September 21st, 1973, a family friend presented Kissinger with a copy of the Old Testament that had be pub been published in Firth in 1801 for him to be sworn in on. Kissinger decided instead to use Nixon's copy of the King James Bible. Uh, Which, they just open it. It's a bottle of bourbon. Oh, sorry. It's, it's actually it's just a bottle oops, of liquor. Oopsie yeah. poopsie. This is that. Let's use that other one. Let's use that first one. So, alas for Dick Nixon, 74 was an even worse year for him than 73 had been. In July of that year, three Southern Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee announced that they were voting to impeach him. On August 5th, a transcript of taped conversations between him and Haldeman was released, which proved his involvement in the cover-up of the Watergate break-in and proved he'd lied under oath. This was the nail in the coffin. On August 7th, Barry Goldwater told Nixon he would not survive an impeachment vote. Nixon had already made the decision to leave. He met with Jerry Ford, his vice president, and told him that he was about to be president. He urged Ford to keep Kissinger on as his secretary of state. Then Nixon made his big announcement to the American people. Next, from History.com. After the speech, Kissinger accompanied Nixon to his living quarters one last time. History is going to record that you were a great president, Kissinger assured Nixon. <laughs> Henry, the president said, that will depend on who writes the history. Uh. Uh, can you imagine a wasted Nixon showing yeah. Gerald Ford around like, so this is the vodka, you <laughs> put that in your Wheaties in the morning, this is pineapple, you should eat this mm -hmm. with cottage cheese every day. Now here's a Dick Nixon oh. secret, if you pour a little Diet Coke in the bourbon, they can't tell you're getting drunk at nine in the morning. Uh, when you're confused, just nod. Uh, when you're throwing up in the toilet, mm -hmm. say something disagreed with you and it's diarrhea. The Secret Service agents have to let you puke down their sleeves. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> this is the vodka room, and this is the vodka room, and this is the vodka room. This drawer here's this drawer here's for letters and things like stamps like that, and this is the drawer you can puke in, but just bend over and pretend you're looking for something. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I've been shitting in the fireplace a lot. It's hard to find the bathroom when you're turned in the oval. Look, look, if you're worried, just lift this cushion up. This chair's actually a toilet with wheels. <laughs> Sits behind the desk. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think what else. Uh, these are laws. You can wipe your ass with them. <laughs> By the way, this is all being recorded. Everything By is. Wait, this chest here is actually a tape recorder. <laughs> Kissinger's sorrow over his boss stepping down was sopped somewhat by the fact that right around the same time, he'd succeeded in overthrowing an actual democratically elected leader, oh, good. Dr. Salvador Allende. Now, oh, fuck, this makes me mad. <laughs> yeah, we have we're not going to talk about this in a lot of detail because we have gone into detail on the coup against Allende in both our episodes on the Dulles Brothers and on the School of the Americas. It's just like not 
this is the thing to like cut out of our Kissinger story because we've covered it a lot before. But I will give an overview of Kissinger's involvement. For the listeners who maybe aren't familiar, Robert. Yeah. yeah. I know we are all on the same page, but (laughs) you're Gareth or whatever. Salvador Allende was a socialist E dude who was elected in 1970. Like all kind of socialists the U.S. overthrows, he was not nearly as radical as they pretended he was, but he was like solidly left wing. The U.S. backed a military coup that overthrew him in 1973, Allende committed suicide and was replaced by General Augusto Pinochet, who tortured Uh, and murdered tens of thousands of people over the next 17 uh, years. So I'm going to be brief here, and I'm going to read a summary of Kissinger's role in that kerfuffle from the Transnational Institute. Less than a week after Nixon received the disappointing news about the presidential vote, he decided to annul the Chilean vote. A quote widely attributed to Secretary of State Henry Kissinger explained Nixon's morality. I don't see why we need to stand by and watch a country go communist due to the irresponsibility of its people. The issues are much too important for the Chilean voters to be left to decide for themselves. I mean, like, you are, you need to be, like, so far gone to be comfortable speaking in that way. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you, you, that's ghoulishly evil. I mean, it's Um, just like you could come up with a version of that that would also probably sound effective, but to basically be like, look, the people have fucked up voting. They've, Mm -hmm. they've wrongly voted. Oopsie yeah. poopsie. Let's yeah, just, we can. We'll we'll do it for them. We'll figure yeah, out. I mean, we'll take care of this again. For them. United States policy, pretty much. You know. Yeah. All the time in perpetuity. Yeah, and it's 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 good. Um, yeah. And and after the the bloody coup that that Kissinger and Nixon endorsed, uh, Kissinger pushed to recognize Pinochet's coup government and offered economic aid. Uh, he pressured international lending organizations to lend money to the new Chilean government. Yeah, he sucks. This is a bad thing that he did. Um, yeah. You can hear a lot more about it. And honestly, K- Kissinger was involved, but like the Dulles brothers were a much bigger part Ugh. of this specific thing. So check that out in our Dulles brothers episode. All this with Raquel um, Welch on his arm. <laughs> Jill St. John, I love the way you actually the woman he does marry, Nancy McGinnis, who is also a, a fairly prominent person, is a huge fan of the overthrowing of the Chilean government. Oh. Um yeah, Henry. His, his wife is like more hardcore right wing than he is. Come to bed. <laughs> Tell me about me. how you ignored the will of the Chilean voters, Henry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know much about the working relationship Henry had with Jerry Ford. Honestly, like they didn't spend a lot of time together. We're not going to delve super deep into it. Um, there were like too much to talk about still um there is one thing i want to note about his relationship with with kiss with nixon like for the first several years that he's working with nixon he's desperate to go to camp david anytime the president invites him he's excited to go but then when the watergate thing is going on and nixon feels isolated and alone kissinger spends like the whole watergate hearing time jetting around the middle east and stuff doing diplomacy and nixon begs him like do you want to come hang out at camp david with me and henry's like oh buddy i'd love to but you know oh, sounds so oh, great i just I'm got just, so much work i'm swamped over here with stuff you know it's like He's such a worm gosh it's amazing that there's a moment at this where you're like oh man dick he did you dirty yeah. that's not yeah you like, were such you a good like friend to him a little bit of sympathy for nick she was like, yeah. you, do you want to come to summer camp david with me i can't uh, i could parents, really use a friend i broke my arm i can't uh, get any merit badges or anything this summer my mom said so Oh, man, it's amazing. Um, So 
Yeah, there's so much to talk about. I, I I will tell you, I will note that one of the first things that Henry did as Secretary of State for President Ford was to deliberately enable another genocide, which put him just one genocide away from earning a free coffee at the Pentagon Starbucks. Oh so, my gosh, so close. I know. He'll get, he'll, he's close. <laughs> he's close, he's close. Oh. We're going to talk about that, but you know what we got to talk about right now? Hmm. Products and services that support this podcast. Finally. Hey, including Starbucks. <laughs> Commit five genocides and Starbucks will fund a sixth if it reduces the price of coffee beans. Make sure it's a venti. Oh, we're back. So in 1969, the U.S. conspired with the Indonesian dictator Suharto to encourage the illegal annexation of West Papua through what was called the Act of Free Choice. This sure. was a shameless propaganda exercise, which allowed the United States to pretend democracy. Ra ra ra! you get the idea. Behind the scenes support by the U.S. at the U.N. allowed Suharto to solidify his control on West Papua. This uh, led to four decades of genocidal policies, which have killed huge numbers of the Papuan population. Six years later, Suharto had another fun idea. East Timor was nearby, and near the end of a 27-year-long process of being decolonized by Portugal. Having just been ruled pretty brutally in the name of capital, you won't be surprised to hear that the East Timorese people were somewhat sympathetic towards socialism. Hmm. The leftist Freitland, Freit, Freitland, Freitland Party began to gain ground as freedom grew near. In 1975, it had a brief civil war with the much smaller right-wing pro-Indonesian party. This freaked out Portugal, who pulled their last people out of the country during the fighting. Seeing the territory abandoned, General Suharto felt he had an opportunity. He and others in the Indonesian military began to complain to the Americans that East Timor might be used as a base for dastardly communists to inspire secessionist movements in Indonesia. Over in, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you know, East Timor seems like it's going to be really bad. Yeah. Like, oh, we got to yeah. kill them. We got to get rid of them. I don't <laughs> like the sound of this. Over in East Timor, Freitlin, the Socialist Party, recognized their the fact that they were in danger. They had their, oh, we're in danger moment. Yeah. And they declared their independence on November 28th, 1975, so they could ask for help from the United Nations. Everyone ignored them. Japan, a major investor in Indonesia, twiddled her thumbs. Australia looked away. This left the United States as the only power that could potentially stop Indonesia from invading oh, East does Timor. It, does it, do we do it? What? Yeah, we did it. Yes. Everything's good now. They're doing great. Uh, They're flying cars. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yay us again. Yeah, how many times do we have to be the heroes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another job well done for the United States. <laughs> <laughs> on December 6th, 1975, on the eve of the planned invasion, Gerald Ford and Henry Kissinger flew to Jakarta to meet with Suharto. The very next day, Indonesian land, air, and naval forces invaded. The timing is predominant, uh, predominant enough that people have debated ever since whether or not Kissinger and Ford gave Suharto the green light here too. From a write-up in The Nation, Kissinger, who does not find room to mention East Timor even in the index of his three-volume memoir, has more than once stated that the invasion came to him as a surprise, and that he barely knew of the existence of the Timorese question. He was obviously lying, but the breathtaking extent of his mendacity has only just become fully apparent, with the declassification of a secret State Department telegram. The document, which has been made public by the National Security Archive at George Washington University, contains a verbatim record of the conversation among Suharto, Ford, and Kissinger. We want your understanding if we deem it necessary to take rapid or drastic action, Suharto opened bluntly. We will understand and will not press you on the issue, Ford responded. We understand the problem you have and the intentions you have. 
Kissinger was even more emphatic, but had an awareness of the possible spin problems back home. It is important that whatever you do succeeds quickly, he instructed the despot. We would be able to influence the reaction if whatever happens happens after we return. If you have made plans, we will do our best to keep everyone quiet until the president returns home. Micromanaging things for Suharto, he, he, he added, The president will be back on Monday at 2 p.m. Jakarta time. I we mean, understand your problem and the need to move quickly, but I am only saying it would be better if it were done after we returned. Uh, worst case scenario, I'll just say I never said this and nobody will ever have a transcript if they said anything. I mean, to be scheduling it like a, yeah. like a golf day. Can you crack down on the independence and freedom of these people and engage in a genocidal war? Like, once we're back, we like, just, like, there's uh, a lot do, like, going on. 3.45 or like 4 on Monday would be great. Tuesday, <laughs> yeah. if you can wait, would be unbelievable yeah, for Tuesday us. Tuesday would really, really help. Like, that's a lot of time. <laughs> mm, yeah. I thought it was a workout. Yes, that's right. Yeah. There's a lot of U.S. fuckery in fucking Indonesia. I'm sorry. I'm not going to hear this, gentlemen. That's uh, <laughs> enough of that talk, please. The greatest country on earth. You do have that giant Indonesia and the United States shaking hands over a burning East Timor tattoo over your heart. <laughs> well, I would hate for that. <laughs> that that's speculation. And mm -hmm. uh, please cut that out. Uh, mm -hmm. Sophie, can we make a note that that should not be included in the episode? It seems a little incriminating. So Suharto's troops, when they invaded East Timor, which they did, were equipped with the finest U.S.-made weaponry. Mm, Under the happen? Foreign Assistance Act, such materiel could only be provided to nations who would use it exclusively for self-defense. When this was brought up to Suharto, and or when this was brought up to Kissinger, and he was asked whether or not selling arms to Suharto had violated the act, Kissinger responded, it depends on how we construe it, whether it is in self-defense or it is a foreign operation. Back in D.C. on December 18th, in a meeting whose minutes are now declassified, Kissinger admitted that he knew that he, that, uh, he and, you know, the United States were violating the statute from the nation. An even more sinister note was struck later in the conversation, when Kissinger asked Suharto if he expected a long guerrilla war. The dictator replied that there will probably be a small guerrilla war, while making no promise about its duration. Bear in mind that Kissinger has already urged speed and dispatch, urged speed and dispatch upon Suharto. Adam Malik, Indonesia's prime minister at the time, later conceded in public that between 50,000 and 80,000 Timorese civilians were killed in the first 18 months of the occupation. These civilians were killed with American weapons, which Kissinger contrived to supply over congressional protests, and their murders were covered up by American diplomacy. So, uh, I mean, rough. we did it again. We did it again, back guys. It, it really, it, it really is like it's it's like a like a serial killer who just gets very comfortable with killing, mm -hmm. gets kind of cocky about it, starts yeah. leaving clues. But in this case, there's no cops chasing anyone. There's yeah, nobody who's really trying to solve the case. It's like if the Unabomber left his name on every package. Yeah. And then everyone was like, this is okay. A return yeah. address. Yeah. Ted Kaczynski, Shack 9. <laughs> roughly 300,000 East Timorese civilians, roughly half the population, were forced out of their homes and into camps during the fighting. By 1980, the death toll was at least 100,000 and possibly as high as 230,000. Thomas Meany, writing in The New Yorker, has tried to make sense of this all. Kissinger's sign-off on the Indonesian President Suharto's genocidal campaign in East Timor was meant to signal that America would unquestioningly reward those who had decimated communists within their reach. In retrospect, the notion that everything America did would be duly registered and responded to by its opponents and friends seems like an expression of geopolitical narcissism. 
At the time, the 33-year-old Senator Joe Biden accused Kissinger at a Senate hearing of trying to promulgate a global Monroe Doctrine. The Kissinger is that guy to where repeatedly terrible people will be like, well, you're in the right here, but only because you're talking about Henry Kissinger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right i mean yeah, yeah he's like yeah it's like in the next episode we're gonna have a moment where the cia is a voice of reason to give you an idea of where things go <laughs> and how many people have to be the voice of reason i mean it, it just is like he's like cocky i mean it's just yeah. it, they're just no shits given at this point to have no I mean, it's not like he's had a soul throughout all of this, but you would think that once you have a soul for such a long period of time, you would start to notice the absence of a soul and at least start to act like you had a soul. Well, good news, Gareth. Nothing like that ever happens. Oh, <laughs> fucking great. <laughs> yeah, awesome. we are. We're going to have fun in episode six. Uh. Um, <laughs> but, you know, now it's time to just chill out, you know, have a drink, uh, just a nice sip of the blood of. I don't know, East Timorese dissonance, um, and uh, go watch the Theranos documentary. This yeah. is Henry Kissinger get cucked by a fucking the, grifter. The, I mean, yeah, you uh, need only, only <laughs> like, I forget who said it, but that's true. That's our hero. Mm -hmm. She's our hero. Yeah. This it, psycho it, who was like, hey, yeah, you can give, we can do this with your blood at Walgreens because she got Henry Kissinger involved in, in, I mean, just he's, a, he's not, it's not like, he's not a genius. There's no, just not no. a lot of genius it takes to just be awful and indiscriminate. Yeah, he's just like he's the best network networker of all time. Yeah. And here's the thing. Episode six, we're going to talk about his political downfall. Because he does get his comeuppance, but it's from well. people who suck maybe even worse, at least as bad as he does. And so there's no satisfaction in it. Like, of course. And it, he's also, it's, it's also like, it's like if I mean, Hitler had gotten assassinated by Hitler too, who had then like expanded. The, yeah. well, and it's also by people who are like, they're there because of him. Like they, mm -hmm. like he had to walk so they could yes. run. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. There's someone needs to paint a picture of like Henry Kissinger, like kind of on the bow of the Titanic holding up uh, right. Dick Cheney with right. his arms right. spread wide. Oh, that yeah. feels nice. That feels real nice, Henry. You're so, you love your mm -hmm. form. Mm -hmm. Let me paint you. Kissinger walked so that Donald Rumsfeld could stagger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but that's going to be part six. Wow. Until then, Dave. What? Gareth. You got any pluggables to plug? I want to drink like Nixon. Um, yeah. We uh, <laughs> again uh, look at what We're capitalism gets Australia, us. Australia, like yeah, uh, we we will be invading the shores of Australia, uh, searching for their WMDs, which we believe are north, south, east, and west. Mm -hmm. um, you can go to dollappodcast.com and uh, I'll be also doing stand-up when we're there, and you can go to GarethReynolds.com for those stand-up dates. And we're also touring America this summer. Uh, sorry, we're touring the best country on Earth yeah. this summer. And you can go to DollarPodcast.com for all that information. Now, I should note here, y'all, that, that you guys have an ongoing, uh, an ongoing argument over, over whether or not Gare is an appropriate nickname for you, Gareth. And I, I felt like maybe we could bring in a negotiator mm -hmm. to help us to help us deal with this question. Sure. Um, so I'd like to introduce to the call Dr. Henry Kissinger. <laughs> oh my God. This is, oh, I, oh, I, I'm sorry I said all those horrible things. <laughs> Gary's a fine name. I think Gary works great. You look like a Gary a little bit. Mm -hmm. He's got his nice shorts on. 
<laughs> He's got those nut huggers. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you can see the outline. <laughs> you can see the whole bread basket. <laughs> Looks like a baby bird in a nest now, but it becomes a python when water starts. They should, they should call me Dick, shouldn't they, Dick Nixon? <laughs> Once the bombs hit the soil, I'll rip these babies. <laughs> I really hope people stopped listening at this point. I so, so desperately. I stopped, I stopped listening and I'm talking. <laughs> uh, all right, everybody. All right. We'll see you on Thursday. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. So this is episode six. You know, we're, what, eight hours into talking about Mr. Kissinger? Oh, and, God. And, uh, yeah. We, I'd we've love really... to meet me from eight hours ago. Like, Buddy. <laughs> it's like when Bill and Ted meet each other halfway through, and they don't mm-hmm. know the journey they're about to go upon. Yeah. <laughs> Buddy, buckle up. So the things, the thing that Kissinger gets the most credit for that we haven't mentioned, we've, we've talked about a bunch of the things that he gets credit for, is bringing guy. peace to the Middle East. Um, he does get credit for being that guy. Obviously, he did not d- do that. But hmm. he did play a significant role in stopping what had been a decades-long cycle of wars between Israel and the Arab nations around it. Now, to call that bringing peace would be ignoring a tremendous amount of ongoing violence against the Palestinian people. But... Kissinger did help ensure, like, you know how there were all these different, like, everyone would invade, yada, 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 there'd be a bunch of fighting. That doesn't really happen anymore, and Kissinger is part of why that doesn't happen anymore. Okay. The gist of it is that on October 6th, 1973, on Yom Kippur, um, Egypt and Syria launched a coordinated assault on Israel that for a time threatened the state's very existence. Kissinger had not spent much of his time working on Mideast-related stuff up to this point. This was partly because Nixon thought having a Jewish man negotiate with Arab countries would be a bad idea. Um, It was also because Kissinger was kind of buried in Vietnam stuff, right? But by October of 73, negotiations with uh, Hanoi had been concluded. U.S. forces had stepped back from an active role. And Kissinger had been awarded a Nobel Peace Prize with his Vietnamese counterpart, Lee Duc Tho. What? Absolutely. 
<laughs> what? Now, I can't. There's no counter argument. Absolutely. No, he, he nailed it. Um, what? <laughs> I mean, now, the Nobel Peace Prize really doesn't, I mean, they must hit sometimes. I'm just familiar with a lot of the no's, though. It seems mostly to be misses in my I experience. Mean, like, yeah. When he got it's... that, that's called the no yeah. Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> and, and you know who felt that way, Gareth? Lee Ducteau, who was also awarded the I'm Nobel sure. Peace Is Prize it, with wait, Kissinger. Uh, I don't yeah. want mine. I don't want mine. Yeah. He, he literally was like, no, I'm not going to take it. The war isn't over yet. Like, yeah. all he's done, all we've done is negotiate the U.S. no longer murdering people on the scale they had been. And he was like, in charge of it. Yeah. And it, specifically, he was angry because right before the armistice was signed, in order to, like, try and force Hanoi to agree on some points, Kissinger orchestrated a massive nighttime bombing campaign on Christmas of Hanoi. Um they didn't Merry bomb Christmas. on Christmas Day, just the day before and a bunch of the days after. But it gets called the Christmas bombing. We're campaign. worried we'll hit Santa. <laughs> I don't want that jolly blood on my hands. <laughs> so Lee Docto is like, I don't I'm not gonna take an award for peace with this guy. Yeah. Fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> so Kissinger accepted it alone. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> he's such a cool dude he's such a cool dude um, wow more credit for me <laughs> I can't believe I'm the only one who got it this year I must be really good at this stuff so yeah he's like the Conway, Kanye of the Nobel Peace Prize yeah right 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 <laughs> sorry you did great but Kissinger had the best war of all time of all time it would have been really funny if Henry Kissinger had like shoved Taylor Swift off stage excuse Just, me like, take, yeah. you had a great war you did great with peace but come on you're talking about the goat here baby <laughs> So by October of 73, Kissinger is free and clear and ready to get it on in the Middle East. And this actually went better than you might think. Weirdly enough, Henry Kissinger was probably one of the fairest negotiators the United States ever sent into that conflict. Hmm. In fact, he was more or less in constant tension with Israel because he would do stuff like try to halt arms shipments there. Like during the Yom Kippur War, right? Israel's on a back foot. They're in real danger of being overrun. They want U.S. weapons and like U.S. arms and a bunch more F-4 Phantom planes. And Nixon agrees to give them to him. But Kissinger's like, we're not giving them anything until they can arrange for commercial flights to ship the weapons to them. Because I don't want, I'm trying to negotiate with um, with Syria and Egypt. Wow. And if they see U.S. military aircraft landing in um, Jerusalem uh, to give the Israelis weapons, that's going to fuck up my negotiations. Oh. Uh, so, like, he's actually really unpopular with a lot of folks in Israel because he does stuff like this. Um, and, in fact, Kissinger's, and obviously... Like every U.S. negotiator in this conflict, Kissinger is more on Israel's side than anyone. Right. But he's, it's probably fair to say he is less on Israel's side than any other negotiator we ever put in there, which yeah, is well, like weird. Like fascinating. It yeah. sounds like he's the most progressive because, I mean, like, obviously we have, we could give a fuck now. Well, you know, he's not well, a Zionist, for one yeah. thing. He doesn't have, well, like, maybe, there's not a, you know, he's Jewish, but he's not yeah, really yeah. that, like, there. there is some amount of, like, as a Holocaust survivor, he believes strongly that, like, you know, Israel needs to exist. So he does have that going for him. Again, he eventually agrees to ship them weapons on U.S. planes after it becomes enough of an issue. But he, like, Still, is, that moment of principles, The though, fact huh? that there's, like, what any of that at all is yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, probably like a, he probably had like a little Nixon on his shoulder who was like, I know you're just going to be a Jew about this. And he was like, <laughs> no, I will not. Uh, Garrett, I will not devil Nixon. It's weird how plugged in you are to how Nixon reacts to everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly 
what goes He's the spirit president. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So Kissinger's best relationship in the Middle East wound up being with Anwar Sadat, the president of Egypt. The two like were legitimately good buddies. They would kiss each other on the cheek like oh, they man. liked each other. I'm um, finally found the one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Kissinger and Golda Meir, which was the leader of Israel, had a really contentious relationship. Um, at the end of the day, Kissinger, again, would always side with Israel on existential issues, but he wound up giving them a lot more shit than you might expect. Now, the fact that the U.S. eventually sends in arms turns the war around for Israel, which allows them, their forces to deal decisive blows to Egyptian and Syrian militaries. Uh, but once Israel was out of kind of the, the period of most risk for them as a state... Kissinger starts to push back on them even harder. He's particularly enraged at the fact that they kept attacking while he was trying to negotiate a ceasefire. Um, and again, his main concern here, this is not because he just like wants to stop the bloodletting. It's really important to him to negotiate a peace and it be seen as Henry Kissinger brought peace to the right. Middle East. Right. So he's pissed that they're fucking over his negotiations. Yeah. And he cares more about his reputation than he does about Israeli military success. They're forgetting about the people of Kissinger. Yes, exactly. <laughs> The real chosen people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when Israeli forces surround the Egyptian Third Army and encircle it, violating a ceasefire, Kissinger is livid. Um, and he, he's particularly angry. We're not getting as much into this aspect of his beliefs, but his whole thing in this period, the reason he organ like as we talk about in our China episode and this like three way diplomacy thing that he deals with, with China and the Soviet Union um he wants what's called a balance of power that's his whole thing he's he gets a credit he's a he's a big cold warrior obviously he overthrows a lot of communist governments but he's not one of these people who thinks we can eliminate communism instead he really wants like this balance of power and he wants a balance of power in the middle east between israel and her neighbors too and he's livid about in part that they violated the ceasefire but he's also worried that like well if the Israelis wipe out the Egyptian Third Army, that's going to mean Egypt is humiliated. And if mm -hmm. they're humiliated, Sadat can't actually make peace, and there's going to be another war. And I want to try and stop the next war. Plus, Which, we're again, BFFing he's, so hard right now. Yeah, we're so good friends. But he is, like, broadly on the right side of this. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Over the course of several chaotic days, he makes numerous trips between each of the belligerent nations in this war, negotiating with their heads of state. And one of his primary tactics is to mock whoever he'd just been talking to when he's in front of the next person. So, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is that guy. He's an MC. <laughs> yeah. When he's so when he's dealing with Hafez Assad or Anwar Sadat, this means talking shit about the Israelis and often Jewish people in general to get on their good side. Wow. So when Israel violates that ceasefire, he is heard to complain in a meeting, quote, if it were not for the accident of my birth, I would be anti-Semitic. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> On another occasion, he says, quote, and I need to remind you, this is a Holocaust survivor saying oh, this. Oh, boy. Any people who have been persecuted for 2,000 years must be doing something wrong. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> he fucking said that. Wow. Holy shit, man. We are, just, we are just such fucking assholes. I'm I just... Guys, listen, I'm on fire. I'm just riffing right now. This is some good thing. Write, someone write this down. Oh, don't yeah. worry. I'm wiretapping myself. He kills at the clubs in Damascus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
And yeah, he is actually like really popular with a not all because there are other we have quotes from other like people who are like particularly other Egyptian military leaders under Sadat who were like, well, Sadat's fallen for it. He's obviously just saying whatever he thinks will make us like him. Like, right. He doesn't clearly he can't believe this shit. He's just trying to like right. there are people who see through it, but he he's able to trick the folks who matter, which is, in this case are Sadat and, and Hafez. Right. Um. So all that aside, this period is, again, broadly speaking, the one where Kissinger does the most actual good. But it's worth noting that even when he's on the right side of things, I think negotiating an end to a war is generally the right thing to do when there's a war. Um, But even when he's on the right side of things, his ego plays a massive and often toxic role in how everything shakes out. See, while all this is going on, Nixon is barreling towards impeachment. And a big part of why he's constantly over there, like while all of the big milestones in the Watergate case hit, like when when Nixon is like ordering the cover up and shit and doing the things that will get him impeached, Kissinger's always away. Like he's Mm -hmm. like very studiously, as soon as the story breaks, like I need to be overseas as much as fucking possible. (laughs) So is it possible he's competently trying to negotiate Middle East peace because he's trying to save his own ass and doesn't Yeah, that is literally what's going on. Because he's he's not a dumb man. He sees that Nixon is fucked. So he's not. He doesn't. He's like, well, I can't just be doing nothing. Yeah. Listen, why don't I actually try to make this work? I guess I'm in a lot of trouble domestically. Yeah, I mean that's it. Like he wants to. Because part of it is he doesn't want to be near Nixon because Nixon's toxic. And part of it is like, well, if if the last thing everyone remembers about Henry while Nixon is going down is that he ended war in the Middle East, I'm going to keep being Secretary of State. You know, know? there's a friend of mine who had this theory when. he was like he said when or it might even be a bit i don't remember but like when he's in like a ride share he won't (laughs) talk and then the last two minutes he'll just take great interest so he leaves on a real high note Mm -hmm. and so it's like he's kind of like distant and not really doing much and then the last two minutes will be like oh that sounds great well good luck with your family and then so that's kind of like he's just trying to leave like yeah leave on a high note so the last thing he's gonna try to do is actually decent Mm -hmm. after a bunch of bullshit yeah when I when I enter a party I set off an IED at the start of it so everyone's really like shaken up but then at the end I hand out a six pack of beer and right that right. means everybody's like, hey, you know, what? that was the guy who dropped the idea. Oh, come on. He's the six pack guy, in my opinion. That's who that guy is. <laughs> that is how Henry Kissinger handles yeah. everything. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, again, but but here, here's the thing. The fact that like this is all existential for Henry, right? Ending the war in in between Israel and, and her neighbors is like. Uh, he 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 knows he has to do this or he's not going to keep his gig. Um, so not only is he trying to negotiate peace, but he can't let anyone else play a role in bringing peace to the Middle East. Right. Because this is how this is his job interview. And you know how Henry Kissinger treats job. You've seen what he'll do for a job interview, right? I I, name something he won't do to get a job. Yeah. I'd like to see that list. <laughs> So this becomes a problem when, while this is all going on, this Egyptian and Israeli general, you've got this massive encircled Egyptian army, the the Egyptian general in charge of that and the Israeli general, like, meet each other in the field between their armies and, like, sit down and start negotiating a ceasefire and figuring out how to pull, like, they start, like, talk wow. like people, like, it's one of these weird moments in military history where these guys are like, I think we can work something out. Hey, like, we don't need guy, to be doing this anymore. Who's that guy running? <laughs> quiet, you guys, be quiet! <laughs> quiet. Shut up! Shut the Shoot up. a bit! <laughs> Kill them, quick! So, Henry is enraged when he hears this happening, and he's... St- <laughs> 
What? And he starts again. All these people who, like, in any other situation, neither like an Israeli general or an Egyptian general in the 1970s, not guys you would expect to be the voices yeah. of reason, but because his, Kissinger's yeah. in the story. Yeah. yeah. Oh um, my god. So he starts maneuvering to make these guys shut the fuck up. Um, he sends a letter to the Israeli ambassador asking, what is Yarev, Yarev's the Israeli general, selling here? Tell him to stop. Suppose Yarev comes out a great hero on disengagement. What do you discuss on December 18th, which is the next round of negotiations? Oh, like, oh my, he, I mean, oh my God. He's I, such a... Yeah, I mean, it's just what a heinous asshole. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I mean, I feel like he could still tilt the credit towards him, but he's like, I want my fingerprints solely on yeah. this. I, I don't want to, like, get too into, like, what might have happened, because I'm not an expert on either Egyptian or Israeli military history. But you have to think, maybe it would have been good if, like, an Israeli general and an Egyptian general had, like, brought peace to the conflict. Probably. And, like, maybe that had, yeah, like, been part probably. of, like, the military legacy in the area. Might have been nice. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you realize we're, like, we're staring down the barrel of a tragedy right now. <laughs> I might not be recognized as the one who did this. <laughs> So, Kissinger, a biography, continues the story. Quote, At Kissinger's behest, both Sadat and Mayer reigned in their generals at the Kilometer 101 talks. That's like where this army is encircled. The Israeli ambassador, although a Kissinger partisan, felt that it was largely a matter of ego. Kissinger's view was that if any concessions were to be made, they should be made by him, Dinitz recalled. He was very upset when he found out that things were actually being settled by the generals at Kilometer 101. We had to make them stop. Ego was a weakness of his, but it was also the source of his greatness. Which I might quibble I, uh, with. But. Ego was <laughs> a weakness is understating. What? Yes. I would I would like to call it an airstrike. <laughs> can we can we kill both generals? I think we're gonna need to find new generals. These guys yeah. are getting along way too well and I didn't I wasn't there. Listen, Dick, I know the Watergate stuff has you, but c- can we invade both countries? For sure. <laughs> Will you come play at camp? Come play camp. <laughs> so, I, to his s- sort of credit, though, the peace that Henry helped negotiate to end the Yom Kippur War would prove to be durable, and it set up diplomatic relations between Egypt and Israel for the next time. There's this very powerful moment when, like, Golda Meir, because, like, Sadat still can't talk directly to Israel. There's a whole, like, diplomatic thing going on. Right. But he tells Kissinger to tell her, like, I'm taking off my military uniform and I'm never going to wear it again, basically. Like, things do, like, this is a really, like, good move in a lot of ways. Obviously, yeah. that you could say this also, like, paves the way for nobody ever coming to help the Palestinians again, which is worth noting. But it does bring an end to this series of, like, constant wars, um so yeah what an amazing risk to take though to be like you guys stop we'll do my version (laughs) we gotta do it my way way. (laughs) yeah the frank sinatra of middle east peace negotiations (laughs) that is kind of the reputation he gets because obviously this plays incredibly well for americans and so nick kissinger is seen as still this like massive hero even while this is a big part of why he's so popular even as the rest of the edmund goes down in flames Now, this inaugurates a period of what comes to be known as shuttle diplomacy. That's a a term you'll hear associated with Kissinger all the time. And it's him flying all these different countries in the Middle East and in Africa, him flying from like capital to capital for weeks on end doing these negotiations where he's always the man in the center of things. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Henry actually kind of grew addicted to throwing himself in the middle of international crises and flying nonstop between capitals to do these negotiations. It was this and the popularity he earned from being seen as a peacemaker that guaranteed him to keep his job in Ford's cabinet. Uh. One of the few upsides to Kissinger's career prior to the 70s is that he hadn't really fucked with Africa to any appreciable degree. Now, this is not because Henry Kissinger would have an issue with fucking with Africa, but it is because the U.S., like, we didn't have a huge footprint in the continent until the 60s. You know, I'm that's so just not. swamped right now. Like, There's so much time. going on. So many countries yeah. to ruin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is like him learning Spanish. He just never found yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. I, look, I, I've been, maybe when I'm a little older and I get the chance, I can ruin Africa, but yeah. my God. So, um, yeah, the, the U.S. footprint in uh, Africa started up when the CIA, in like the early 60s, I think, when the CIA murdered or allowed other people to murder, it's a little unclear, Patrice Lumumba, the left-wing democratically elected leader of the Congo. The U.S. backed a right-wing general, well, e even calling him, like, right and left are less useful terms in this, but we back a general called Joseph Mobutu, who proceeded to spend the next couple decades robbing the country blind. Uh, it seems like a pattern. Yeah, it happened. It's it's weird that it keeps happening all the time. Um, while there was other U.S. fuckery in Africa throughout the 60s and early 70s, it stayed at a fairly low ebb until April of 1975 when Saigon fell to North Vietnam, now known as just Vietnam. Mm -hmm. 1975 was known by some in the media as the Year of Intelligence, not because any particularly good decisions were being made, but because Congress was investigating the presidency over Watergate, and there was this big flood of public questions about clandestine foreign actions carried out under the aegis of Cold War politics. A lot of the stuff we were talking about in episodes like 2, 3, and 4 had started to leak by this point, and so people are like, there's this big national discussion about like, well, what the... F what should we be doing all the should we have like a CIA like should we maybe and there are like the CIA gets like I, the there's a reforming of the CIA that occurs in this oh, period that you can and it yeah you can question the degree to which it mattered and it helped. um yeah it may have made them less good at doing the bad things that they did um but not for lack of trying hard, hard to imagine it's the the reform in the CIA is the difference between overthrowing Salvador Allende and those like U.S. guys pissing themselves in Venezuela after getting like arrested by fishermen. Right. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> wow. Um, for Henry Kissinger, though, the year of intelligence was a year where he, he spent trying to reorient the United States towards a new anti-communist conflict. His target this time was the nation of Angola. Now, Angola is a mid-sized African nation located on the southwest coast of the continent, directly under the Congo and directly above Namibia. It's close enough to South Africa to get fucked with, but not so close that they can just send troops right over the border, you know, mm -hmm. which is a better place to be than directly bordering South Africa in this period. In 1961, the people there decided to have themselves a good old-fashioned war of independence, which lasted 13 years, killed tens of thousands of people, and only ended when a coup overthrew the dictator of Portugal. Now, this coup was, by the way, very weird. Most sources will describe it as a left-wing coup against the dictator. The reality is a lot more muddled. The guy who winds up in charge of Portugal on paper is a monocle-wearing general um, who's like a I, real... I love him already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm in. I'm and in. he's what? not really he's... leftist, but uh, the powers behind him are some very left-wing army officers. 
They form a new democratic government, which includes several elected communist leaders. So Portugal has like elected communist deputies now. Okay. Henry Kissinger flips the fuck out at this. He is certain the country will fall to Soviet influence. Interestingly, like this detente he's worked at with the Soviets, a big part of it is that this idea that like, well, the Soviets have their sphere of influence in the East and we have like the West has its sphere of influence in Western Europe. And the Soviets kind of hold to that here because they don't get involved in Portugal. They don't like try to make push things further in their direction. Henry is uh, like convinced they're going to and is absolutely wrong. Because, he caught paranoia from Nixon. He was like, well, ah. yeah, yeah. Um, Portugal eventually elects other people. Like, again, the government stays fairly left wing by his standards. But like it does not, as you might notice, it does not join the Iron Curtain, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> like oh. it's, yeah. <laughs> Kissinger is just like, there's, we have some quotes from him. He's absolutely certain that like they're about to go full Stalinist. Um, because again, he's wrong about most things, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he does not have a good understanding of like what's going to happen anywhere. No, it's just almost at this point he's hung around so long that you're kind yeah. of just like, I guess he must. I mean, he won a Nobel yeah. Peace Prize. Like, you're like, he must know something. You, I think it's worth looking at, like, what happens, like, Henry's expectations for what's going to happen in Portugal versus what happens, and then think back to Chile, where, like, Henry's right. like, oh, Allende is going to lead to, they're going to go full communist, and yeah. it's going to be, you know. No, maybe if Allende had stayed in power, uh, there just wouldn't have been a dictator, and things would have been fine, and, and they would have had a lot less problems and, than and they And let's see the communist version on play out. How many people yeah. die in the communist version? Yeah, I, probably the, less. The puppets that we put in power are not like these amazing like peacekeepers. It's just it's just like we everyone yeah. we're like the Midas of genocides. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the biggest international result of the coup is that the new Portuguese government had no stomach for colonies, right? Uh, they negotiate a treaty with the three largest militant groups in Angola in 75. Uh, these were the FNLA, the MPLA and UNITA. Um, the non-acronym names of all these groups are in French. I am, I'm not, I'm not even going to try Dave, that. Dave, Dave, like, you can do it. Dave has a absolutely, absolutely not. <laughs> um, I, what you need to know is that the MPLA were Marxists, right? Um, kind of Marxists. They were formed, at least the, the organization had been formed by members of Angola's intelligentsia who were Marxist and Marxism had like a big influence on the MPLA. Um, unfortunately, like, yeah. Meanwhile, like kind of, so that's one faction. The FNLA and UNITA are, are generally described as being right-wing groups, but this is one of those things where like grafting Western political terms onto the civil war in Angola right. mm -hmm. does not work great. Um, right. All of these groups, even the ostensibly Marxist MPLA, are very tribal in origin. And by that, I mean like they are based on specific tribal grievances and tribal like like arguments, right, that are going on in the region, um, as opposed to like being clearly like, well, we're pro communist we're anti-communist like that's really less of what's going on we're getting shirts uh, made yeah right. <laughs> yeah um for an example of how useless a strict ideological it lens is here unita was initially very left-wing in its messaging attacking the united states as quote the notorious agents of imperialism unita's True. fighters were literally trained by north korean soldiers but by uh. the end of the civil war in angola they had been receiving arms from the reagan administration for uh. years brokered <laughs> via their paid representative paul manafort oh my god so, what the oh, hell that's yes. the kind of war where this is where like United starts off being like we're going to end American imperialism and by the end they're like Paul Manafort get us weapons you, if you're going to a party get next to this Manafort yeah. character he is a good time and yeah for just like to show you how weird this is technically in the Angolan civil war Paul Manafort and North Korea are on the same side <laughs> 
I feel like Paul Manafort's 250 years old. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and by the end, it is fair to say that, like, by the end of the Civil War, Unita's, like, leader, Jonas Savimbi, is calling himself an anti-communist. That's his messaging. But he's less about anti-communism than, again, there's specific local grievances he has with the MPLA. And, like, that's more why they're fighting than that he, like, believes strongly in anti-communism. Is he, he just knows of, that's how you get weapons. Right, you know? okay, that's yeah. what, right. He's just yeah. speaking the language, right. Yeah, and when North Korea is training his guys, he's not... Uh, into Juche, you right. know, he's, he's like, he wants the dudes to train his guys. Yeah, yeah, right. Now, the FNLA is led by a guy named, and that's the other usually called a right-wing faction, is led by a guy named Holden Roberto, who used to work with Savimbi before Savimbi f- formed Unita. I know this is a very complicated conflict, I'm sorry. Um, they're generally described as, like, right-wing, and they did receive aid from the CIA, so that would, like, okay, yeah, definitely right-wing getting yep. aid from the CIA. They also got military aid from China, Romania, India, Algeria, Zaire, the AFL-CIO, and the Ford Foundation, or at least aid of some sort. They're so, like, again, like, the like, sides here are just fucking baffling. They're like the Tinder <laughs> swindler. They're just, yeah. like, working every side. Yeah, China, the CIA, and the AFL-CIO I mean, shaking uh, hands uh, over uh, backing yeah, the FNLA. Agreement, yeah. <laughs> it's like Big Brother. Wait, you guys here too? I didn't know yeah. you were here. That's amazing. Uh, wait, oh, the I'm Ford mad. Foundation. <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> The MPLA, which these, again, are the kind of Marxist guys, and if you're uh, of the three factions, they are the ones who most do believe in, like, a political thing that, like, we would recognize in terms of, like, left-right sides. They are partly armed by the Soviet Union, which should not be surprising, but most of their military aid comes from Cuba. And we're not really going to get into it, but it's worth noting, like, how substantial Cuban aid is to the MPLA. Cuba starts sending soldiers to Angola in November of 75, and by 1988, they had more than 55,000 soldiers in the country. Wow. And, like, that's a trek. I don't know if you guys know this, but Cuba yeah, and the yeah. West Coast of Africa, not super close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a bit walk. of a jaunt. Yeah. <laughs> and that's also a long involvement. You know, they're in there more than a decade. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of commitment here. So yeah. as is generally It's actually the case, Cuba now, to be yeah. fair. So. <laughs> as is generally the case, all of the communists were not in agreement about Angola. The People's Republic of China did not particularly care about like a left-wing struggle in Angola. They wanted to keep Soviet power on, at bay on a continent where they were starting to do some business themselves. So China and the U.S. worked together to support the FNLA and UNITA. This is exactly the sort of thing Kissinger had been going for when he pushed to connect the U.S. diplomatically to China. I want to quote now from a write-up by Maria Gouda of Wilfrid Laurier University. Quote, This was part of Kissinger's grand strategy of triangular diplomacy. Triangular diplomacy was essentially the U.S. exploiting the relationship between communist China and the Soviet Union to create a three-way detente between the countries, with the U.S. at the helm. Kissinger was not pushing for covert operations through the CIA in order to elevate American standing in China, because Nixon and Kissinger were orchestrating something larger. This was to use China as a counterweight against the Soviets. Kissinger's emphasis on triangular diplomacy caused him to view regional conflict in terms of involvement on the Chinese and the Soviets, not in terms of a local struggle. So he very much sees this as a battleground between different ideologies. But anyone who knows anything about the Angola Civil War knows that like, no, that's not really what's going on. Like everyone is like everyone is in here. And it is certainly not like about what kind of political shit individual parties believe. 
Um, yeah. yeah, the side you can't graft these easily onto like a Western axis. But as Isaacson writes, Angola became, quote, a vivid example of Kissinger's tendency to see complex local struggles in an East-West context. <laughs> in all respect to Kissinger, wrote Jonathan Quitney in his study of the Angolan War, one really has to question the sanity of someone who looks at an ancient tribal dispute over control of distant coffee fields and sees it as a Soviet threat to the security of the United States. <laughs> I mean, what a guy. Yeah. <laughs> to be able to- it's like, I mean, it's also, I mean, it's it's so, again, I mean, the ego on this fucking dude mm-hmm. to be able to just go into thing, co- massive conflicts, have no clue, and make it that binary and think that he's doing anything. I, I mean, he's just, he's just so emboldened. Yeah, he's emboldened. He just like, he's so arrogant that he's like, well... Would I you guys do to... me a favor? Could some of you wear red shirts and some of you wear blue so we could kind of start? Let's do shirt skins, huh? Yeah, I don't need to, like, I, Henry Kissinger, don't need to, like, understand the actual dimensions of why these sides are fighting. Yeah. I can just assume that it graphs onto every other conflict I've ever cared about. Yeah, knowledge is weakness. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like, he's not the only American to be arrogant in this specific way about a conflict in Africa, right? But he's the last. (laughs) He's the last one. He would be the last. Thank God. Since then. So CIA funding for uh, UNITA and the FNLA was initially quite low, but Kissinger pushed for an escalation. And soon the agency had poured $22 million in covert support for both of these groups. Kissinger felt they were thinking small, though. He believed that after suffering a public defeat in Vietnam, U.S. foreign policy needed a comeback. And Uh, Angola was... Yeah, baby! Yeah! Yeah. And what a better place than Angola. Everybody cares. (laughs) Every American's like, what are we doing in Angola? You're gonna love my new stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The problem with (laughs) Vietnam is that it was too distant from American concerns. Angola! (laughs) That's it. That's the problem. Now, he, yeah, so he believes that, like, Angola's gonna be our fucking comeback tour. It's the equivalent of, I don't know, <sighs> one, one of the times, uh, Elton John did a, did a, did a farewell yeah. tour. I guess, hey, yeah, yeah, something, yeah, something yeah. like that. He's on his night. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities between Henry Kissinger and Elton John's musical career. <laughs> yeah. Bombing and the Jets. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm hmm. <laughs> Yeah, actually, Tiny Dancer, that song is about uh, is right. about Henry Kissinger. Yeah, he is the <laughs> Tiny Dancer. Um, he's, he, is, he is a little guy. So, yeah, uh, Kissinger wants to prove that the United States is still a global power, and he also wants to prove that Henry Kissinger has, like, is still a Secretary of State with some teeth, oh, you know? God. He's just, like, seeded a bunch to the fucking, in these negotiations with Vietnam. He's we need kind to of, bring peace of mind to Henry Kissinger! Yeah! He is like, everyone is going to see Vietnam as an L for me. (laughs) So, I need a win, baby. So, yeah, you could kind of see his attitude in Angola as, like, the powerful sociopath version of buying a sports car to impress, like, 20-year-olds. Like, when you're, you know, an old man. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. right. He's in his midlife war crisis. And the people around Kissinger are a lot less bullish about escalating involvement in Angola. Uh, and in fact, this includes like the fucking CIA. But they had really big shoes to fill, to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're just like, we don't want any part of this He's right like, now. Wow, you guys are really negative. <laughs> you guys, it's Angola. It's Angola. It's like, where is the wind? 
gonna be a fucking hole in one, baby. <laughs> in June of 75, Kissinger holds a meeting with President Ford, the Defense Secretary, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and the head of the CIA. They discuss the invasion of Angola, and while most of that meeting is still classified, we know Kissinger urged what he called a diplomatic offensive. Quote, if we appeal to the Soviets to not be active, it will be a sign of weakness. He played on stereotypes of Africa as mysterious and wild, claiming it is an area where no one can be sure of its judgments. Next, Gouda writes, quote, Revealing his talent for manipulation, Kissinger used daunting and dramatic language to illustrate the situation in Angola as he saw it. By giving the impression that there was no way to tell how the Angolan civil war would play out, Kissinger pushed forward the idea that the U.S. had better get involved in Angola through tangible or covert means before it was too late. The U.S., through the CIA, needed to support the FNLA and unite it to, rep- to it prevent the dominance of the Soviet-backed MPLA. This view wholly disregards the idea that the Angolan civil war was indeed that, a civil war. Kissinger was positioned Angola in a wider East versus West context. Oh my goodness, you got Biggie, you got Tupac, these guys. <laughs> I mean, the, only the United States can want to be, in, like, only the United States can be sold on getting involved in a conflict where he's like, we have no clue what's going on, so we gotta get our hats <laughs> We're gonna really real throw our dicks in this we one. Like, Come on, guys, let's get moving. It could be crazy. And this is one where, like, the U.S. actually doesn't really want to get involved. Like, this Kissinger is the one pulling everyone else in here. He's a marketing now, wizard. Yeah. And, and based on his urgings, the CIA comes up with a plan called IA Feature. Um, it was a covert para- paramilitary operation in which U.S. military advisors and special forces would be sent to Angola in a manner basically identical to how U.S. involvement in Vietnam started. Okay. Kissinger's literally like, let's do that again, baby. Yeah. Uh, let's see. It go- goes pretty good when we do it. <laughs> this this is how I get to bomb Namibia. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's on my vision board. <laughs> he has dreams of flattening the Congo. Um, oh, I woke up, I thought that I had done it. Now, despite the fact that the CIA did come up with this plan at his behest, there's intense resistance within the agency, a lot of whom think Kissinger has lost his fucking mind. Has lost. And thus, CIA Director William Colby joins our pantheon of bad guys who seem reasonable because Henry Kissinger is involved. Right. (laughs) So, Colby is like pretty rattled by how Vietnam ended. Um, and also by the fact that there's all these congressional inquiries into like the CIA doing a bunch of other terrible shit, right? They're actively being investigated right now. Right. So this isn't Colby being a good guy. This is Colby being like, oh, I don't want to drive when I've got, you know, shit in the car, basically, right? right? Yeah. Like I'm holding you know, right now. You know what? Honestly, yeah. any any other time, I'm just fucking Angola mm-hmm. like crazy. Like I'm just mm-hmm. fucking going nuts, but it's just not the right time. We got a right, lot of people right now. At us. Yeah. He's the guy who's like, He's like, Kissinger's like on a casino floor and he's been cheating and like the security's <laughs> gathered and they're whispering and pointing at him. He notices and he's still playing. Yeah, he keeps going. <laughs> he's going to let it ride say? on black one more time. How many times yeah. do I have to say hit me? <laughs> so the 40 committee, which again, Kissinger heads, approves IA feature. But William Colby is like, okay, but I'm going to insist we actually go to Congress to have the funds appropriated Who's for this Cong- secret option. Oh, that branch? Those guys? What? <laughs> Are they still here? Oh my God. <laughs> you are old-fashioned, Colby. 
So while Kissinger argues for his covert operators, South Africa sends troops in to support the FNLA and UNITA, who had again originally been trained by North Korea. So there's FNLA troops who receive training from both South Africa and North Korea. Jeez. This is just a very weird war. So China has the reaction we're all having and is like, you know what? This is too messy for me. I, I, I don't even need this right now. Like I got other shit going on. Right. And they kind of bounce from the situation. Okay. <laughs> the Soviets and the Cubans, though, extend more aid to the MPLA, who win the war handily and ex- install themselves in the capital, Luanda, by the end of 1975. So a few weeks after this, the CIA holds an interagency working group meeting with Kissinger to discuss how to ask Congress to send in U.S. advisors. And like at this point, the war is lost and there's Kissinger's like, no, we got to get some guys in there. Come on, guys. Um, (laughs) No one else wants this, right? They're all, everyone else is like, this seems like way more of a hassle. He's showing up to the party at like 2.45 (laughs) a.m. Come on, let's keep going. Let's do shots. What do you mean the keg's tapped? (laughs) Yeah, the CIA is already puking from how much they've had to drink in Vietnam and (laughs) Chile and shit. Who wants to do tequilas? Come on, I brought absinthe. Let's go. (laughs) Poopers. So Kissinger, or so yeah, they they have this meeting um, and like, so Kissinger has a meeting with uh one of the like a guy in this with this a bunch of people and then like they hold a separate meeting afterwards with the CIA mm-hmm. um about what Kissinger had said so like so, so they're so basically the side meetings on Kissinger now yeah so basically <laughs> they present Kissinger with a report on like what would have to be done to send U.S. advisors into Angola and Kissinger reads the report and rather than giving a yes or a no he grunts and walks out of his office wow. so after this all of these CIA guys have to sit down and decide like what does Henry Kissinger grunting mean we've bought like, in was our this a yes or a no this yeah, guy is bought- really good at deciphering <laughs> what Henry grunts mean well gentlemen it was a pretty long grunt which is never good. <laughs> Uh, he, it's a sigh grunt, which for Henry means he's a little agitated. <laughs> I'm going to quote about ta- writing about this meeting, Kissinger, a biography by Walter Isaacson. Everyone found this rather disconcerting, especially since Kissinger was heading off for Beijing. Well, someone asked, was it a positive grunt or a negative grunt? Mokahi paused. Ah. It was just a grunt, he explained. Like, oomph. I mean, Mm. it didn't go up or down. Stockwell, the agent in charge, marveled as a group of somber (laughs) officials supervising the nation's only extant war, sat around a table trying to decipher a Kissinger grunt. Mulcahy provided his imitation of the grunt once again, emphasizing its flatness. Someone else at the other end of the table tried it. There were a few experiments (laughs) contrasting positive grunts with the voice rising, then a negative one with the voice falling. Different people attempted it. Well, asked the CIA officer who was chairing the meeting, do we proceed with the advisors? Mokahi scowled and puffed on his pipe. We'd better not, he finally said, trying to decipher his boss's mind. Kissinger just decided not to send Americans into the Sinai. There were a lot of nods. The request for advisors was shelved. It was an amazing way to run a war, Mokahi said years later as he recalled the incident. Oh, yeah. By the way, this is they accidentally wrote a home improvement script at the end of this. <laughs> This is actually where the, the pilot genesis, to that show came from. Of, of Tim the Tool Man Taylor. It was, it was like, uh, no, no, it was like, yeah. Uh, uh, okay, I like that. That sounds a little more positive. Yeah. It's just like, what a moment for the United States. Well, All these I mean, fucking spooks with blood on their hands being yeah. like, well, let's, was it like, uh, or like, uh, you know? I mean, I mean, because you do, at least at some point in your existence, 
for the most part, you do believe that when someone is saying the Central Intelligence Agency, that it is really like working yeah. on intelligence and, ga- and and is intelligent and is a body that is actually, you know, processing information that potentially you don't have access to. And instead, they're just sitting around a fucking table going like, do the grunt again, Jim. Yeah. It do really, the grunt it, like, again. It, it reveals. And this is, I think, where a lot of folks on the left kind of mix up viewing the CIA as like hyper competent. Yeah. And it's where a lot of people everywhere fuck up viewing Kissinger as hyper competent. Like, yeah. no, they have a lot of power and they use it badly. But like at the end of the day, Kissinger doesn't have the balls to like say yes or no on something. And so he grunts. And then all of these fucking, again, bloody handed monsters spend an entire meeting like repeating the grunt and trying to figure hey. out if it means yes or no. Like, and and there's no like it's so unchecked. I mean, yeah. like there you there and it's it is still is that. It but it's just there's nobody there to be like, "Hey, this is fucking nuts." Yeah. Instead they're like, "Do the grunt again." Try the grunt again. <laughs> yes or no? Not, D- ah. Dan had the best grunt. D- Dan do it again cuz I want to play it slow for everyone. Oh. Oh. That's yeah, a maybe to me, bro. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I, while I think it sounds ambivalent, having known Henry for a little while, he's pissed. So the CIA's request for another $28 million in funding and the discussion of sending in advisors was again leaked to Seymour Hirsch. Congress cut off all aid. Uh, he, obviously, he puts out an article about it. Congress right. cuts off aid to Angola as a result of this. Kissinger does not get his way, but the CIA money he'd already funneled into Unita helped the group stay alive. The Angolan Civil War did not officially end until 2002. Although, again, this is one of those things. (laughs) This is a really nasty civil war. It lasts a ridiculous (laughs) amount of time. Kissinger gets a lot of the blame. But we should also note that, like, Paul Manafort is much more on this. Like, he is the guy. Manafort's the guy who brings Savimbi to D.C. and gets Reagan to send a fuckload of weapons over to, like, really escalate things. Um, Thank God for Reagan. Yeah. Thank God for Reagan. But mm-hmm. it, it is amazing that this fucking goes on until 2002. I, I, crazy. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, uh, what a legacy. Mm-hmm. What a legacy. So I have teased y'all that Kissinger has a Rhodesia connection. Um, and yet again, the funniest thing about this is that it's one of the least fucked up things he's ever involved in. But the story is kind of funny, so I'm going to tell it anyway. Okay. So. In Rhodesia, you've got this country where about 8% of the population at the height of, like, white population in Rhodesia, about 8% of them are white, but they hold effectively 100% of the political power. This obviously <laughs> is not something a lot of the black people living there like. Sure. <laughs> For reasons sure. I don't think I need to explain. No. So some of them decide to fight back, and there's a number of rebel groups, and soon in an ugly insurgent war between the Rhodesian government, which, by the way, is an international pariah, right? They're, like, actually not supposed to exist, basically. Um, so no one can legally sell them arms, so everything has to get, like, smuggled through South Africa, and the Soldier of Fortune magazine winds up sending a bunch of fighters over, William F. Buckley Jr., or William F. Buckley raises money for them, yada, 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 very nasty war. We've talked about it in other episodes. The GoFundMe Um, war. Yeah, it is is a GoFundMe war. So by the time Kissinger is in office, the white minority government of Rhodesia has spent years locked into the losing side of a grinding insurgent campaign. The international community widely condemns Rhodesia as an apartheid state, uh, and there's a bunch of arms embargoes. Um, and in fact, pretty much everyone hates Rhodesia except for South Africa and the U.S. right wing, who hmm. see the Rhodes as anti-communist crusaders. Sure. Kissinger was locked into an awkward position here. He wanted to negotiate an end to the fighting and an end to the white supremacist government of Rhodesia, 
but he also doesn't want to piss off his right wing base too much. You know, this sure. is like a really messy no, I mean, situation again, for him. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so Tough. policy towards Rhodesia in the Nixon years. Um, there's a plan Nixon approved for South Africa in 1969 that is like U.S. policy in Rhodesia for nearly a decade, and it is literally called. I am sorry for saying this, but Nixon calls U.S. plans like the U.S. stance towards Rhodesia quote the tar baby option. Oh, my okay. I gotta God. Go. <laughs> See you guys later. Yes. Yes, Thanks out. for uh, having me on the podcast. Oh, my God. Oh, at Fucking least there's Nixon. no... I mean, at least there's no stream of white supremacy through American power. No, this was the one time. It's like... I can't believe the guy fucking recorded himself for yeah, like <laughs> this is not just recorded himself. This isn't just like Nixon saying a slur in a conversation with his buds. No, yeah, this title, is official a U.S. Pitch. government yeah. policy. Yeah, pitches. Yeah, we write this out places. Um, Someone wrote God it down. Damn. It was like, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll hand it in if you're sure, Mr. President. Well, oh, it seems pretty good to me. And this is this is not just towards Rhodesia. This is towards all of like South Africa too. The, these like white minority governments in Africa. And the premise is that quote, the whites are here to stay, and the only way that constructive change can come is through them. So I mean, oh, it's so, uh, and it really hasn't changed that much. We just have fancier titles. Yeah, we're, we we don't put the slurs right in the title. Anymore. Yeah, no, yeah. we don't record the president and we don't put the slurs in the title. So the policy is sold to American liberals and moderates by basically saying the only way to liberate black Africans is to improve their economic outcomes through trade. And that means dealing with the white governments, right? Because uh, we're just, it's yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's really bleak. It's we really just changed bleak. it to tech. We've just changed yeah. it to tech, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We would maintain, the document declared, public opposition to racial repression, but relax political isolation and economic restrictions on the white states. I mean, it's fucking crazy. Like, you know, the problem here is that people don't like the 8% white people that run the entire fucking place. It's one of those, we we continue and we'll always have debates over like sanctions and like when they're good and bad ideas. But the argument here is that like we can't sanction South Africa and Rhodesia because it'll hurt black people. And the degree to which that's a lie is that like, well, you're saying we have to start selling them fucking weapons so that they can oppress black people in order to improve economic <laughs> outcomes for black people. Right. And perhaps that's fucking insane. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, uh-huh. It's a little more nuanced than that by not by a lot. So, not much. Not much. Yeah. To his credit, when Nixon is out and Ford is in, Kissinger kills the racial slur option, and he authors a new plan, one that is a lot better and that is actually focused on spirited opposition to white minority rule in Rhodesia. Kissinger gives a big speech in Lusaka that immediately enrages the right wing of the Republican Party. Basically, he's like, our plan, like under Ford, we want to bring an end to the government in Rhodesia. Like this government cannot <laughs> and the be allowed. Right to wing is to like exist. unbelievable. Yes, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Ronald over seven percent of the populace. <laughs> you can't disenfranchise seven percent of Rhodesia. Have you seen the color of their goddamn skin? <laughs> that is essentially what Ronald Reagan says. Um, uh. He denounces Kissinger's plan as undercutting the possibility of a quote just and orderly settlement, and argues that it will provoke a massacre of white people. Boy, so, I mean, you want to have a head-popping moment. Try to find yeah. a good guy in a Reagan-Kissinger debate. It is. <laughs> it is an amazing fight. Uh, it's, where it's just like, well, yeah. Well, 
I we hate should, everyone involved in this. We should <laughs> yeah. pay more attention to the white people. I think we need to be careful. I feel like you're both conning me into something. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah. like you guys are good cop, bad copping, and you're working for the same outcome. Look, Henry, I'm not 100% sure why I think you're wrong in this, but you must be. Yeah. The other guy's got to be wrong, too, though, so, so I don't really know what to do I here. I don't trust Reagan and hate him, but Kissinger, you're the worst person on the planet. <laughs> So I'm in what I'd call a bit of a pickle. Yeah. This is a doozy of an issue. I'm going to need to go in the other room and do some grunting. Yeah. So, he, yeah. What's happening here is that Kissinger is trying to wrench U.S. government policy in Africa away from supporting explicitly racist regimes in Africa. And Reagan <laughs> because and the right he's like wing trying under to like, yeah. He's trying to get like into a country club or something. There's got to be some yeah, angle well, of... It, it, I mean, obviously, it's the same reason he does anything, right? He wants yeah. to be seen as being the guy who negotiates right. the, into these big issues. And he's yeah. trying to... I think he recognizes by this point that like, well... Republicans aren't going to stay in power forever, but I, Henry Kissinger, want to have a shot at, right. at being in power still. And maybe if I if I get rid of this bad government in Rhodesia, people will be like, Henry K, let's give him a gig, you know? Right. Like, he accidentally stumbles into yes. the proper outcome because personally he wants to end it. And so he sees the way to end it is actually the the way that's good it's like, the it's rare not, we're we're lining up henry's personal interests with a prudent solution and yeah that happened that eclipse is very rare yeah it's he's like a guy who like stops a home invader from mo- murdering a family but but it, but it's later be- found out that it's because he was hitting on a 15 year old girl like he was trying to flirt with their daughter and stuff like it's, right. it's like right. that sort of situation where right. it's like well good I guess like he stops yeah. a robbery because mm-hmm. he was peeping through a window that he fell through <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it is it is hard to find the moral lesson to right. take out of this right. um so yeah um. Obviously, the Reagan right loses their minds over what Kissinger's doing here. Pat Buchanan, a former Nixon speechwriter, oh, writes in a column, quote, It is too early to determine if Secretary of State Henry Kissinger's safari through black Africa Ugh. did greater damage to U.S. policy interests or to President Ford's hopes in the remaining primaries. <laughs> I mean, again, I like I, you just it needs to stop where like this this never ending. What does it do to your reelection chances? Shit. Mm-hmm. It's like we, we are so conditioned to that being how we operate and do everything as opposed to actually just trying to do the thing that does long term good. And well, why would you do the thing that is long-term good? Is my uh, question, Gareth? Exactly. Yeah, you're right. You're exactly. right. Uh, I, I mean, it's true, but it's I, like I don't know. It's just it's a foregone conclusion now that everything is viewed through the prism of what does it do to the poll numbers? Can I just say, take off your masks? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so Kissinger did not achieve a tremendous amount in Rhodesia while he was Secretary of State. He got Ian, Ian Smith, who's the, the leader of Rhodesia, to agree to a two-year turnover from minority rule to an actual democracy. But the way he did this was by assuring Smith that black moderates had agreed that during the turnover, whites would remain in control of the military and police. Feels, this was a lie. The it, black people in Rhodesia, like, the, like the, the, the black moderates in Rhodesia had never agreed to this. He's just lying uh, to Smith to get him to agree to this. Um, awesome. It also and the feels whole, like anytime there's yeah. like a two-year deal Mm -hmm. that you're like that's just your way of like letting it sort of settle so that you can pushing you the fuckery exactly yeah Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's, the story of the negotiations is classic Kissinger. He's telling everyone what they want to hear and then kind of weaseling his way into getting people to sign things that make him look good. This write-up from the New York Times sums it up well. Mr. Smith has said he agrees to the five-point plan he made in public because he had received assurances from Mr. Kissinger that the black leaders had accepted the whole package, including Mr. Smith's addition on, white on the white ministers. In his view, either the blacks have reneged or Mr. Kissinger misled him. The blacks, such as President Julius Nyerere of Tanzania, insist that they did not give their approval to the details of the five-point plan, only to the general thrust of majority rule in two years, leaving it to Britain to work out details later with black and white Rhodesians. Oh they say they would have rejected the proposal for white ministers. Mr. Kissinger and his aides have been evasive. On October 24th, Mr. Kissinger said on television that, I think everybody is telling the truth. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> what an incredible guy! <laughs> wow. That is the best, that is the best bullshit statement I've ever it's, fucking it's heard. It's so much better than, I believe I'm not sure, or I don't or know. Or everyone's lying. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. I think who is, everyone who is, is the bad guy in Rhodesia. Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> I think everybody's everybody really, really good? Everyone's really Why? cool. Why now, do you need a bad guy? <laughs> in the end, the talks collapsed. The war continued on for two more years until the Rhodesian strategic fuel reserve was blown up by insurgents and the government was forced to the table. Kissinger and his supporters would later claim that the eventual peace was negotiated on the terms laid out during Kissinger's negotiations. That's kind of questionable. Sure. It's probably it is fair to say that the sh that by coming in very strongly, and he was very unequivocal about condemning the government of Rhodesia by doing this as the Secretary of State, Kissinger caused a shift that led to a significant increase in trust of the U.S. by Black African nations. Um, no wonder by, Reagan by, was so pissed nations, off. You know, yeah, obviously. <laughs> so it's, it's one of his. Better moves from an ethical standpoint. But it's um, an ego move still, right? It, it, uh, yeah. Everything is an ego yeah, move. Right. And obviously, it, it's, an, it's a, a sign of how much more fucked up things become that doing this broadly good thing causes the beginning of the end of his career in politics. Um, <laughs> oh. Of course. It's and like, we're you can't help, <laughs> can't help the black people. That's it. You're done. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's it for you, Kissy. But to be fair, it worked for me. That's why I did it. We know, Henry, <laughs> but we know, buddy. Uh, but you know what won't <laughs> fail to bring peace to Rhodesia? What's that? The sponsors of this podcast oh. who orchestrated the destruction of the Rhodesian Strategic Fuel My Reserve. God. Mm -hmm. That that is we are sponsored entirely Heroes. by by the Rhodesian rebel forces. Um here's an ad. Ah, we're back. Good stuff. Yes. Good times. So, yeah, on the whole, Kissinger's last year or so as Secretary of State involved his least number of war crimes per month, which Ugh. might point to personal growth, but probably points to the fact that he and Nixon had just exhausted the U.S. government's ability to do shady shit. Sad. We needed a breather, right? We had to take yeah. a breather. It took us a few years to get geared up for Reagan, you know? Sad. He's like, he's been... Go ahead, Dave. We've just killed so many. There's like no... Mm -hmm. Like He's, when do we we dig up we dig them up and kill them again? Like it's mm -hmm. hard. <laughs> we, we're out of ammunition. He's like a, he's no longer a starting QB. He's being mm -hmm. traded. He's riding the pine. Yeah, he's got like he yeah he got a wrist injury. You know. Yeah, he's yeah he's on IR for the year. Yeah. So the last one of his escapades we're going to cover then is Kissinger's relationship 
with the Kurds. Mm. Oh, mm. fuck. Yeah, baby! Jesus fucking Christ. The Kurdish people are the largest ethnic group on Earth without a nation of their own. They make up large chunks of southern Turkey, southern Iran, northern Iraq, and northeast Syria. Now, if you look at this kind of broad Kurdistan region on a map, you'll notice a couple things. For one, it's all landlocked, which means if, if you were... And there was a lot of talk when, like... Colonial powers left, started to leave the Middle East after World War II that, like, should, and, and promises were, in fact, made to the Kurds. Um, one of the issues that comes up is that it's going to cause, like, it, severe economic difficulties because they would be landlocked. Mm -hmm. um, you'll also note that their territories all tend to exist in chunks of states that have wound up fighting each other repeatedly over the last half century or so, right? On Turkey purpose. and Syria, Iran, and exactly. And the Kurds were used on purpose by basically everyone as buffer zones and proxy fighters in these conflicts. Now, starting in the Nixon administration, the Shah of Iran had a problem. He was engaged in an escalating conflict with a new sexy young dude on the block, Saddam Hussein of Iraq. Now, can I just say uh, right away, I like both these guys. They seem like they're both going to go good places. <laughs> 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 so the Shah decides he wants to arm, uh, he wants the U.S. to arm Kurdish fighters in order to give Saddam some trouble and ease up pressure. Um, the ostensible leader of the Kurdish people struggle in Iraq at this time is a guy named Mustafa Barzani. Now, Mustafa had been leading his people in battle against the Iraqi state prior to Saddam taking power for like a decade at this point. And he had repeatedly begged the United States for aid. The U.S. traditionally did not like Barzani because he had spent a decade exiled in the Soviet Union and had some socialist E tendencies. But the Israelis and the Shah had experienced great luck in using the Kurds to keep Saddam, who'd taken power pretty recently, off of their back. Kurdish rebels tied up 80% of the Iraqi military during the 1967 war against Israel and are probably a big part of the reason why Iraq did not join in that war. In April of 1972, Saddam signed a treaty of friendship with the Soviet Union. This finally tipped things for the Nixon Treaty of friendship is just a great term. I mean, it's it is a like, nice term. We're like buds. I, yeah, it's like We're when bros. I signed my BFF when I was seven at a treehouse. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, can you sign my bro contract? Yeah. yeah. It means we're bros forever. It comes with AK-47s. Uh, we yeah. are signing the BFF treaty. So this finally tips things for the Nixon administration, and Kissinger gives the go-ahead for CIA Director Richard Helms to express American sympathy with the Kurds and declare our, quote, readiness to consider their requests for, assist for assistance. Next, from a write-up in Foreign Policy... In early 1974, Saddam violated the terms of the March Accord and unilaterally imposed a watered-down version of autonomy for the Kurds. Barzani responded by traveling to Iran, where he met with the Shah and the CIA's station chief to request U.S. backing for a plan to set up an Arab-Kurdish government that would claim to be the sole legitimate government of Iraq. As Kissinger wrote in his 1999 memoir, Years of Renewal, Barzani's request triggered a flood of communications among U.S. officials focused on two questions, whether the United States would support a unilateral declaration of autonomy and what level of support the United States was willing to give the Kurds. The CIA in particular warned against increasing U.S. assistance. But Kissinger was dismissive of CIA Director William Colby's caution, writing, quote, Colby's resistance was as unrealistic as Barzani's enthusiasm. Nixon ultimately decided to increase, CIA, uh, to increase U.S. assistance to the Kurds, including the provision of 900,000 pounds of Soviet-made weapons that the CIA had stockpiled and a $1 million lump sum of refugee assistance. In April of 1974, Kissinger oh, said... Oh, can I... Mm -hmm. uh, why... 
why the Soviet weapons? Is that to well, confuse things? You don't want people seeing them with U.S. weapons. That's going to make it seem like we're involved, Dave. What an amazing... <laughs> what an amazing move. So fucking... Mm-hmm. I mean... <laughs> it's dope. It's I stole very a car funny. to commit a murder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, in April of 1974, Kiss- Kissinger sent Nixon's orders to the U.S. ambassador in Tehran. This cable was important because it laid out a succinct proclamation of U.S. interests vis-a-vis the Kurds. The objectives, he wrote, were to A, give the Kurds capacity to maintain a reasonable base for negotiating recognition of rights by Baghdad government, B, to keep present Iraqi government tied down, but C, not to divide Iraq permanently because an independent Kurdish area would not be economically viable, and U.S. and Iran have no interest in closing the door on good relations with Iraq under moderate leadership. <laughs> yeah, but there, there are, are I, I mean, I'm, I'm not great, but there are landlocked countries that are yes. economically viable. It, and Kurdistan crazy, has a huge amount of oil. Yeah. It's such a crazy thing that they're saying. Like, it's just, it's fucking insane. What they are doing, and what Kissinger is establishing in writing here, is U.S. policy towards Kurdish people for more than half a century. And the idea comes down to, we will provide them with aid and weapons when they fight our enemies, but only to such an extent that they achieve minor tactical successes, never enough to allow them permanent autonomy, because that's going to upset the balance of power, right? This has been ever since. This is what we do with the Kurds, right? And Kissinger is the guy who lays it out first. Now, Mustafa Barzani made the terrible mistake of believing that the U.S. actually supported his people's independence. For three years, the Kurds battled Saddam, sustaining thousands of casualties. But then, in 1975, the Shah and Saddam made peace, and the Shah asked the CIA to cut off all aid to the Kurds as part of a deal with Iraq. The weapons Kurdish fighters had relied upon suddenly dried up. Barzani's fighters were massacred. Thousands fled to Iran, but were turned away by the Shah. Desperate, Mustafa cabled Kissinger, whom he had gratefully sent three rugs and a gold and pearl necklace as wedding gifts just months earlier. Your Excellency, the United States has a moral and political responsibility to our people. Kissinger never replied. Later that year, the House Intelligence Committee asked him to justify this betrayal. He responded, covert actions should not be confused with missionary work. Oh my God. It's so cool. Like, you don't understand that sometimes I'm also just doing missionary stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) The key is that I don't give a shit. (laughs) As he stands naked on his rug with just his pearl necklace on. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of missionary. So, in the 1976 presidential elections, Ronald Reagan attempted to primary Gerald Ford from the right. The Reagan campaign targeted Kissinger heavily, not for his numerous war crimes, but because of the fact that he had made a detente with the Soviet Union, right? That's why they're in. Uh, it's amazing it's to, like, this, to be like, mm-hmm. you know what? The right's actually got a point. He committed war crimes in Vietnam. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's killed millions of innocent people. Uh, no, that's actually not, uh, that's, uh, we're actually no. fine with all that. It's the peace stuff we're pissed <laughs> at. We're a little uh, angry right. at some of this peace stuff he's been locking in. They are, specifically, they're livid that, like, part of the detente means Kissinger was like, we're not going to fuck with Soviet spheres of influence in Eastern Europe. And right. Reagan and his colleagues are like, well, this means they're just giving up Eastern Europe to communism, you of know? Um, right? Always like, communism. It, exactly. Always. Um, it's fascist hate communists. I mean, yeah. uh, God. And, 
And Kissinger's political instincts and charm were sufficient to fend off an attempt, because there's within the Ford administration, there is an attempt to get Ford to promise to fire him in a second term, largely because they think it'll help him win the primary against Reagan. And Nixon beats everyone here. He manages to get Ford to be like, no, I would never fire Henry Kissinger. (laughs) Nixon does? Uh, no, 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 not Nixon. Kissinger succeeds oh. in doing that with Ford. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, I thought like, but, I was like, if you're listening yeah, to Nixon sorry, at this point. <laughs> There's a lot of Nixon in here, you know? You mix it he's up just, sometimes. He's, in a cu- he's just in a cupboard in the White House still. <laughs> Gerald, get me some gin. Also, keep Hank around. So... <laughs> The fact that Henry wins the fight within the Ford administration means that he becomes like a major marketing term for the Reagan campaign, right? Like they do not stop. In fact, they they institute a plank in the Republican Party that year that's basically the anti-Kissinger plank that says like, you will never accept that like communist states should exist anywhere. Essentially, that's kind of what they do. Okay. Um, It's just stabbing him in the heart. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. Um and it's a ma- it's a it's a mark of like how much he fucked things up that you can't even feel good about his downfall because he's replaced yeah. by people who just suck even more. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um. So Ronnie felt the spheres of influence that Kissinger had established with the Soviet Union were yeah giving up the Eastern like bloc to communism. He also attacked Kissinger for negotiating with Panama's new government because Henry was willing to give the Panama Canal back to the Panamanian people. But I mean, they, have, they have no yeah, right to the Panama issue, Canal. Right? But yeah, oh my God. why would the they right get wing it? Was, uh, the right not, wing was yeah. so, and Reagan wrote that thing, but they were yeah. so fucking yeah. mad Come about on, it. Come on, no, there's no claim, they have no claim to that canal. Yeah, Reagan said in a speech, we built it, we paid for it, and we're going to keep it. Oh um, God. Refer to our two-parter on the U.S. and Panama for, uh-huh. for more on that one. So Reagan's primary attempt failed, but by struggling against the rising far right, Kissinger had hammered the final nail into his political career's coffin. In the Ford administration's last days, a dark alliance materialized, and, smelling blood in the water, they acted to cut Kissinger off from any future career in Republican politics. The three main members of this alliance were Paul Wolfowitz from the CIA, Vice President Uh. Dick Cheney, and Secretary of Defense Donald Trump. Oh, my God! Oh, baby! Yeah! It's like there's four Kissingers. It's like (laughs) killing Satan and then three Mm -hmm. winged demons fly out of him. Yeah. (laughs) It's so funny. It is so funny. Um, Finally, some good guys. It's really funny. And in fact, so... uh, Kissinger has Kissinger like Rumsfeld. He, he sees as almost like an, a protege. Like he and Rumsfeld are very close. And uh. when Rumsfeld turns against him, Kissinger describes him as quote the rottenest person I've known in government. Which is uh, been, uh, uh, Henry from you utterly meaningless. Honestly, like, totally. absolutely meaningless from you. I mean, you're not 100%. allowed to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so funny. It's so funny. So it's not funny for the all the people who are going to die, but it's kind of it's funny in like an existential sense. Like if you're if you're an alien looking at all this like a TV show, it's pretty funny. Yeah, you'd be like, yeah. well, why can't. don't why don't they yeah. get a good guy? You're like, well, it's really hard <laughs> yeah. to explain, but they just don't. If you can't laugh at all the people dying, are you an American? Yeah, no. The answer is no. By the way, the first time that uh, Nixon heard that Kissinger was working with a guy named Rumsfeld, he was like, well, pour him in a glass for me. Get some ice on it. <laughs> Sounds fucking delicious. Put some celery in it. Mm-hmm. 
So Rumsfeld and Cheney worked within the White House. Oh, my God. I can't believe I got to hear their names. I know. I know, (laughs) baby. I know. (laughs) While Wolfowitz is part of the CIA's Team B. Now, Team B is an intelligence review board set up by Gerald Ford as a sop to the far right. The Reagan conservatives, who he's, again, trying to win over and get behind him so he can win the election against Carter, the Reagan conservatives were certain the agency had been, the CIA, I mean, had been underreporting Soviet military power, because the Soviet military in, like, the early chunk of, of the Ford administration is like, they're actually not doing great, like, they're, like, we, we really don't need to keep buying a shitload of weapons, like, they're not, they, they're not, they don't have the kind of military assets that we've been saying for years. Um, so and this, we now are getting a shady CIA inside of well, the shady CIA. Yes, this is like this. It's like a, a Russian nesting doll of right. the CIA inside <laughs> the CIA <laughs> that's even worse Russian than the other doll. CIA. <laughs> so the Reagan conservatives were certain that the the CIA had been underreporting Soviet military power, and Team B like was basically Ford gave them Team B so that they could get new appraisals that showed that the Soviet Union was actually increasing their military assets. So basically, essence, what we yeah. like, what like, I mean, essentially, like what would eventually happen with Iraq, where you're like, look, I'm not liking the uh, I'm like the non distilled information. Give me a yeah. bunch of bullshit. That's exactly what's happening. And and one of the things that's fascinating here is that, in essence, this is a return of missile gap logic, right? right. Which Kissinger oh, helped get off the ground. But yeah. now, because he supports this detente policy, and that's like his big claim to like fame within you know his, his career, that he reached detente with the Soviet Union, he's on the opposite side right. of like a missile gap bullshit myth, right? Oh, man. Like, this is that the leopards, for him. Leopards, leopards ate my face. Yeah. <laughs> That I never thought it could happen him. to me. Yeah. And then they came for the Kissingers and there was yeah. no Kissingers left <laughs> to mean, speak for me. It's the same thing as like Dick Cheney speaking out against the Trump administration and watching right. his yes. daughter get slandered no, and, and stuff. And, 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 it's like, what, and it's what it's going to be in 20 yeah. years when, you know, Trump yeah. is welcomed at a president's funeral and we're going, yeah. you right. know, Trump really wasn't that bad. I like the way he said we shouldn't nuke everyone on Earth as yeah. opposed to the next guy who nuked everyone on Earth. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, Jill Biden handed him a piece of peppermint candy. He's not that yeah. bad. <laughs> so former CIA and analyst Melvin Goodwin later said of Team B, quote, they wanted to toughen up the agency's estimates. Cheney wanted to drive the CIA so far to the right that it would never say no to the generals. Not Jesus how estimates work. And again, this you don't is toughen the, up yeah. esti- like they're estimates. Yeah. Pause this and listen to our episodes on the Dulles brothers and then it's realize right. that Cheney's like, I want them further right than that. Like, That's not I mean, nearly right-wing enough. No. That is the craziest fucking thing I've it's heard yet. Bug fuck. It's like yeah. someone in a gangbang being like, I want more orifices. <laughs> <laughs> not enough holes here. I can't stick my dick in enough stuff. So, in December of 1976, as the Ford administration prepared, prepared to hand over power to Jimmy Carter, the CIA finished and released a 55-page report. Greg Grandin describes this as, quote, the right's answer to the Pentagon Papers, a nearly perfect negation of the document Daniel Ellsberg had leaked three years earlier. The scholars and policymakers who composed the Pentagon Papers represented the kind of men Kissinger disdained, experts enthralled to facts. In contrast, the members of Team B were admitted ideologues. Its members, as J. Peter Skoblik notes, saw the Soviet threat not as an empirical problem, but as a matter of faith. Oh, what kind? I mean, you just, it's a church. 
It's a, and it's it's, a war it's, church. Yeah. It's also what's happening here, because this is, they are against Kissinger, but as Grandin notes, they're using the kind of logic yes, he yes, used, right? He's, yes. He yeah. He's not, he's, they're with him on all of the yeah. murder, crazy American shit, but they're like, he's just not racist. They're, I mean, they're basically like, we got to get rid of Kissinger so we can worship his p- tactics properly. That's exactly what's going on here. And in Kissinger's shadow, Gra- Grandin continues, quote, Previewing what would become known as Dick Cheney's 1% doctrine, Team B interpreted threats with the smallest probability of occurring as likely to occur. Absence of proof of Russian superiority was taken as as proof of superiority. Team B's failure to find a Soviet non-acoustic anti-submarine system was evidence that there could well be one. Noted right. by somebody with the <laughs> Yeah, which makes sense. There, of course. I mean, it would be... Yeah. Of course, how could you not? Look, there is no evidence that I have egot it and, and, you know, won an Emmy and an Oscar and a, and yeah. a, and a Grammy. So that that's pretty solid evidence that you I have in fact all have. of them. Yeah, you yeah. just yeah, need to understand you have all of them. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So in December of 1977, the New York Times published a front page story on the intelligence findings of Team B, oh, which provided legitimacy to the bogus estimates oh, and ensured God. the next decade of defense spending was geared towards stopping a rising Soviet titan that did not exist. Oh my you know? God. Jesus fucking Christ. Thanks, New York Times. S- Nailed it on that one. Star Wars on top of that, which is... A well, yeah, Star Wars Lula, proceeds Lula directly from creation. Yeah. Yeah, and it proceeds directly, like, Team B is laying the groundwork for Star Wars, Uh, right? So, uh, while Team B's (laughs) tactics ran directly counter to Kissinger's current positions, they rested directly on what Grandin calls his philosophy of history. Henry had been an advocate on the value of intuition in assessing threats and guiding responses. Historian Anna Hessen-Kahn writes that they used Kissinger's own philosophy to, quote, belittle, besmirch, and tarnish Henry Kissinger. Wow. Had to be a tough spot for Kissinger where he was like, it's a shame that I've been vilified, but goddamn, do I love the way they did it. <laughs> so it's me, so me. Everything we, everything, that's, that's why when people, uh, you know, you, you look at the current situation in, in Russia and, and everyone's like, we got to get rid of them. And I'm always like, just, but just remember whenever the U.S. gets what it wants, it's always worse. Yeah. Every so, time. That it can be worse. Like he can be gone. He's a fucking monster. But don't be surprised if yeah. what comes after is really fucking bad. And the idea of not questioning shit. Like we're the country who cried war. At some point, you have to be like, look, be- sorry, everybody. You're really gonna need to step up with a lot of evidence because mm-hmm. you you constantly just fucking invent. I mean, if you have if you are forming organizations inside of bullshit organizations meant to bring like that, if there's no submarines, it means there are submarines. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just kind of like. I, and the fact that it's still effective, it's uh, constantly effective. It's never, it's never yeah. stopped. It, 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 this is just a continuation. And it's even like, th- this is a domestic version of what we, what happens everywhere else. We just create more and more worse things. Yeah. <laughs> Internally, yeah. externally. It's what we do. Don't worry. We'll make it worse. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that is, that is the promise that the United States makes itself in the world. Don't worry. Don't life- worry. We can fuck this up more. Yeah. The lifeguard has we- weights to throw on you. Yeah. I mean, we fucking created Putin. If you go back and look at it, like we were yeah. behind all that shit. Yeah. It's us it's looking us. at the, le- at the bombing of Kiev and going, you know, what'll fix this. If Bangladesh doesn't get COVID-19 vaccines. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, right. <laughs> yes. 
yeah. which at some point uh, is going to be what I like. We will at some point solve something just totally on accident. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when he left office in 1977, Henry Kissinger uh. would never return to direct political power. Um, he desperately wants to. Uh. He really so wanted since to like then he has always wanted to. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, that, now, now I understand 2016. Yeah, he, he really wanted it to happen, but he never quite made it, ma pulled it off. Um, he eventually started a consulting firm, which he would rapidly grow into an eight to ten million dollar a year business for oh, himself. Oh, Christ. Um, he makes a ton of money doing this shit. Of course and, he goes into consulting. Like, the, Oh, absolutely. A consultant's job is to give yeah. the worst advice. Yeah, and That's to make people do. feel good, and mm -hmm. he's great at that. I'm a shit yeah. oracle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, Walter Isaacson, uh, author of the biography Kissinger, claims that Henry was actually much more ethical in this period of his life than most former government officials who start consulting businesses. Mm. Um, he waited an unusually long time to start his business. He avoided for years directly connecting his clients to people he'd worked with in the State Department. What like, a low bar. It, it may be accurate that he is more ethical in his conduct here than most people, but again, that's a low-ass bar. Yeah. yeah. Um, most of his business, the, bu the business he does in this period, can be boiled down to like he's helping oil and gas and other extractive industries. Make oh, deals so he's with like doing nice okay. philanthropical stuff. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah so he, he's just destroying the world. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's a middleman for the people destroying the world. Uh, let's 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 be clear about yeah. it. you know he's 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 making he's he's making connections between people who are willing to. Willing and to, to kill be the fair, planet. he's pining to be in charge of it again. He is <laughs> um, probably his most morally questionable moment in like I guess a conventional sense is that uh, so like right after the Tiananmen Square crackdown, he shows up on Peter Jennings' show oh um, to argue that like whatever went on the u.s should not impose any economic consequences on china and this is again not due to a principled stand against sanctions it's because kissinger was working on a massive business deal that involved the chinese government and several large corporations <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing he's he's working as a journalist at that point oh my he is god a regular columnist oh for the god. la times and the oh washington post god. and he advocates fuck? in both magazines not putting any kind of economic uh, like like doing any economic harm to China over this, which is oh. like a ethical issue as a journalist because again <laughs> he does not disclose bit. that he has any of these business relationships, <laughs> and it causes a minor uproar. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, that's unethical behavior, but also in Kissinger terms, like not even on the fucking radar, yeah. right? <laughs> to most know? people, this is an abhorrent <laughs> act, but yeah. congratulations on turning over a new leaf, Henry. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, Henry, you've really improved. You really are less shit. You waited until after the thing to do something bad. Yeah. <laughs> so in his post-power years, he became even more of an international celebrity. He's actually surprised when he, st when he starts doing this job. He's raking, racking up huge amounts of money as like a public speaker. And he and his, his like accountant expect the value of him as a speaker. They're like, well, it's obviously it's going to decline over time. People right? will learn that you're good. horrible. It just gets bigger. He just becomes uh. more and more valuable as a public speaker. Now, for some insight into his life uh, in what we might call retirement, I found a New York Magazine article from 2006. Quote, he bonds with Oprah Winfrey over their shared love of dogs. She Ugh. recommended an artist to paint a portrait of Kissinger's lab. And with Alex Rodriguez over their shared love of the Yankees, he and A-Rod had lunch at the Four Seasons last year. He and his wife of 32 years, Nancy McGinnis, spend every Christmas with close friends Oscar and Annette de la Renta in the Dominican Republic. 
Asked about the nature of that friendship, given the unlikely connection between a former statesman and a fashion mogul, Kissinger says, They are dear friends of mine. They have no utility. I'm going to try to kill them. <laughs> yeah, I will kill them at My some point. My plans to kill them soon. Can we just, can we finally agree that Oprah Winfrey is a fucking monster? Yeah, I mean, right? Oprah buddies with Henry K. Winfrey? Yes. I, I mean, yeah. Dr. Phil, yes. Dr. Oz, like, yes. she creates... Uh, I, I, I'm not going to stick terrible. around for any Dr. Oz shit talk, but the other ones you got me on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, don't forget, Gareth, don't forget John of God. Yeah, r- right yeah. under your Sue Harto de- tattoo, Gareth, is, is just <laughs> Dr. Oz high-fiving Henry Kissinger. <laughs> now, to be honest, this is before he got his show, so I liked him early. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this was just this was just like aspirational, you know? Yeah, I didn't know. He's, he's a great pal. So Kissinger became a New York socialite and was reputed to enjoy the city's social scene because, quote, Manhattan social life is more generous than Washington's political life. He should not be allowed to pick where he wants to go out. I mean, he should have to like get food raised to his cell in a bucket. It's the same thing as that. What the cook was it? David Cook, the one that just died. But it was the same thing. Everyone just accepted him in those fucking circles. And it's like, no, he's a fucking monster. And then Charles Mm -hmm. Cook is the one who's like, you know, was like on a rehabilitation tour for like six months yeah and yeah. and you and you know major news outlets are reporting like look he recognizes they fucked up a little it's like he no, feels you, bad yeah, he like, feels no, bad know, i don't give a fuck yeah degenitalize him <laughs> so Kissinger yes. was regularly and i think probably still is regularly seen on the arm of Bar- barbara walters who calls him a loyal friend and in oh, fact, Christ. she was hanging out with henry and his wife one night at a dinner party when kissinger endured one of his few public shamings it oh. came courtesy uh, as the real, the only real hero of these episodes, ABC News anchor Peter Jennings, who sees Kissinger at a restaurant and is fucking enraged and really? screams out, how does it feel to be a war criminal, Henry? Nice. Oh, yes! <laughs> Peter Jennings, baby! Yes! Of <laughs> and of course, Peter Jennings is gone, so no longer yeah, he, do we he get dies. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kissinger probably, like, invaded his lungs. yeah. That Cast- should happen every restaurant yeah. every, he goes into. And to all these fucking anywhere. people. Yeah, every- Jennings is basically the only person at Kissinger's imagine, social level who calls him out. And ever. imagine, and I mean, he's a, he a nightly news anchor on a yeah. major network. Imagine if you had that sort of vitriol pointed at some of these people that we have in present day who are, again, not only allowed to walk around, but are still in spheres mm-hmm. of power. Mm-hmm. But but Dick, like we were saying about Dick Cheney, like, you know, George W. Bush should not he should not be in public. He should not be releasing right. thoughts on Russian yeah. invasion. No, he certainly shouldn't be fucking painting. Yeah, he shouldn't he be shouldn't fucking be getting mints. He shouldn't no. have fingers. no. Uh, His so daughter for, should not be on the fucking Today Show like, I don't know, I like strawberry not. in my margarita. <laughs> so I want to continue the story because we're not talking about the story of Peter Jennings like calling Kissinger out at a restaurant. And to finish that tale, I'm going to quote from the New York Magazine again. The subject of Kissinger's past sins was very much in the air at the time. Judges in both France and Spain were seeking Kissinger for questioning as the long-simmering debate over his connection to Chilean General Augusto Pinochet's brutal killing of dissidents in the 70s returned with a vengeance, not least in Christopher Hitchens' right-ringing indictment, the trial of Henry Kissinger. These developments clearly rattled Kissinger, who had preemptively written a lengthy article for Foreign Affairs, decrying the dangerous legal precedent of using universal jurisdiction to try state actors for past actions. <laughs> the same precedent under which German courts hoped to try Donald Rumsfeld. 
Uh, the question, and the question by Peter Jennings, how does it feel to be a war criminal, stunned the dinner guests, who included Time, Inc. editor Henry Grunwald, who also what? died last year. And, yeah, and former ABC chairman Thomas Murphy. Grunwald no. told Jennings the comment was unsuitable. Yeah. It, like, that's really an unsuitable thing to say. Was it yeah. as unsuitable as fucking bombing Cambodia? Like, mm -hmm. Jesus fucking Christ. This is the yeah. thing. Manners. They care about mm -hmm. manners. They yeah. don't care about all the fucking yeah. bodies. And to, to his credit, when, like, Grunwald is like, Peter, that's really unsuitable. Peter's like, I don't give a shit. He's a fucking war ah, criminal. Fu he doesn't say that exactly. Peter but Jennings. he says the emotional equivalent of that. Ah, it's such a um, bummer. Barbara Walters later said of the moment, I tried to change the subject, but it was a very uncomfortable moment. Nancy, Let's talk about Kissinger's Cambodia. Wife, reacted very strongly and hurt. Kissinger said nothing. Man, so, it, it really is like, you know, it. The, you see this a lot when like protesters will go into events yeah. and they will, you know, they'll have a message, they'll have signs, they'll have something yeah. orchestrated set up. And not only will the politician and the people on the politician's dais sort of be like okay okay but the people at the event will be the ones who are like you know i don't like a congressional here this isn't the time or place this isn't the time it's like mm -hmm. what there's no time or fucking place yeah, when the, where's the fucking time I mean, and place you, you, what what do you fucking expect it's all we have at this point is that's the only yeah. thing you can really do is try to yeah. make them hate living in the world they're ruining yeah yes. it is a fucking mark of how fucked up any kind of accountability to the political classes in our society that the most consequence Henry Kissinger ever faces is Peter Jennings yelling at him once yeah, at a dinner party. a man who's been yeah. dead for 20 years, 15 yeah. years. I mean, when Sarah Huckabee Sanders was out to dinner and some people yelled at her, I mean, you saw both sides oh, yeah. condemning it. Some fucking dudes and, yell at fucking Tucker Carlson from yeah, his lawn and, and it gets and called there are, terrorism. There are, there are Republicans and Democrats who always condemn that sort of stuff, and it's not because people mm -hmm. believe in public decorum, it's because they don't want it to show up on their fucking doorsteps. Right, right. Yeah, they, they don't want like that shit to come back on them. Yes. And I'm sure if someone's going to point out Peter Jennings did something fucked up, he must have. He was in media he for a very long time. He did 9-11. Oh, right. He did 9-11. That was Peter Jennings. He yeah. flew those planes right into those towers. Yes. I'd forgotten right. about that, Gary. Yeah. That's how he died. That's, <laughs> That's right. how he died. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at, the, at fucking least, he was there and, and didn't mince words. Just yeah. like, you're a war criminal. Not like... How does it feel to be here where American boys are dying? But like, no, no, you did war crimes, Henry Kissinger. Fuck yeah. you. Someone has to say it. Um, in his many decades worth of declining years, Henry, Henry has focused his remaining powers in an attempt to secure his legacy. In 2003, he opened up his White House archives to a British historian named Niall Ferguson, whose book, also just titled Kissinger, I've cited a few times in these episodes. Ferguson claimed his biography would, quote, provide a warts and all look at the man. But quotes he made about the relationship put the light of that. And this is Ferguson, like, writing about how jazzed he is to be hanging out with Henry. I'm in Henry Kissinger's swimming pool talking about his meetings with Mao Zedong, thinking, I must be dreaming. Shit in that pool. <laughs> I know. <laughs> fucking hell, Niall. Everyone. Now, obviously, I have quoted from this biography because of the details, the information Kissinger provides about his early life. It is not without value. It's probably the most detailed look at his childhood we have. It also only goes up to 1968, which neatly avoids the most controversial moments of Kissinger's <laughs> life, right? I mean, yeah. that, that's not great. <laughs> Even and when now, journal... And now, yeah. and now we end the story. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> and that was the end of Henry Kissinger. Uh, blah, blah, blah. 
even when journalists and historians that Henry hasn't authorized specifically interview him, uh, they are likely to find themselves enraptured or at least tripped up by his clever wordplay. Bob Woodward, who first interviewed Kissinger in 74, wrote, He wants to control not just what he says, but people's perceptions of what he says. And it's kind of like one long book review where he is arguing with the reviewer of his book or his life or his policy. Seymour Hirsch was more blunt in 1983 when he wrote, He lies like most people breathe. Wow. Now, oh, yeah. the most comprehensive biography of Henry Kissinger, and the one I would, if, if you're looking for just a book on Kissinger's influence in like the U.S. and how toxic it was, I recommend Kissinger's Shadow by Grandin. If you want an actual biography of Kissinger's whole life and time and power, I recommend Walter Isaacson's 1992 book Kissinger. I actually think Isaacson is too fair to Henry Kissinger, but even so, even though he clearly like does not wholly condemn the man, I find the book utterly damning, right? Like the book condemns him even, even if Isaacson doesn't even when entirely you're not trying do so. to fully condemn yeah. such a piece of shit. You it's have no it's just impossible not to, to yeah. if you're accurate. Right. And he, I think yeah, Isaacson you, is pretty accurate. If you lay yeah. out the facts, that's it. Yeah. Now, the best thing I can say about Isaacson's book, Kissinger, is that Henry Kissinger himself complained endlessly about it. He whined to Isaacson's boss, Henry Grunwald, who defended Isaacson and said he felt the book was balanced and down the middle. Kissinger responded, what right does that young man have to be balanced and down the middle about me? Ugh, I mean... Wow. Uh, uh, <laughs> wow. It, 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 just, it just shows you, I mean, yeah, it, yeah like... He should never be in the position where he should be pointing out that other people are crazy. No, no. Fuck, like, you don't get to say that, Henry. Yeah. No, now, ever. As New York Magazine notes, Kissinger denies that exchange ever happened. Um, oh, I quote, believe Henry. I mean, the guy doesn't <laughs> yeah. lie. He seems like an honest man. Yeah. I bet Nixon <laughs> still had him wiretapped. And here, here's a quote from that article that's very funny. I've never read the Isaacson book, he says, then quickly clarifies. I've read a few parts of the Isaacson book, which I didn't like, but I understand that there are many parts of the book that are very positive. I missed those, he that, says with a sly smile. That is so, that is so Trumpy. I know, it really is, yeah, right? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't yeah. read it. I read parts one through 510. Yeah. <laughs> Isaacson says Kissinger wrote him a series of letters contesting numerous passages. <laughs> my view, and this is Isaacson, my view is that if Kissinger reread his own memoirs, he would be outraged that they did not treat him favorably enough. Wow. Kissinger. <laughs> Who wrote this? You did. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Fuck. That son of a bitch. I'll better get me. <laughs> Kissinger claims to be unconcerned about his place in history. I cannot defect my legacy, he says. And what does he think his legacy is? I have no view, he says. I can't control it by what I say. I tell him I don't believe him. You're not in your 80s yet, he replies. <sighs> now, a lot has been made about Kissinger's purported role in, like, the invasion of Iraq. He did apparently, like, urge Bush and Cheney to go through with it. I think crediting him with specifically with having an impact on that is not realistic because uh, this is Bush and Cheney. By the time they talked to Kissinger about this, they had made up their fucking You know, minds. it's probably... He didn't yeah. push them into invading Iraq, It's you know? like similar when, like, the Queens yeah. of the Stone Age have Dave Grohl on drums. Yeah. You're yeah, like, exactly. He's a player exactly. for sure, but he's not writing all the songs. I mean, Josh Hawley's yeah. got this. Kissinger's definitely the the Dave Grohl of the, of the Bush administration. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Great drummer. Um, 
And I, I think that inst- rather than like actually being a meaningful role in arranging consent for the invasion of Iraq, I think Kissinger was doing here what he always did. He was sucking up to powerful people to tell them by telling them what they wanted to hear. And the best example of this comes from 2008, when during a presidential debate, both John McCain and Barack Obama cited Kissinger as supporting their positions towards Iran. Both men held opposite views of what the U.S. should do in regards to that country. Um, so my... Like, you might expect, like, and I, I don't think either of them is lying. I think they're both, because I think Kissinger just would be like, yeah, of course, that's the right call. That's Absolutely. So, yeah. what, what would the start date be, just so I can put it in my calendar? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good call, guys. That's great. You're both right. Yeah, we should invade them and leave mm-hmm. them alone. Yeah. So, um, yeah, as a young law student at Yale, Hillary Clinton had taken part in outraged protests against Kissinger's bombing of Cambodia. As Secretary of State, she praised the astute observations he shared with her and wrote in a review of one of his books, Kissinger is a Friend. And again, the astute observations are Kissinger saying whatever she wanted to do was the right thing to do, right? right. Like, that's... That's what that's why these people like like him and think he's astute. He's not. I think he does today get kind of like looked at as this secret power pulling the strings. I think instead he's just like the ultimate kiss ass. He's just like, yeah. oh, you're in power now. Yeah. Whatever you want to do is the is the good thing to do. Absolutely. Right. You know? I, yeah. A hundred percent. I always I, I would tell people like if you're if you're young and you don't understand what it means to see Hillary Clinton standing there with with Kissinger. Mm-hmm. It's no different than in in ten years if all of a sudden your Democrat candidate is standing next to Cheney. Yeah, you're like, what the fuck is going on? And I guarantee you that lost her. A bunch of people didn't vote for her because they saw her standing next to Kissinger. Yeah, I I'm guarantee. You. I guarantee. Yeah. You. And um, yeah, I, I think though when you're trying to talk about like his actual influence and like the fucked up things that have been happening in the last couple of decades, it's less in whatever advice he was giving politician A or B, and it's more in the way he shaped the way the U.S. government functions in terms of foreign policy. He centralized power and set the precedent of allowing the executive branch to execute military actions without consent of anyone outside the White House. And obviously, there were like things that were done to restrict the power of the executive branch from doing that, but then those things were all undone after the like right? Like it's this mm-hmm. it's this kind yeah. of tug of war thing. Um but Kissinger even though he did not set obviously the policy after 9/11 that that expanded the executive government's ability to to do military shit abroad. He did set the precedent of like how you would actually centralize power in that way within the executive. And he made up, he, he set a lot of ideological and philosophical trends that are still shaping the way the U S government functions in regards to foreign policy today. Sure. And if you're looking for perhaps the most direct and succinct explanation for how Kissinger influenced the world of modern American politics, you can find it in this quote. He himself wrote, in 1963, there are two kinds of realists, those who manipulate facts and those who create them. The West wow. requires nothing so much as men able to create their own reality. Wow. Wow. What a fucking... <laughs> wow. To not, to not be able to define realists in your, two def- definite, your two-tier definition <laughs> yes. of realism is absolutely delusional. <laughs> yeah, for neither of your definitions of realists to involve like, people like who care that, about material like, reality. I, yeah, yeah, I heard you saying the first one. I was like, oh, and the second one's going to be realists. It's like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Neither one is realists. <laughs> nope. So that's Henry Kissinger. It's it's so unbelievable. And to what you, like, you know, he really, he, his legacy, like you're sort of saying, is not just directly connected to the things he's connected to. Because there was no 
um, prosecution for what Nixon did. No. And there's no prosecution for what Reagan did. And there's no prosecution because we never prosecute and we never actually hold any of these people accountable. You know, you do see the seeds of that flourish now. Like you can invade. I mean, we're at the point where most people don't even know we've invaded countries we've invaded. Like, yeah. at least with Vietnam, people had access to seeing it and being disgusted by it. And then under Bush, it was like, well, we're not going to show the coffins returning. And you see, I mean, it's not just Republicans. You see it under Democratic presidents, yeah. too. It just is kind of more egregious at times under Republican presidents. But, you know, it's it's every president gets more powerful, does more. And it does kind of boil down to they're going to be evil. Journalists and media need to recognize what their fucking jobs are. If you're in some of these jobs, like it's it should not be a popularity contest for access only. There should be you should be beholden to doing good and and making these people held accountable because it's so relevant in what you're talking about with Kissinger that they just let the access to him because he became a popular figure completely blind them as to what was mm -hmm. actually going on. Well, it's well, actually yeah. worse than not punishing them. Remember when, when Obama was elected, everyone was like, these guys have to be tried for war crimes. Yeah. And he said, let, we got to move on. And you know, that we're talking about torture and war crimes and everything else. So, but it went, it went further than that because they gave Bush like the medal of freedom. I mean, there's a picture of, Fucking Biden hanging on his chest. And they also they also honored this guy named Henry Kissinger. Mm -hmm. The they Obama sure administration they sure did. honored him. So it's beyond not doing anything. Yeah. It's well, it's not even just it's them. not even just him. I mean, it's just it's systemic. It's just. Yeah. And you know what? If you are if you are one of these people, if you are a fucking anchor at CNN, like if you're Jim Acosta. Think of how fucking popular you would be if you did just start using your access to just be yeah. like Peter Jennings. Like, be we are like craving, Jennings here. We are craving this fucking figure. But mm -hmm. they would be immediately fired. I mean, but yeah, they would, would never also, get to talk. But, these guys but again. they would be. But you would also, I mean, having even a moment of that would carry your career. Like, if we had that Peter Jennings shit now. It would go so viral and people would talk about that person endlessly that I mean, it's like it's like when, you know, when billionaires started competing over being philanthropists, you know, you at some point you're so far in the other direction that yeah. you're not that far off from just doing the thing that is you're supposed to do is going to be such a radical move. It's this, it, it's very frustrating. Like right now you have all of these big media figures, like moving their shows to Ukraine to be able to film shelling <laughs> in the distance. And yeah. like, obviously to be a journalist covering combat up close, covering war crimes up close requires a lot of, of physical courage. So it's like sky news reporters who got fucking shot and shit. The, yep. the daily beast reporters who got fucking shot that, but like being uh, like Lester Holt, like, having your show filmed with like shelling in the distance 
they have massive security teams. They have massive resources invested in making sure they are in as little danger as they can possibly be. And more than anything, they are out there and doing it for the fucking clout because yeah. that that is easy to like pills like I'm brave. What's actually brave is Peter Jennings yelling at yeah. Henry Kissinger at a fucking dinner party full of powerful people and yep. making sure that for just a second he has a moment of accountability. And if one of them was willing to do fucking that to any of these ghouls, I would have a lot more respect than I would of them filming Shelling and Kiev from a mile and a half away. Yep. Yeah, look, there there was uh, Wolf Blitzer who, during the first Gulf War, put on a helmet and was uh, in Saudi Arabia where Scud <laughs> missiles were flying and it's saying how in danger he was at the same time there were journalists american journalists yeah. in the fucking baghdad hotel being being shot at yeah. and rocketed by american troops yeah. and those guys didn't work anymore mm. and wolf blitzer got his own tv show on cnn or brian williams yep. when he talked when he was like the way that he embellished his his story about like getting off of a helicopter and taking rpg fire yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know it, it, we could use another yeah. jennings or two at least in this regard yeah i mean it's it's hard because it's like what would you i mean what would like you're like we want like a we want a politician for the people and it's mm -hmm. like i like that's like that's what you wish for but you're like the step first is to just have these people vilified for the things they should be vilified for yeah it, it would be nice if there was a journalist that's the end of the story. <laughs> 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 well, um, honestly, like th this was, uh, I mean, just <sighs> fucking incredible and just yeah. such a um, ridiculous He's the worst dig. American. He's a pretty bad one, right? I don't think, yeah. I don't think there's a worse America. I think he pick. is the worst. Is mm -hmm. he, is he, I know that there was talk of like, into the countries of like, trying him outside of, you know, not having him there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But can he travel anywhere he wants, or is yeah, he restricted? Yeah. He can't. I, I, I'm not aware of, I mean, there may be, like, well, one place that he, he also go, now, like, he's become, like, this watery figure, so he's kind of like the T-1000, where if you just get close yeah. to him, he turns into silver goo and just can go through a drain or something. <laughs> yeah. You can't put a handcuff yeah. around a pile of watery goo. I mean, he's he is a big <laughs> part, like, he, he argues vociferously for why, like, Rumsfeld shouldn't be able to be charged in, I think, Germany it is. And he's doing it, like... Selfishly, again. Then, shocking. then it would yeah. put Kissinger in danger, right? Like, you know, he's not I mean, doing it out of loyalty to Rummy, who he probably hates at this point, although I don't know that Kissinger can take things personally, actually. So maybe, like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> he's, you know? Almost, he's like the Bill Walsh coaching tree of war mm -hmm. criminals. Yeah. I like, don't know what that means. Well, Bill Walsh, like, coached the 49ers and invented the West Coast offense, and you just mm -hmm. see the ripple effect through the NFL for generations and decades. Yeah, it changed football. It just changed everything, and it's like, that's yeah. what he did. He just was the guy who was like, you know, I came up with a new offense, and it's like, everyone's just reading off of that playbook and tweaking it. Yeah. That's He's a, the, that's that a guy sports you said reference, Robert, FYI. Uh, Robert, <laughs> football is uh, when... Uh, uh, okay, Robert, that's, that, it's that's like... The, <laughs> that's the title of this episode. I really, I really liked... The, I liked, the that guy, Gareth said, of but uh, of football, I, I, but I, of politics. I liked the two yes that preceded your I don't know who that guy yeah, is. Yeah, no, I have no yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, who is that? that? Yeah. 
It's like um, it's now, it's like in basketball when Phil Jackson made uh, the triangle, triangle offense. offense. Thing goes, <clears throat> that's somebody. Yeah, triangle diplomacy. It's like the triangle thing. Yeah, yes, absolutely. There we like, go. Yeah, yeah. Robert's uh, like, all right, all right, a triangle. Yeah, okay. And offense is the opposite of defense, right? That's yeah, that's right. That's what there everyone says. That's, that's what right. everyone says. Yeah. In my opinion, it definitely is. You yeah. know, the team with the most <laughs> points wins. Yeah. Well, for sure. That's going to be yeah. critical. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when the overtime gets a first down, that's really, that's, that's exactly. causing a problem. <laughs> finish you know? it. You've nailed it already. No, you absolutely. Three-pointer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. 100%. A three-point touchdown for Robert. Mm-hmm. Let's go, Globetrotters. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> well, honestly, thank you for allowing us to uh, enter your dojo and uh, mess around for a little while. I don't, yeah. I don't know if thank you is the right I thank you. <laughs> Probably. I, I thank you not. for listening to me read 31,000 words about Henry oh Kissinger. <laughs> oh, because we talked about it and I was like, I can't do it because it's not one episode. It's so yeah. many episodes. Yeah. This is like the minimum I think uh, yeah, you can c- responsibly yeah. cover Henry Kissinger. Like we could have done another couple episodes. Hey, but- guys, hey let's do it. <laughs> you know what? Do it. Gareth, yes. Let's just rip a couple. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll get a couple of photos of him hanging out with Jill St. John, joke about his hog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's take it on the road. We can get another 40 minutes of content out of that. Honestly, <laughs> we could just keep redoing parts of this on the road for a year and a half. The dollop and behind the bastards present three guys going through shots of Henry Kissinger at fancy parties and Again? talking about the shape of his dick under his pants. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. honestly, mm-hmm. it should work. Looks like he was having a chub day today. What do you think, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you oh, what, no. the walnuts on the table aren't the only one I'm focused on. <laughs> Look at those tennis shorts. <laughs> this is how we make our millions. Uh, <laughs> well, genuinely, th- thank you. For I, this. I am generally super scared. Having mm-hmm. having watched how Colin Powell was treated. Oh yes, when he died, uh, be oh, scared God. of how oh, people God. are going to react to yeah. Kissinger's death. Yeah, because uh, yeah. you're going to watch liberals be like, "He was fucking awesome," and you're yeah. just like, "Everything about him was bad." Yeah, yeah. W. It'll be fun. Any uh, pl- pluggables at the end here? Sure, yeah. Listen, mm-hmm. um, Absolutely. well, first of all, we've got the Kissinger. Uh, we should do Kissinger live, and we should use the mm-hmm. Kiss font. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we should also wear, like, the Kiss makeup, and we should just do Kissinger. <laughs> um, yeah. We uh, we will be in Australia and uh, America, the best country on earth. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll be in Australia in the middle of April to May. Uh, you can go to dollopodcast.com for all that information. We're all over the place. And then uh, I am uh, doing stand-up in Australia and also uh, over the summer. So you can go to garethreynolds.com for all that information. And you can follow us uh, on social medias with our... Uh, at, I'm at Reynolds Gareth. Dave's at Dave underscore Anthony on instagram i'm at reynolds gareth on twitter dave's at dave anthony on twitter and um (laughs) all right thank you for having us again motherfuckers sophie and robert yeah everyone go pray for henry kissinger's painful demise yes Yeah, let's have let's all hope that Tim Ka- Tim Allen takes him out somehow. <laughs> he smuggles he smuggles coke into a party Kissinger's oh. at, and it just blows out the old man's heart. <laughs> or he just starts doing war improvement with Kissinger yeah. as his character. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Kissinger would be the you know the the owl. He's the owl. Right, like, right, right, right. No, you got to bomb Cambodia, Tim. <laughs> all right, there's a good. 
That's a note there. Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.